Hey everyone, it's Daryl. I'm here to introduce this gigantic episode you're about to listen to. We are covering the Marvel Superheroes Spring Special number one from 1990. And I thought, what a great time to get some friends together and usher in a new spring by chatting about such different stories presented in this anthology book. So you're going to hear different segments. I'll introduce each one so you know what story you're in for and also who the guests are at that time. So I really hope that you enjoy everything you're about to listen to. Also, this episode is serving as a fundraiser for Peter David. As some of you may know, he's going through some rough times health-wise and he and his family need some extra support. So please visit our bio over at our Instagram page. And the very top link is going to be a link to the GoFundMe to contribute directly to Peter David and his family. And for every $5 that you donate, send me the receipt. So shoot us a DM um, via our Instagram account so that I can see that you donated. For every $5 you give, you get one entry into a raffle. So you're going to want to check out our pinned post as long as you're over on our Instagram page to see what you can enter to win. There are some really fantastic things. Um, I'm not going to um, say everything right now. Maybe in a future segment I will in between some of these. Um, But go check it out. We want to raise as much money as possible going directly to Peter David and his family. And this is the best way to do it is just going over to his GoFundMe. Um, He's given so much to us as a comic community. And let's give back to him a little bit. Let's show some love for our creators. So, uh, all right. To kick us off, we are going to dive deep into the first story from this anthology series. And it is all about Hellcat. I am joined by Chad from Grey Malkin Lane, and Dayspring from Power of X-Men, as well as Philip. He's joining us for this one, too. So uh, make sure to check it out. Um, have some fun while you learn what Patsy Walker is doing in the story, and I will catch you on the flip side. All right, everyone, we are here for another segment in the spring special. Um, I'm joined not only by Philip, you're here for this one. Hello. Um, But we have two special guests to talk to us about Patsy Walker, Hellcat. Um, The first, we have Dayspring from the Power of X-Men podcast. How's it going? Thank you for having me. You know, I'm obsessed with Patsy Walker. Yeah, um, we were just talking before starting recording that when we met you in real life, um, you were wearing a Hellcat shirt. So by, by Ascani son, aka Michael Brower. So shout out to him. Love him so much. He does such great shirts. And Chad from Gray Malkin Lane. Hey everybody. So uh, a little peek behind the scenes of how the sausage was made for this episode is I messaged a bunch of folks and said, Hey, would you be interested? And everyone was. And then I said, Oh, here's the breakdown of all the characters, and both of you went right for the hellcat jugular you're like give me that bitch i need to talk about her okay but but daddy chad here like literally wrote the like entry on her so i could not go (laughs) you were gracious enough to be like okay okay you can join too and um you sent us the link chad to be like hey yeah here's everything i've written and then you're like don't read it because i said that i didn't know anything about hellcat and you're like no 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 don't touch it yet um because we're going to get into it we're talking about her story in the spring special which i think is 10 pages 
um, and that may include an ad page or two. Um, but I know nothing. And I, I I know she has feline characteristics. Oh, she is a cat, <laughs> perhaps from hell. And sporting the yellow and black, yellow and navy. I think it's black. Black. She has a look that I can now recognize. Okay. So. Her her classic look is the like yellow cat suit with the blue mask. Okay. Okay, so I wasn't just making up the blue. It, it's well, like there are other versions of it. Yeah, it's like Neil Adams, like Batman blue. You know. Okay. Oh, that's a good frame of reference. Yes, for everyone listening and not looking at something right now, is <laughs> how I interpret, especially in this issue that we're discussing. Yeah, um, and of course, this is uh, all in support of raising some funds for Peter David. Both of you have been reading comics forever, um, so. Uh, Obviously, on our main podcast, outside of these extra episodes, we're covering X-Factor. What else do you love about Peter David? Is it X-Factor-based? Is it everything? Talk to me. Yeah, so I actually had the pleasure of meeting Peter David this past year at New York Comic Con, and he was so incredible. I do have personal history with him that he does not know. He created a television show called Space Cases that was on Nickelodeon back in the 90s. And my husband dated one of the actresses on that show. <laughs> so she doesn't fun. know she's an incredibly talented, smart human being, but is my arch nemesis like 40 years later. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that struck me about Peter when I was talking to him at New York Comic Con was he was very generous with his time. And, you know, he... He had every he had so much going on and he was here like, just come sit behind this booth and chat with me. And I got a couple of things about him on for for the Instagrams and it, he gave me his email. And, you know, I, I we're hoping to reach out to him in the future once everything is better for him. But I, I have to tell you what you're doing is so admirable, raising money for him. And I mean, his X Factor run, it's a, it's extremely legendary. I love a lot of things about Peter David. I think he is one of the masters of long form storytelling in comics. Uh, I mean, we associate with him at, uh, with X Factor primarily as X fans, but he is uh, he is well remembered for his uh, legendary run on the Incredible Hulk, which went on for so long and was so good and redefined things so many times. Uh, made that character what he is today. Frankly, uh, a lot of writers are just trying to redo what he has done. Uh, God, I feel like we're on one of those like Saturday morning, like uh, fundraising, like we need to have a real serious talk and then we'll bring out the dancing seals and call us at this number. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the humor of dancing seals is something that he would definitely write into something <laughs> as well. Um, that Hulk run is something that I just got all the omnibuses for. So, And if you're thinking about recent releases for X-Men, omnibuses the claremont run um stretches to like i think the fifth volume is coming out this spring and it's a little bit thinner than the others because they're trying to fit all the stuff that hasn't been gathered in um but i have the first four volumes of claremont and if you're equating the number of issues like the same time that claremont is really coming to uh, the apex of uh, Fall of the Mutants and things like that, that's when Peter David sort of picked up Incredible Hulk. It's right there. Um, so they were both doing very long runs around the same time on different titles. And even when you're looking in old wizard magazines and things like that, where they're like, oh, the top 10 favorite writers, 
And Peter David is always near the top and always credited for Incredible Hulk. So um, it's something that I think is overlooked, but I'm really excited that they're releasing a lot of his past material in omnibus form now. Um, the Spider-Man 2099 run is being released um, right around this time this episode is being released. So they're, uh, they're pushing out a lot of great content by him because people are finally recognizing, like you said, Chad, like the long form storytelling is just so good. He plots everything out and then he knows exactly the beats he's going to hit along the way to get there. He's also a comedy writer. Uh, Daryl, you came on my Patreon show uh, to do Unicorn with me. So I'm doing one of those like obscure character focused episodes upcoming shortly with uh, Bob Quinn on the character Mahayogi or the Warlock, who's an X-Men 60s villain. Peter David brought him back in his Captain Marvel run. It's the uh, Genus Vell, Rick Jones combination. It is laugh out loud funny. This is the one where he made Moondragon canonically gay in this series. Uh, there's a scene where this old 60s villain it, it takes place over like a year of comics. He opens a comic book shop in LA and he advertises a big giant opening event. And on the night of the event, which takes like weeks to plug, uh, he casts a spell on everyone in the room and makes them spill their blood on the ground. And one of them's like, what are you doing? Why did you do all this? And he says, I'm trying to awaken a demon underneath the earth, but this, the spell to awaken the demon uh, called for the blood of a hundred virgins. And where else was I going to find a hundred virgins in Los Angeles on a Saturday night than in a comic book shop? <laughs> and one of them says, you could have had a Star Trek convention. And he goes, oh, that's a that would have been a better idea. Uh, I mean, and that's Peter David. He, he's phenomenal. Yeah, um, you brought up Star Trek. He wrote Star Trek comics for DC for years. I mean, every time I see one at like a dollar sale, I always pick it up. Because they're just fun reads because they're really well written. He knows the characters. Um, he also wrote Star Trek novels, which I just found one of those at a half price books the other day. And it picked it up because I know it's just going to be fun. Um, he's a fun writer. If that if you can sum up anything, it's fun reading him. So um, of course, our best to Peter David. Um Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, he did not contribute to the spring special because it, these things are um, almost like an anthology series. This is the first issue when they sort of booted up the Marvel superheroes and then they would do seasonal specials along the way for the first part of the 90s. So this is issue one of that, where they're just taking characters that aren't being utilized heavily elsewhere and just tossing in short stories and um, the story we're discussing, it's written by Scott Lobdell. So uh, this was near the beginning of his Marvel career, I feel, right? I uh, Really quickly, I know from at least some people, some of the stories they ended up using in these books were stories that had been commissioned for other places, but never utilized. So maybe they had like a writer do a fill-in issue or an extra eight-page backup in case their penciler was running late. And a lot of these stories just ended up in like a filler drawer, like a file cabinet. Sometimes they brought in people to try out their talent on books like this as well. So we see that happening in like the Infinity Comics uh, mm -hmm. online right now. Uh, so that type of thing. I know that, that that's a lot where a lot of this series came from. Uh, as far as Lodell's start date, I'm not sure uh, what his first work at Marvel was. I think. Yeah. It, what was the pop date for this issue? This is 1990. Sorry. So... Um, I feel it's near the beginning of his career at Marvel because then, of course, he went on to a lot bigger projects. 
um, later in the 90s. 1990, which was 20 years ago. What? I think I think I Liddell was what? I think Liddell was a uh, 1990 was 30 years ago 33 years ago. <laughs> I know but I don't want to say that <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, I think Liddell was a stand-up comedian before he was a writer I believe I'd have oh. to re- or, you know listeners double check but I, I believe that was the case well, there's not much comedy in this issue no, no, it, this it, issue so what I do want to put just uh, a warning um, a content warning at the top of this before we dive in. Um, this does deal with suicide. So if that makes you uncomfortable, just go to a different part of this episode. Um, but this particular short story involving Hellcat does have that included. So if you're sensitive to that, feel free to join us at the other end. Um, and of course, we're going to have both of you back on the podcast at some other so, point. So, uh, Daryl, I just looked it up. Scott Liddell started with two stories in a in a series called What The? And then he wrote about 15 features for Marvel Comics Presents, and then he did this story. So yeah, yeah this was probably one of, his, one of his very first. And this probably was something he wrote for Marvel Comics Presents, honestly. Um, <laughs> because once in, a, once in a while, they would slot in just a one-off story. A lot of the time in that series, they overlapped. So it would be an eight-part Black Panther series, and around part three, they would start someone else's story because it was four stories per issue. So... Um, once in a while, you got a standalone short story. So it may have even been one of those, like you said, that they pulled out where they're like, we don't want to insert a Hellcat story into what's going on in Presents right now. And I have way more issues of Marvel Comics Presents than anyone probably should. Like I have <laughs> at least 70 of them in a short box over on the shelf. Um, but they're in the same vein where it's fun to pick up and just read something that isn't in a main line. Um, you can catch up with, actually, most of these characters were probably featured at some point in Marvel Comics Presents. Um, I know, specifically, I've read a Hercules one, and Black Panther had, like, a weird, like, 22-issue run at the beginning of it where he was featured. It's great. It's a Don McGregor run. It's really good. The The penciler on this issue, for uh, for continuity listeners... Uh, uh, Dennis Jensen drew the Wolverine Lynx Marvel Comics Presents story that ran for, I don't know, several issues. Uh, he also drew Excalibur number 18, which I think was his only direct X-Men work. Interesting. Oh. Oh, which one's Excalibur 18 again? Uh, oh, goodness. It's, I don't remember. It was right Part after the Cross Time Caper, wasn't it? I'm looking it up right now. I forgot. Okay. Uh, it is yeah. the wild, wild Wheels issue where they fight the Dirty Angels on Earth 9109. So that is in the middle of Cross Time Caper then, right? Yes, it's during yeah. Cross Time Caper. Okay, yeah. that's the run I've shoved at Philip that he hasn't touched yet, but I'm like, read this, it's really fun. Philip, it's sitting... It's on the, my bed, I think. Okay. I moved it from the ironing board upstairs. Hey, it got an upgrade from the ironing board, folks. So <laughs> <laughs> we have forward momentum. I yeah, now that. the only things on the ironing board are the those um, prints of Nightcrawler and Colossus that I need to get a frame. Yeah. Okay, let's jump into this story. Um, Such as it is. It, right. So uh, we're getting some narration from Patsy that something bad is about to happen and we know that five people are going to die by the end of this story she is full of regret and she's also full of spoilers for her own story where she's like (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna cut to the chase 
five of these fuckers are gonna die and you couldn't do anything to save them yep which is i mean listen patsy walker is a carrie bradshaw of the marvel universe okay <laughs> cite marvel divas so this is just a precursor for what we would get later on with her so what we're in 1990 with her how did we get here with her because my experience is like those avengers issues in the 70s i have no idea what she's been up to i mean they, we get a little bit in a blurb we get growing up i was a teenage fashion model Ooh, ooh. great start uh from there i went on to become an avenger as you do a defender even the alleged daughter of satan himself once that was straightened out, I went on to marry Damon Hellstrom, the former son of that same Satan. So go figure. I just remembered I have a comic that I, I picked up a bunch from Facebook Marketplace like six years ago. And one of them is Patsy Walker Fashion Parade. I should have brought it out because it's from the 60s. It's the same Patsy Walker. She has, she has a fashion parade. Let's start here. Okay. I want you to guess what year Patsy Walker first appeared in a Marvel comic. And I'll tell you to go higher or lower. Um, I think she predates the Marvel age of Fantastic Four number one. I think it's 1961? Earlier. Way earlier. 1956. Earlier. 53. Nope. 1944. What? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Patsy Walker was Marvel's Archie. Archie, Betty, Veronica. Yep. There was a bunch of romance uh, comics. You've heard of Millie the Model. Yes. Patsy Walker first showed up in a Miss America comic and then had her own line of comics that ran for like 17 years. Wow. Uh, that went into the hundreds. Uh, uh, Patsy and her pals, Patsy and Hetty, her arch rivals, Hetty Wolf. Uh, she dates a guy named Buzz Baxter. Uh, Paul, what do you want to what do you want to add? Here? Dates and marries. Dates well, and marries. Buzz. I mean, yeah. Um, listen, I love these. I, I I'm always so confounded about her early years and sort of the continuity with some characters like Millie. I always say Heidi in my head. I know it's Hetty, but I say Heidi in my head. Um, but the continuity becomes a little bit more jumbled because within the canon of Marvel, these comics do exist, but as a fictional story that her mom wrote about about Patsy. And Chad, maybe you can clarify what what is the current state of Millie? Because she was in like Models Inc., seemingly not aged at all and had continuity as a model and you know relationship with patsy but in other iterations she's an older woman who's sort of like the head of an agency and i'm i've always still been so confused as to what the status of hetty and millie because they're not as clear-cut um as patsy I think the way we're, I, I did not prepare to talk about Millie the model today. I'd have to, I'd have to do <laughs> some research. How dare you? How but dare you? When it comes to Patsy and Hetty and characters like this, Millie the model, Chili Storm, there's a whole bunch of these that uh, Marvel will feature from time to time. I think you're kind of meant to believe that any of their old comics are fictional stories that exist within the Marvel universe based on actual supermodels that exist in the Marvel universe. And they appear at various ages at different times. I think Millie the Model was most recently an agent of Shield in a romance comic. Oh, I should. If I'm if I'm remembering right, the so, last time I remember her is from the Models Inc. series that they did in like the early aughts, where she was like on the cover for it. And and Chili Pepper was there. I forgot about Chili until this 
exact moment. Chili she has storm. like yeah, 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 yeah. chili storm, like chili pepper, chili storm. She has short, <laughs> like bright red hair, right? Mm-hmm. Like the yep. manic pixie. Vi- oh. So perfect. Daryl and Philip, let's hear your thoughts so far, and then I'll tell you how I mean, Madsen got to us. I'm into it. I mean, you brought up Models Inc., which just kind of reminds me of the Melrose Place spinoff starring. It's, it is like that. The, the it's not like that. The comic book aspires to be. It, that. I mean, starring Linda Gray, post Dallas fame. So you know what? You would have seen it, Daryl. It's a it's a cover with Tim Gunn on it holding like an Iron Man oh. like helmet. Those were one of the variant covers for it. Okay. You would have seen it circulated around. Yep. I okay. want to know how, what did that transition look like going from a model to an adventure? Like how did they well, okay. bring her oh, into the okay. Marvel age? So we are like... Oh, Chad, is that, who, is who, who is she like? closely associated with? Like, oh, like well, right let's... We won't give the long version, but let me give the medium version. So it's Fantastic Four Annual Number Three, which is famous for any guesses. It's the uh, it's the infamous wedding issue between Mister Fantastic and the Invisible Girl, and they make it a big event, and all the heroes from across the entire Marvel universe come in all at the same time. All their villains do, which has never been done at Marvel before. It's this huge celebration issue, and then they brought in guest stars. And uh, Patsy and Hetty and Millie appear at this wedding kind of in the background. So that's how they're first brought into the Marvel Universe. So Marvel canon-wise, in-universe, Patsy's first appearance is the wedding issue, right? Then Steve Englehart, after the X-Men are canceled, Steve Englehart is writing Amazing Adventures, which features uh, Dayspring's favorite character, Beast, turning gray and then blue and furry. And Beast is working at the Brand Corporation, and while he's working there, he has a coworker named Buzz Baxter who has a wife named Patsy Walker. So she married her high school sweetheart in the Marvel Universe, but then he turns into a supervillain called the Mad Dog. Uh, after he get, he gets like mutated into dog form a bunch of times. Uh, Patsy then, Steve Englehart then brought her into the Avengers. Linda Fight wrote in the early 70s, the character, the cat who becomes Tigra. And in a random issue of the Avengers, Patsy Walker's been hanging out for a little while. She puts on the cat costume and suddenly she has superpowers. And she's like, look at me, I'm agile and I can do all this crazy stuff. Because uh, the cat costume, if I'm remembering that storyline right, like it was laying around in a warehouse or something at some point. Yes. Yeah. She just finds it and like becomes a member of the team. Uh, Moondragon gives her psychic powers somehow. (laughs) And then they bring her into the- On the moon. And she's on the Defenders for years and years. At the very end of that, J.M. DeMatteis married her off to the Son of Satan, which is where she's at at this point in continuity, pre-suicide and going to hell and coming back to life. (laughs) She's incredible. And they weren't even trying to rescue her. And where was it at again, Chad? Was it? It's a Kirby's Avengers comic, I believe. Yeah, it's like an oh, annual or something like that. But they were going after Mockingbird. They were trying to rescue Mockingbird, and they were like, "We got Mockingbird." And they're like, "Someone says cheese and crackers," and they're like, "Fuck, it's Patsy Walker." They, they bring back a random <laughs> like corpse from hell wrapped in yeah. bandages, and then but like her hair is cheese and crackers guys and they're like fuck they just like literally throw her on the floor they're like damn we didn't mean to get patsy walker (laughs) but she seems to have some um attunement to magic and the eldritch arts um she has like a demon sight like a mystical sight uh that allows her to sense. do you want me to read you my official write-up on her powers 
Uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So whatever. <laughs> you should never need to ask. No, this should whatever. go on Audible. Is what to do. <laughs> whatever so I wrote. Contract. Whatever I wrote these character profiles, I'd have to research their entire history, and then the power section was always the summary of everything. So here. Wait, wait, the- wait, Chad. Can you get, just give me? And, and for folks at home probably aren't familiar, give me your your backstory on why you wrote the the entry for her, and, and what was it for again? Yeah, yeah. So I wrote for years for a site called the Marvel Universe Appendix. It's mm-hmm. uh, M-A-R-V-U-N-A-P-P dot com. Uh, my friend Jeff Christensen runs the site. That's the place I got recruited to write all the Marvel handbooks from, and I did both for several years. So here's her official power section. It says, Hellcat possesses a demon sight that allows her to see through mystical illusions, and enhanced senses allowing her to detect demonic influence in various forms of magic. Highly resistant to magical injury, Hellcat is also sensitive to other psychic auras. She can alter her clothes and costume at will through mental effort. Hellcat occasionally utilizes telepathic and telekinetic talents, enabling her to move things with her mind, project force fields and blasts, and to maintain an empathic connection with her loved ones. Hellcat is an experienced and limber athlete and martial artist, and her strength, speed, and agility are honed to peak human levels. Hellcat's costume possesses retractable steel claws on all four appendages, and could formally use uh, she could formally use a cable claw, which she utilized as a grappling hook. Hellcat formally used a shadow cloak, through which she could draw her weapons and from, uh, from other dimensions, and teleport vast distances even to other dimensions. Hellcat initially thought her powers were a product of her cat suit, while under the influence of Avarish the demon, Hellcat could fire occult blasts, uh, bolts and blasts through her eyes that caused others to experience madness. Other capabilities in this form remain unrevealed. Uh, Patsy was briefly split into five facets of her personality by a spell cast by Gargoyle, but later reintegrated. That's the kind of shit I would have to write up after, <laughs> after summarizing like hundreds of appearances. I apologize if that was too long. No, that was wonderful. That was super Perfect. helpful. And we see those things in this issue. Like the the retractable claws yeah. she shoots out, but we, we will get there. Yeah. We're opening on a diner. We already know that people are going to die. So, and there's I, this woman in purple running in. And I got to say, I really like the art. Okay. I like the yeah. style. And if like, you like this art, I have so many 80s and 90s comics that I can expose you to because this is pretty much Marvel House style back yeah. then. Like, um, this style of drawing is very typical of the time, which is great because it's very clear. You can yeah. understand what's going on. It seems like her hair is very dynamic. Her ripped dress is very dynamic. This demon going scrunch through the front door. As you I think do. it's just scunch. Oh, it is scunch. It, There's it's no scunch. Eye. It's not even a scrunch. <laughs> I, had, I had scunch once, but I went to the doctor. Oh, yeah, you just get a shot. Yeah, I mean, it's a shot in the ass. So... Um... <laughs> So on these pages, we get Patsy's thought bubbles, her background a little bit, and this woman being like, run, all of you. It'll be here at any moment. It's after me. And seriously, if someone runs into the building you're in saying these things, you should just run. I know. Because this is going to be the case in point. Whatever is causing that woman to run so hard to warn you, you don't want to interact with it. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. This is during Patsy's era where she is uh, running a detective agency for like mystical stuff with her husband, the son of Satan, and they call it the Hellwalker Parapsychological Investigations Company. Yes. 
I don't like this era of Hellcat much. It might have been what really struck me, and then it's referenced a few pages in. It's very Ghostbustery to it, me. It's yeah. more which they also yeah the yeah. reference have fairly directly, but it it does sound more respectable as she says than demonic pest control. Demonic pest control. Um, ad for Great Eastern Conventions. Uh, and we, yeah, we see Patsy riding along with this officer and she knows where she's going and she points to the big demon <laughs> and the officer is like, oh, now who are you going to call? It's the Ghostbusters right. reference. And yeah, we don't see her putting on her mask. No, you do. There. You do. No, it's right here in this panel. Oh, yeah. She is pulling the cowl on. Oh. You know what, Philip? I missed that too. See, I was after Chad said that she could change her her outfit by force of will. I thought that's how it happened. No, she went the manual route with this story. I mean, if you don't know what you're gonna have to use against a demon, you should probably save that effort. That makes sense. Yeah. And my favorite part's the onomatopoeia. She is running after the demon, and there's a patow, a katam. Patam, patow, plam, spam, <laughs> spam, <laughs> and a, and a couple little tinks and chinks. Yep. Yes. And but it's not quite spam. It's not the not the meat product created made in Minnesota. <laughs> they it's, would have gotten sued. Like Marvel was about to go bankrupt at this point. They did not want a Hormel lawsuit. Well, there's the also but there's so also uh, there's a hyphen. It's Sapam. Yes. Sapam. <laughs> yes. I a cow. I love comic book onomatopoeias. Like the Marvel as a company was building up to like the comic boom. That started the year following this with like X Men number one and everything, and then it crashed and they went bankrupt. What a story! What a story. <laughs> Sold off the rights to some characters, movie rights. Sony, we're looking at you. Is that how like Fox ended up with the X Men movie things and Namor is yeah. in rights limbo someplace? Mm-hmm. Oversimplified, yeah. but yeah, the bankruptcy was kind of fake, but anyway, yeah. History. The bankruptcy was just a way for them to reorganize. No, because money is it's a corporate fake and scheme. annoying. It, yes, it's a scam. All right, so she goes in. There's some dude with a gun in the cafe who is trying to shoot this demon and says, oh no, bullets are not effective. And Hellcat comes in. She's like, maybe don't shoot. Don't don't hit your friendly neighborhood kitty. And she makes a, a wrestling reference for a two out of three falls match. And she's ready to throw down with this demon. It's a very large green demon with purple nails, purple spikes on the head, and purple like tusks. tusks. Like a Tellarite. I, I hate his design. I hate, well, he's a terrible demon. <laughs> he's I render very... no opinion on him. I like him. I. What is his name? We get it somewhere in here. Oh, oh. it's it's Zriath. Oh, yes. Could not Because I talked that. to... I, in my head preparing for this, I was like, so the first part looks like create. So it's zuriate. And then there's the mm-hmm. hyphen and the TH. So like, it should be Klingon. There's always an apostrophe. I thought, what is this Tuscanini that she's saying? Because what? he has tusks. Oh, so she's like, wow. oh, yeah, this thing on your face. I'm going to make fun of it. Wow, that's low hanging. She, she has Tetsu. terrible puns in this. Really bad puns. I yeah. mean, in Hananad, she has terrible puns. I mean, I didn't know that was like a hallmark of the character until this moment. I'm like, oh, yeah. That's a lot of them. Iceman, Spider-Man, Human Torch. I'll have well, those and, puns. 
we we learn in a second here that it's a cult of demon worshipers that's doing a virgin sacrifice to summon this demon so this is like very old school creepy pentagram shit in the woods you know yeah and, and it's, it does not like a warehouse no those five people are the group of people was it five yeah but maybe Maybe the, the, the there was cult. a cult of the, devil worshippers. They, she and the police both arrived to discover the entire coven had been brutally murdered, but they were missing the demon who in charge, and they were missing the virgin sacrifice. That apparently, this coven left notes. I mean, I guess they were following a recipe. Oh, um, <laughs> and they found the recipe card laying there. Okay, but that scene, that panel where they're like saints, blessed are saints and virgins. It's hysterical. <laughs> yes. Yes, blessed saints and virgins. So fun fact, my aunt is very, very Catholic. And so for a while there, she would say things like, oh, hallelujah, like, oh, drat sort of thing. And if it was really bad, it would be hallelujah and all the saints in heaven. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just compounding. So it's. And it's for all the listeners thing. out there, I am not a saint, but I am a virgin. <laughs> okay. Sure, Jan. Oh, you sure, laugh Jan. out loud in my face. The <laughs> yeah, we know that's bullshit. <laughs> um. So this battle is still going on. She's doing quite well. She is flung, but then she does the acrobatic, like landing on her feet, which I suppose She's is a also cat. a cat reference. Yeah. And um. Okay, but her her pun there. Uh, take it back in off of what Chad said. I said lug, not hug. It's hysterical. Yes. Another wrestling move. Um, yep. There in the bear hug. Yep. And then she kicks the arm down, seems to punch him in the face, and she says, smile and say, R, as she disembowels this poor demon. And she has to rip out the heart, right? And right before she disembowels him, she goes, now hold that pose, my face that only a dentist could love. Mr. Face that only a dentist could love. Whoa, this dialogue is awful. <laughs> Yeah, not it's not Lovedell's finals. He's still on the learning curve here. But then he makes a very sad face, this demon, as his heart is ripped out. And he's, he does say, arg. She also says, like, it's hard for me. Like, I know I'm not killing them because they're already dead, but it still doesn't make it any easier. And on, a, on the next page, when she turns to look at the camera and says, I had to close the gateway, it made me think of uh, the movie Clue, where he's like, I had to stop her from screaming. I don't know why <laughs> that was the reference that came in, but it made me smile. Yes, it's very, I had to slap Miss Peacock, and Miss Peacock is this demon. Sidebar, I just played Clue for the first time ever a couple weekends ago when I was on vacation in Tallahassee. Wow. It is an intense game. <laughs> <laughs> just sidebar, just sidebar. There... I used to have it figured out, like you could guess what other people had based on their guesses, except I lost that ability somehow, and I just crashed and burned the last time I played. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't seen the movie until Daryl showed it to me fairly recently. Yeah, I have. Jeff is obsessed with that. We're recording down in our game space, which I have my TV from childhood. It's a 13-inch, you know, large screen, and my VCR, and I have a VHS copy of Clue down here. That. oh my god that's that a movie. vibe we need to do like a podcaster retreat down there yeah <laughs> uh, my husband and i regularly show the kids our favorite movies from our childhoods so we showed them clue and they they were really into it but the very end where the lady comes on and goes i am your singing telegram and then the guy shoots her and the door closes 
they were like in hysterics, like oh, yes. their pants, rolling around on the ground, laughing. And I was like, this movie is transcendent. You know, 30 years later, <laughs> to have these kids laughing this hard. Yes, that's what drew me to it. I probably watched it for the first time around age eight, seven or eight, and it's been one of my favorites since then. The tel- singing Telegram Girl is Jane Weaveland from The Go-Go's. Oh, oh I didn't know that. Yeah. I feel like there's this whole clue subculture that I have not been aware of growing up in South Florida. Like, we just didn't do clue here. Do you like the Knives Out movies? Oh, I love them. I, and I think that's why we played Clue that's recently clue because, yeah. yeah, we love that last one. What was it called? Um, the Glass one that was onion. just on Netflix. Glass Onion. Yeah. Oh, that's Glass Onion. Oh, it's not the Knives Out one. Is that is that no, Knives Out? That's the yeah. sequel to Knives Out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Glass Onion. Yeah, I thought Glass Onion was so good. And I thought the first one with Chris Evans was phenomenal. In high school, when I was pretending to be straight, I used to write my own Clue murder mysteries and have oh, friends over. And we'd do like the movie, but like in live it, i had weapons hidden around the house i had all the characters had backstories it was very and cute. i want to say uh, um along the lines of writing and clue there was even like a series of children's books in the same vein as like yes. boxcar children I and babies several. and babysitters club i had several and then like at the end of each short story there would be one of those player things where you check stuff off oh and then i think you get the solution at the end of the book you might have even had to flip the book over like i would apologize for getting us so far off track but i'm not sorry at all no yeah this is wonderful and now i want to find one of those clue books at like a garage sale we can go to my parents and i'm sure there's oh yeah yeah for my birthday i would like old clue books from your basement (laughs) (laughs) my mom would just be happy that we would be going up there that's true so we got this she turns to the camera and um and I feel like this is her demon sight, this sort of like pink aura that she has around her. I think you Coral, might be giving perhaps. it too much credit. But it's part <laughs> of, like it's active before and then you get like the and shadow. It, like, with... And then it flares up. I mean, Chad, we just covered things that flare up and you need a shot for it. <laughs> oh <my God>. uh, <laughs> Patsy has a flare up. So she needs some ointment. Chad is a virgin. Stop saying that. <laughs> Guys, my ears. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so um hellcat is realizing that the virgin is the gateway it's the woman in the purple dress and if only her husband was here he could have just excised whatever and been done with it and she even says like if my husband wasn't who knows where girl keep tabs <laughs> where is your hellacious husband is he like in his realm is he uh like barbecuing what's happening it's a fun tie into x-factor and madrax not being a great detective oh and like oh look if she was a better detective she would know where her husband was Mm. 70s son of satan is so fucking hot oh i know (laughs) well have you seen seen old images of son of satan from the 70s this is is it like like, from generation like red it's like red pants shirtless with a pentagram tattoo and then like an open flared cape. He just walks around like super buff with like open shirt and a cape on. He's Here super for it. hot. And yeah, and he has like the the pitchfork. It's so hot. It's... Wasn't the action figure for him part of that stupid car? <laughs> I mean, I mean that. I don't like the toys. I don't know. Ghost Rider whip that they were trying to sell for $400. That, Philip, you're not wrong on, that is a general look, but the one that Chad's referring to, it's like more old school. He has like a, a very bombastic cape and it's, it is WAP. One is word like is a, WAP. 
hammer film level yeah um, except in male form yeah i'm hammer trying to find a photo for women. Hang on, let me so one. with what? very flowing things but yeah. like i i'm just transferring that vibe onto yes. a very hunky dude was he program. chad was he blonde in the 70s no he was a redhead Okay, I'm seeing but, some well, images I suppose here. It could have blonde. been colored like a like a more of a yeah. red on color at times. Yeah, no, there's some where he's obviously like a redhead, like an orangey red or something. But I just saw an image of him here, and he's blonde. But I'm sure Patsy, that's just like a misprint. When Patsy got married to this guy, I totally understood. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> the gay no all knowing nod of approval <laughs> that we all just gave. So yeah. after she's like, "Well, he could have done this," you know, like way easier but i guess i'm gonna have to do this and so the dude with the gun is like this woman is under my protection because i can do that because of the patriarchy yeah um and you're the one with blood on your hands like he's not even acknowledging that it's demon blood that she just saved all of them and that she might know what she's doing and it looks like demon blood seems to be purple because you could never color any blood red in marvel comics so much oh. like Klingon blood had to be pink in Undiscovered Country, here demon blood is purple. Oh, unexpected. So Patsy realized that the demons are coming from this woman. Oh, I totally got it wrong. I said I said before that demon's name was Zriath. It's this black shadowy guy that's Zriath. Oh, Zriath. Oh, she yeah, and she should have known. So it, sh this virgin is the portal, and she morphs into Zriap. Yeah, there. So the dude says, "Blessed saints and virgins." Right before he's eaten by this sort of, it's not quite an axolotl. It's not as cute. It's got like a very viper head. <laughs> it's very snaky, but with manes and like little vestigial arms, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> his head looks like his head looks like a goat to me. But yeah. With, like, horns. Oh. Yeah, well, down there he does, but the thing that's eaten the oh, dude. Yeah, the thing that comes out of her first, like the minor. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 that's like a weird yeah. thing. Yeah, but yeah, like with like hair. Zriat, and this is how I'm going to say that now. Yes, very goat-like, very purple, like, has absolutely skipped leg day. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah, those are those are chicken legs. Um, she's using... She's using her extendable claws, which look a little like rakes in how they're drawn. They do. I have, have no idea that was part of her repertoire for powers or anything with that suit. Yeah, and steel cables automatically retracted, but they didn't really retract because they're still wrap, wrapping the snake up into a ball. I think it just like made the ball tight. Oh, okay. Um, so the snake killed the first person in the diner. And it, but didn't really consume him because it's still like in his mouth, like yes. on the floor. It's like this, this wonky dialogue when Patsy appears again. Just I'm just going to read these two. Patsy says, Zuriath, I should have known. And this is his first line. He just comes in the room and goes, of course, for how many other demon lords use the body of an innocent virgin sacrifice as a gateway to smuggle demons to this forsaken planet? Like... <laughs> The writer really needed us to know what was happening. So let's just put it all in one bubble. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I am here. It is my mission statement. You can, if you need it in writing, it's on my website. Um, it's okay, but chat like that. Zariath.com back, backslash mission. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, Chad, the way you did that was perfect, by the way. We need to pull that clip. And that needs to be in everyone's <laughs> intro going forward. 
And Patsy tries to be snarky back. She's like, three come to mind. That was uh, like a laugh out moment when I was reading this the other night. I was like, the fact she's like, three comes to mind. I'm like, girl, really? Yeah. But you're the, I like that there's, it's a scroll, but it's a scroll that has chapters. Um, and so Zriat has his own chapter in St. Brendan's Scrolls of Pan-Dimensional Warlords. And then she... He does not look like the artist rendering. Is Saint Brendan even a real saint? You're the one that had the book of yes. Saints by day. I, I went to Saint Brendan's elementary. Ooh, what was he the patron saint of? I don't know. Patron. I don't remember. We're gonna say we, a... we were the navigators, so I always assumed some kind of wayfarer. Oh, like reference. a ship or a compass. Yeah. He's probably like, I'm the patron saint of compasses. He's the yeah. patron patron saint of sailors and mariners and the United States Navy. There you go. Oh. There you go. Why separate church and state in the military? Let, throw them all <laughs> I refuse to learn more. Okay. <laughs> Fair. Um, so we get past that, and um, he he looks better up close than far away because you can't see his chicken legs as much. The one, the image with her like punching him in the in the torso makes him look much scarier than he does in any of the other panels, where it's like this big goat head. It's a with... goat head that's darkly colored. So it's almost like a dark blob of a person shape. He's the Professor Plum. Thank you very oh, much. What? This guy This guy is a Power Rangers villain. <laughs> it is. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Rita Repulsa sent him <laughs> to, to open up a portal and he's going to fail. We already know he's going to fail. Yeah. He so punches him in the stomach and then he says, My apologies. I assumed that since you'd be dead by the time I'm able to summon anything. Like he's so stupid. God. <laughs> oh my God. Chad, I can hear you reading his dialogue all day. That is so I wildly would, entertaining. I would gladly, I will read this issue aloud. I think we all need to do a spin-off comic where, or excuse me, spin-off uh podcast where we just have Chad read everything and we recap, but <laughs> Chad fills in like the voice work. No, I feel like you really do need to do the two bubbles, like the my apologies one and into the next panel, because he's giving away he's giving away his whole plan. All of it. He he wants to come to another planet so he can make it look like the planet he just came from. Fuck. That's that's his whole goal. <laughs> and then fucking Patsy's like a retort is like, they've already done that. Have you seen the state of New Jersey? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I thought of I'm, you. I'm like, oh I know. Oh. I got sewing. I'm as if I haven't been triggered enough with this move down to Florida. I'm like, why do we have to bring Jersey into this? Like <laughs> fuck you, Patsy. So she's using some eldritch knowledge that the body that has turned into Zriat is unstable. So which is still the body of the Virgin. Like... Yeah, so there's some golden glowies, and then we get Hillary back again. And she's like, you can fight him. You can do this. Hillary fully clothed. Like, Is that why Zriat shows up in purple? Because she's, she's wearing, wearing a purple, purple. dress. Oh. oh. So like an octopus. He's trying to take back over her and he yells, sentimental soft flesh. I am once again in control of this inferior body. And I would just like to propose sentimental soft flesh, a fragrance by Zria. <laughs> I would get that for Daryl for his birthday. No. <laughs> or something you tell someone but, in okay, bed so, when things aren't happening. So thinking about that, what is the scent profile based off of this demon? The sentimental soft flesh yes. by Zria. Yes, I. Mm, 
I don't want to know. I think it. He, there's definitely like he uses the word mudball um, to refer to Earth. So it's like it, mudball, mudball. It's like mud and like viscera. Oh, yeah, like some pus. There's an algae component, I feel, as well as like an sulfur. But to make it sound like artsy, like a perfume, they'll say elemental sulfur oh. to get yeah. you to buy it. Yeah, I think we, I think we bottled it. Mm, we have and we're gonna keep the cap on it <laughs> there, Chad. <laughs> well done we'll toss it into the bog of eternal stench mm. <laughs> the labyrinth reference for you That's, you children I, out there i love that movie so much and one of my friends from college is afraid of it because of david bowie's pants Cod- codpiece which, which is at the museum of the moving image we in queens it. we saw it in real life and we saw skexies there is penis outprint in his pants Yes. Yeah, it's a gay awakening for many people of our generation. Labyrinth is okay. <laughs> it. It's peasant blouses, Muppets, and David Bowie, and so. a really good soundtrack and choreography by Gates McFadden, also known as Doctor Crusher on Star Trek: The Next Generation, who had a baller first episode of um, Star Trek: Picard. Anyway, three. Anyway, uh, so he's talking about his fragrance and. <laughs> He's trying to market it. He's really uh, like those challenges on Drag Race where they're like, all right, you're in a commercial and you need to be able to promote your fake product three times. And he's just going around being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to beat you up. And by the way, you would love some (laughs) sentimental soft flesh. Like he's just slipping it into convo. She decks him, which I think has to hurt Hillary. Like, no, because she's in control of the body. So she's like, so you can feel this and not, and it won't affect I don't Hillary. think it works out. I think she needs to go back to the scroll of St. Brendan to read up <laughs> on this because she, I don't think it works that way. She's the one with the eldritch knowledge. So um, she looks like she's about to rip out the heart. And this dude with the gun, oh, this is the officer. This is Collins. Yeah. Oh, Collins has come in. The dude he, with the gun was the one eaten yeah. by the snake. Yeah, he had to park the car. So he had to find some street parking as a parallel situation. It took a few minutes. It took a while. It took the duration of this fight. And this pause gives Zuriat the opportunity to throw off Palcat and fires some sort of rays. Chad, if you would like to do the you on the other hand. Oh, I don't. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> um and these spikes, it's sort of like Rachel Summers could go after him and say, bitch stole my look. Because <laughs> he has spikes all up and down his head. Like, no. It's like a dinosaur, but a ghost. This guy would be win. scary in like a Ryan Murphy, like American Horror Story. I, I agree with that. Like season one Murder House vibe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like you're going to breathe in. Like, all right. Where, where was the one with the, the dildo demon? That was That was Hotel, right? Yes. I, yeah, I yeah. didn't that do that one. Yeah. So he was using the officer as a distraction to punch Hellcat, but Hellcat was using that as a distraction to let Hillary take control of her body. And yeah. The cop gets down and he drops his gun and Hillary reaches for the gun, which of course got Chicago in my head. Oh, yes, they pulled. <laughs> I'm not going to sing for you anymore but and well Hillary got the gun so Patsy's having like an existential crisis over off to the side which gives Hillary the opportunity to grab the gun 
she knows that she's the gateway. So to end it, she ends herself. And, and then this lame ass demon like floats out of her corpse. Uh, his follow up scent is meddling mortal coil. Yes, yes, he says, meddling mortal coil, you may have stopped a pan-dimensional war, but you'll rue the day you decided to play hero. And Hellcat says, hero, I was cradling the hero in my arms. Because the woman killed herself to get the demon out of her. Yeah. Please send me that soundbite of chat. That's going in our intro. <laughs> like, I just want I'm just I want to play edit that all, all of it the together. Time. That's all of it. Con- bonus content for the end of the episode. Just all of it. <laughs> all of it strung together. Oh my God, we should do a dramatic reenacting of this. I mean, Marvel has all the cutscenes at the end, so this is our <laughs> Yes. I feel like a space ghost character. Oh. Oh, yeah. I can but, see that. And that's the issue. It, 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 does, en- yeah. it ends on an, an emotional low note. Yeah, it does yeah. end it. I do want to draw attention to the cover. So I broke this out, and when I reached out to all of you, I'm like, hey, I want to do this. Here are the available characters. And there was some confusion. Um, they're like, wait a minute. Hellcat's not in there. And I'm like, oh, no, she is. They just didn't even promote her on the cover. Like, everyone else in this special has a little bubble. Or, in mm-hmm. the case of Moon Knight, the main feature on the cover. And the demon from the diner. Is that the demon from the diner? Yeah, it's green and glowy. It's uh, fine. I'm her demon. Yeah. But demon. Hellcat, Patsy Walker, not called out at all. <laughs> they they buried the, the story of her like, life. They're like, all of these and Hellcat. <laughs> will be appearing i uh i did not care for this story very much however it does the job if this was an eight page story they take a writer on they pair him with an artist here's a list of characters you can work with and we you get eight pages and it, it does the job it takes hellcat from where she is in continuity there's a mission there's a heroic bend you not understand who the character is and it ends in a sacrifice which is like a little bit of a gut punch uh, so I, it does the job, and for eight pages, it's pretty good. But also, blah. <laughs> it's just... I think you know some of my criticism with Lobdell as a writer is he has great concepts, but poor execution and really cheesy, hokey dialogue. And I noticed that initially during like the Phalanx Covenant with certain parts with Jubilee. But I think the story in of itself, as someone, I I really identify with modern. Patsy Walker, like recent, you know, last 15 year story since the 50 state initiative. She has been a character that resonates really hard with me. It is kind of refreshing to, I've never read the story, but to see her in a more serious, gritty way. It's a 180 from where the character is today. And we just don't get this version of Patsy ever. Even when she had her own spinoff, um, I'm forgetting who wrote it, but it was during when she was, you know, She-Hulk's PA intern, whatever. Patsy's just not written like this anymore. So it's kind of refreshing to see her like this, but the story is wobbly. <laughs> so Patsy Walker is meant to be, they call her the happy-go-lucky Hellcat. She's the like happy, peppy cheerleader type who is so much fun for writers because she's a little self-absorbed and a little dumb, uh, but also just like heart of gold and like willing to work super hard. But she always has this supernatural bed that people try to bring into it. And I don't think it's ever quite as effective. She commits suicide. She's married to the devil. She gets turned into a demon, possessed by a demon. Uh, A lot of her stories are about that. If you want fun Patsy, the series you should read is Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat by Kate Leth and Brittany Williams from like 2016, 2017. 17 issues. Uh, Patsy is a total fruit fly fag hag who's just surrounded by gay friends 
it delves into her childhood. There's some really fun demon stories. It's great and it's super cartoony. Uh, and then yeah. Christopher Cantwell, Christopher Cantwell just used her in the modern Iron Man series as Tony Stark's love interest. He proposes to Hellcat. Uh, and she's written as a little bit like mentally ill, but like really strong because of that. She's like, I've been through a bunch of shit. I'm a broken person who's just taking care of myself and doing my best. And oh. he does a really good job of portraying her that way. So that's a really good series as well. Yeah, I, I don't want to be a contrarian. I did not like the AKA series. It was a little too oh, cartoony. Only because the the Patsy Walker I really love, where I think they balanced so much for her, was the Marvel Divas four-issue series. I think they established Patsy as a character who was kind of have a self-awareness, was in on the joke about herself, but also served as sort of a point-of-view character in the Marvel Universe as someone who's sort of D-list and has a complicated history and really fleshed out her relationship with Damien and a lot of the problems with it while also like establishing a rapport with other sort of like D-list characters. I mean, they're no, no longer D-list. I mean, Monica Rambeau and Blackout are not D-list, but at the time they just weren't getting the visibility yeah, yeah. that they should have. But you know, the, the Hellcat AK series, the Patsy Walker AK Hellcat series, when I was done with it, it when they had Blackcat there and they didn't even acknowledge their friendship, I was infuriated by that just because i feel and i forgot who i was talking about with it may have been steve um but i just it may have been steve orlando where we talked about that and it it, it was just it was infuriating that they just did not acknowledge it but that book did a lot of good work for for represent at a time when there was not strong female voices or led characters and there's a ton of queer characters in it i could name like eight or nine characters Ooh, from that i'll book have to check that out yeah, yeah. Um, that's going on the list I kind of like spinoff, the... spinoff, <laughs> Patsy like... Walker podcast. <laughs> I like the that her power set is magic based. Like I'm into the the demon hunting aspect of it. Okay. I feel like in Marvel Ultimate Alliance three, they could have not had Elsa Bloodstone, and they could have put Patsy Klein in there instead. Patsy, Patsy Walker. Walker, Patsy Klein <laughs> could have been in there too, <laughs> with providing the soundtrack. And bring back Pat. Patsy Klein returns from the dead. She emerges <laughs> from the wreckage of the plane, and she is Hellcat. <laughs> There's a reason one of my favorite comics is Malaprop Man. <laughs> um, and yeah, so Patsy think... Walker like would have been a great character for that video game. I feel. And uh, um, by the time this episode is released, we do have a new Hellcat series, a uh, limited series that's out. The first issue should be out. So um... by Christopher Cantwell. Yeah, he's taking her from his Iron Man story, and 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 it's from that. It's taken from that uh, era of her continuity. So there's and it's a about. mystery. So going back to Clue, I think she is solving oh. a mystery in Hell. Good. I, I was about to say, I hope there's a demon involved. So. Yes. Good. It is already on my pull list at our local comic store. I'm like, you're going to need to pull Hellcat for me. Thank you. To go along with Photon. To speak about underservice characters, like, I am loving the fact that Marvel is releasing, I mean, they're publishing Modus Operandi at this point is miniseries. It's probably going to be miniseries for the foreseeable future. But the fact that we're getting a five-issue Photon and a five-issue Wasp. I know you have feelings, Paul, about... Oh, I mean, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that they're, like, taking these characters that haven't really gotten a shine, sometimes in decades, um, in the case of Photon, and giving them an opportunity to have a voice again, I think it's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, that we can then, as readers who may not be familiar with Hellcat, 
read a five-issue miniseries, see if it's for us, and if it is, there's an entire publication history that you can delve into. Yeah, and and you know one of the things that I think that make Hellcat that the the Hellcat character extremely relatable, and it, it she reminds me of the Marvel's universe's answer to Stephanie Brown, which was a character that really wanted to be a su- superhero, and has always been sort of, you know, a joke character, but she has a lot of heart, as like Chad was saying, and I think she's had really great visibility in the last years, the years, thanks to the Jessica Jones series where we had her as Trish Walker and we were able to get those spinoffs and that Marvel is now acknowledging that a lot of these IPs that do very well in like the MCU or any like spinoff series like Monica deserve their time to sort of be out and front because these are characters that resonate with fans for a reason. And there's a lot of heart behind them. I mean, Monica Rambeau in WandaVision I mean, she's now a household name, and we just got that drop for the Marvel's poster, and she looks phenomenal in it. Like, I don't know anyone who is not excited after seeing that poster. Yeah. And Wait, let, let me, the mean people are not excited, but people who know the character and know what kind of stories we can get out of someone like Photon, who was Captain Marvel, who was a leader of the Avengers, who was in Agents of Hate, Next Wave, which is such a great series. I, I'm excited for people to get exposed to her in the comics. And I'm, uh, I've am i been reading through Avengers Volume 1 for like a decade and a half at this point. Um, I, st- <laughs> I started reading Avengers Volume 1 in the Marvel's Essentials volumes, which are no longer printed. They were black and white. The cheapest and best way for a broke college student to read back issues in the mid-2000s was to find Essentials. So I started Avengers Volume 1 then. And I just got past the point where editorial did Monica Rambeau dirty. And they're like, oh yeah, like she's not an effective leader. And they undercut the character so much in the writing that um, I think it was Roger Stern who was writing. That was one of his reasons to depart Avengers is because editorial was saying, no, like this is the direction you're going. Like Monica Rambeau cannot be your leader of this team. And here's how you're going to write her out. Like it caused a big rift. Um, which sucked because then you get um, Dr. Druid um, doing most of the dirty work and what a piece of shit character he is. Because um, I asked I asked when we were reading it, like, is he always like this? Like, he's the worst. Yes, because I think the first issue of Photon flashes back a lot to her Avengers team and he's just an asshole. And I'm like, yeah, he's he's written that way the entire time. Um He's another uh, he's another 50s character that they brought back into the modern continuity. He was he was Dr. Droom, I think, oh. back at the beginning. I'd have to go back and look that up. It's been a minute. Yeah. In their horror comics, um, mm-hmm. he originally made appearances there. So it just like a detestable character. Anyway, again, we got off base. But in the vein of Patsy getting a shine on characters and giving us the opportunity to celebrate them in a new way, too. Um, I think is really cool of Marvel to do. Uh, I just looked it up. He first shows up in 1961, Amazing Adventures number one in uh, as Dr. Groom. And then he appears in Marvel Canon 1976 in Weird Wonder Tales 19. Mm. God, these names. <laughs> Weird we are gonna, Wonder Tales. We are going to string together. What's a, what's a synonym for book or story? Tale. Okay, we're going to go with tale, but we need two alliterative, wor- alliterative words to smash before it weird wonder yeah it doesn't mean anything but people will buy it 
the su- superb Spider-Man, your seventh series for Spider-Man coming out this month. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you both so much. This is coming out um, in late March. What do you have on the horizon? Um, let's go with Paul first and tell us where we can find you as well. Oh, Chad, I'm stealing your whole wrap up from your, your, your podcast. I've been listening to your episodes too much lately. Um, tell us where the people can find you and what may be on the horizon. Yeah, so we're only on Instagram at Power of X Men. And in terms of what do we have on the horizon, we're going to be at WonderCon. So we'll be doing our coverage how we usually do for like San Diego and New York Comic Con. We are going to be doing a couple like mini Florida cons here as well. I don't know when the Miami one is. It's probably going to be sometime in April. Um, if you've read the comic book Highwayman, Corin Shadmi is going to be on the podcast. We're going to try to start spotlighting indie comic book writers that we're obsessed with. I've been doing an indie comic binge. I'm been enjoying so many graphic novels that aren't mainstream capes so we're going to be spotlighting that and i'm really excited because i'm getting a couple confirmations um similarly how we've sort of done the deep dive in like x-men video games like x-men legends to marvel ultimate alliance and mutant academy we are doing a deep dive in the original x-men sega saturn or excuse me sega genesis game and we have have a game i know and 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 we, we we were talking with some of the people who are doing the production for it, who did it? Um, we're excited. And I think Hammy's going to join me on that. Hammy, the cosplayer. So Fun. we're excited for that. We're planning that episode, which hopefully will drop sometime in April. All right, Chad, what's cooking in your? Un- I know you have a. You are worse than Demanda Martini in terms of spreadsheets. So <laughs> he's got I multiple know, tabs. I I yes. literally have two spreadsheet tabs open, so I can tell you what I'm about to tell you because I have to keep track of it. Uh, so I, I keep my own social media private. I've got kiddos, but you can find Graham Elkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Graham Elkin underscore lane on Instagram. Uh, we are reviewing uh, comics on my show, kind of in chronological order, if you will, uh, as we work our way through X Men continuity. Every episode, we uh, interview a professional and then have them join us in a comic book review. Uh, so this will be the end of March. We have the uh, trial of Carl Lycos or Sauron uh, coming on my show. He's my favorite Marvel villain. Uh, and then we're going to do three episodes about an early angel story that's set right after the X-Men ends. It's written by the guy who created Superman. And uh, it's a three-part angel story that ran in Kazar and Marvel Tales where he fights his evil uncle Dazzler. It's uh, it's nonsense and wonderful. Uh, and the guests on that, uh, uh, Connor Goldsmith is coming on for one episode with me. Uh, Paul here was lovely and introduced me to Lenore Zan, uh, who's joining me for the second part. And then I'm interviewing Stuart Moore for the third. So it's going to be a really fun uh, March into April. Uh, and then I'm doing Patreon episodes uh, as well, where uh, me and one creator delve into an obscure character. So Right around this time, I'll be releasing my episode on the Cobalt Man with Phil Ewing. And uh, then I've got the Crimson Commando with uh, Steve Orlando. So it's going to be, oh, that rhymes kind of. And, and two, color, two color named criminals or heroes. Yes. Cobalt and I, Crimson. Yes. I really want Cobalt Man. I don't know anything about Cobalt Man or even what he looks like, but I really He's want. He's Cobalt. But blue, like <laughs> Cobalt, like the metal, had the salts come in so many different colors. Like my favorite. Thing about the science building around my chemistry classes where it was this case that had nice hot it had like, like, like blue iron man 
there were vials of all these Blue transition metal salts and like the colors were so vibrant and mm. so great like I feel like cobalt had some really intense pinks, yellows, and then of course blues. Mm. So that would be fun. All right. So you have a full slate as always, Chad. Um, we are cooking up at least one or two ideas as well. Um, swirling out there. Um, I feel I always have something swirling out there with you. Like, hey, this would be fun, and we just have to make it work with our schedules too. So, um, I know that. I connected you with another creator and hopefully I am on that episode as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Daryl and I, it'll be for, it'll be a little while out, but yeah. we're planning on, uh, do you want to tell people who? Yeah, it's Gordon Purcell and yeah. um, Gordon is uh, local here to Minnesota. We both go to the same local comic shop. Um, he drew uh, sort of the back third or so of Silver Sable. So you've had the writer for Silver Sable on a main show and a Patreon episode. Um, so Gordon did that. He's probably best known in mainstream comics for his Star Trek work um, because he has a really good grasp on drawing the actors and actresses like they are spot on. Um, and it, he's really a, a journeyman when it comes to other titles like he did an Avengers issue and he's touched the Fantastic Four like it's all over the place um, and a really just nice person um overall i've met him a few times at this point and have got some of his original pages from avengers star trek and silver sable you just mentioned uh gregory wright who wrote uh silver sable he was also the colorist for the entire run of x-men the hidden years under john Byrne. Oh. Uh, so we're doing x-men the hidden years number one on my show soon as well uh jason liebig's coming on who was the editor of that book he's now a uh, television show host and uh, and and uh, Gregory is going to come back and and uh, do Hidden Years with us too. It's going to be fun. Yes. Cool. I haven't read Hidden Years in like decades. That it's was such actually, a fun. It's actually pretty decent. The, is that the one where Jean is also? Is that the series where Jean was on the spaceship and she feels the Phoenix probing her? Like and like it. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, but I have not done a complete read through. <laughs> there could be probing in space somewhere in <laughs> i mean i don't know where it was all the time <laughs> yeah it, it, there's definitely where gene is like i feel something's watching me and it's like the phoenix and it's not rockwell so. she doesn't manifest <laughs> phoenix energy i think it's during the battle with the xenox I, I again i haven't read these in a while i uh yeah. i, I prep for my episodes like the week before so i haven't read this in a long time fair well, fair 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 for... bb Thank you both for joining us. Um, and then we hope that you'll be back soon to discuss some X Factor. Um, our, our chaotic recording schedule where we're like, oh, wait, oh no, we have an episode due. <laughs> we're doing three issues. So now we are doing um, three issues at a time when we do X Factor um, because it is a long series as well. So Chad, I know you know the feeling of a long haul when it comes to getting through things and advancing some of the storylines so yeah if i have 100 issues i want to do and i'm only doing four a month it takes a while to get there. yeah it does <laughs> i have no attention span for it i discovered with apocalypse age of apocalypse i'm like i can't like <laughs> I, I can't do I, I have the adhd for that oh uh, yeah i will grab you at some point and we are going to do gambit and the externals we have to we have to i think we're, we're going to try to do scott i was talking about with scott we're just going to do what we've been doing which is we'll just do them all in like one swoop oh yeah the entire series yep that's that the only way to do it 
I'm introducing the Age of Apocalypse on my show uh, shortly uh, with Dayspring coming on next time. We're, uh, we're interviewing Stephen Grant and we're going to review X-Men Minus One. Since oh, I love that so much. Month, we're tossing it in, so it's going to be fun. Thank fun. you. I look forward <laughs> you for to everything that. you both have talked about. It's so yes. much fun to listen to both of your podcasts. Everyone here listening should go and listen to them. And um, it definitely subscribe to some Patreons out there support your podcast creators it's a great way to get bonus content and show your love too so um we will catch both of you next time when i drag you into recording yay thanks for having us this was a delight so much fun bye bye all right and i'm back i feel like this might be a telethon except it's more of a telephone i don't know the audio version of a telethon, an audiothon. We are doing an audiothon raising money for Peter David and his family. So again, make sure to check out our Instagram page. We are at X Factor Files Podcast. The top link when you click on that link tree link in our bio is to give money directly to Peter David and his family for each $5 that you donate. Send us your screenshotted receipt so that you can be entered into a raffle, so that maybe you can get some free shit, because why not? Free shit's great. All right, so I never knew that there were such ardent Patsy Walker fans out there, but it doesn't surprise me. She's a great character, and if you haven't picked it up yet, um, she has a new limited-run series through Marvel that just started, like, last week, or the week before. Pick up that issue. It's a lot of fun. Um, Now that I know more about her, I appreciate her so much more, And I really enjoyed reading that um, first issue. Next up, we're going to talk about a character that I'm really passionate about, Hercules. So Hercules has a short story in this issue. So does Black Panther. So I'm joined next by the House of X podcast. Regina, Dylan, and me. We're talking about these two stories. We break it down. We get real with you. And I'm going to catch you over on the flip side of this one, too, so we can chat about what's next. Hey, everyone. I am here with two very special guests from one very special podcast. So we have the House of X in the literal house right now to talk about (laughs) two more stories from our spring special. And um, I'm going to let them introduce one another. Yeah, we're going to have you introduce the other since you're co-hosts and then we're going to roll into two stories um and i think it's going to be a lot of fun so dylan why don't you introduce your co-host okay uh my co-host is regina gina whatever name you want to call her she is a firecracker and she has a very infectious laugh. And she will let you know if she doesn't like your opinion. Which I appreciate. I appreciate everything you just talked about. Because I have actually messaged Regina and said, <laughs> I love your laugh. Like, it carries me through some of these issue reviews where everyone can agree, maybe they're not the best issues. Um She's always able to see the bright side of something within that issue. <laughs> I try. Yeah. Lately, it's not been possible, but I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> and Regina, who is your co-host? 
My co-host is Dylan, and Dylan is the, shall we say, blunter half of the House of X. He will tell you exactly what he thinks, unvarnished. <laughs> he is a strong, powerful Taurus. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know his <laughs> zodiac sign. Close. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's the one that comes up with all the fun stuff for the podcast. He came up with Sexiest Character of the Week. I came up with the tagline saying we're just a fanboy and a fangirl fanning around and we just try to have a lot of fun. And he's, you know, he always makes me laugh. Sometimes I mute myself during the podcast, but he, and sometimes I don't. And when I don't, you can hear me just cracking up while he's giving the review for the issues. So it's been a really fun time hanging out with him online. And we will have a hottest person of the week. I mean, there is a hot person in the two stories that we will be reviewing, maybe more than one. Um, I'm willing to hear opinions on that. But Regina, There's a few. Yeah, there are. Regina, you and I have something in common, and this is coming out at the end of March, and it is right before your first con ever. It's so exciting. And my first con ever was also C2E2. Oh, okay. Well, then I will have to pick your brain. <laughs> It is a wonderful con to start with. There is so much going on. I lived in Chicago for a few years and I went to C2E2. And it's so fun compared to Minnesota. Um, Minnesota, it's getting his game right because we have the uncanny experience coming up this fall. Woo! Right. Woo! <laughs> but prior to that, um, it's been very local since I moved back in, oh gosh, 2017. And um, the local con that's been around for like 15 years is ended because they were basically pushed out of their space. And even there, you would get local creators, which we do have some really great local creators. Um, we have Dan Jurgens, who is very famous in Marvel NDC land. Um, we have Gordon Purcell, who did a ton of Star Trek comics. So Dylan, if you ever need recommendations on those, I got you. Um, Brent Schoonover, who has done a ton of great work, but it hasn't been like C2E2 is. And that's where I got my first experience. So I was jaded. So <laughs> not only do you get a ton of great creators at C2E2, you get a ton of great panels. You go around and that's where I got like, this is what's upcoming in Marvel for the next year. And things like that. You have a ton of um, creators on the floor who are willing to do sketches and things like that. And vendors. Like you can fill any hole in a collection that you can possibly have existing. So I'm so excited that your first con is my first con. And you're going to see so many good things. It is the best of fandom. And the Midwest, I mean, it's where it's at. So um, <laughs> you're going to have a ton of fun. I'm so excited on your behalf. Like I saw that post and I was like, yes, yes. What a great <laughs> pick for a first con. And um, I know Dylan, you cosplay and things like that. I don't. And it's so cool just to walk around and see what people are cosplaying as and appreciate it and go up and be like, that's a great job. You did a fantastic job with that costume. So yeah. um, C2E2 was, uh, I used to go to a bunch of Wizard World Comic Cons and they were always in Chicago. 
Mm-hmm. But I went to C2E2 in 2019, and that was like my first like big, big con. And I was like, oh my God, this is how all the cons should be. And <laughs> I've even been to the bigger ones, and I still, I like C2E2. And yeah. C2E2 is where Marvel made their announcement in 2019 about House of X happening. So for me, it has a special place <laughs> in my heart that is just amazing. So I really hope that those people listening out there who are going to McCormick Place the upcoming weekend will seek you out and say hi, um, because you both are such wonderful folks. And I really want you to see the love that's out there for what you do on a weekly basis, because as you mentioned, sometimes it's a grind to get through these issues. um, And sometimes it's a joy, but you always make it better with how you review them and how you bring light to sometimes some uh, tough (laughs) issues to read through. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So uh, Dylan, I know that our listeners can't see what I'm seeing, but you have a Marvel (laughs) legend of Hercules. He's our first person that we're going to go through. So the Marvel Spring Special, it is issue one. And these went on for quite a while in the 90s where they would do seasonal specials. And if you are savvy, you can find some bootleg copies to read online. But we're going to get you covered for this first issue. And um, Hercules is the first of two stories that we're going to chat about right now. And Hercules holds a special place in my heart. He is my favorite Marvel superhero of all time. And not many people can say that. Um, I. I mean, one, he's hot as fuck. Um, uh-huh. And second, I think his recent journey in like the past decade has been really good. Like he has acknowledged that he's an alcoholic and is coming to grips with that. Like maybe I can't drink all the time and maybe it's bad for me in my relationships. Um, and most recently he was in Guardians of the Galaxy where... Um, he had a great arc and it was included to my surprise. He was not as muscular and hunky in that series, but I still appreciated that he was around and still sort of kept the same vibe that he had coming off of his solo series in the recent past. So, um, have either of you read any Hercules before this? I read some Hercules like during the 90s when he would occasionally be a part of some Avengers groups and so I of course liked him because it's Hercules and he's hot so why wouldn't I like him and then um he kind of got like a cooler newer uniform during Civil War II a few years ago and he had like a, a mini kind of like book there was like four issues during that and I don't really remember the book, but I remember the covers and there were some really hot covers. <laughs> and then I did read him in Guardians of the Galaxy because the part that you didn't mention was the really cool part that he finally <laughs> like came out as a bisexual and was dating Marvel Boy. So. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought up a positive part of Civil War too, because <laughs> that crossover. Okay. I was like, I'm going to say Civil War II and both of them are going to be like, what? Oh, no. Um, I posted maybe one post about this and it might have been in like an Instagram story even from our show account. 
Civil War II made me stop reading current comics. It was <laughs> it was that bad. It it was a total money grab. Like um Civil War was coming out in the MCU and they're like we're going to do a Civil War 2 and there will be name recognition and people will buy it and I bought it. And wow. <laughs> buyer's remorse it was so bad i bought it too i i was only i for most of my life comic wise i only buy x-men books and when that happened there was a a lot of crossover and i was like you know what it's just an event that's gonna last like maybe four months at the most i'm gonna buy everything oh my god by the end of the second issue of every book i was like this is dumb and i might i might even stop reading x-men yeah and uh, to make an X-Men connection, I uh, really started reading current comics with Secret Wars by Hickman. And that was executed so well because you could choose whatever tie-ins you wanted that really spoke to you. Like, if you loved 1602, you would read that miniseries that tied into it. And then the next summer was Civil War Two, <laughs> and yeah. And wow, wow, fam, that was... <laughs> A harsh reality slap right across the face that Marvel is going to do a crossover every summer. And 80% of the time, not worth it. Not worth it at all. Regina, talk to me about you and Hercules. I really have very little experience with Hercules. Most of the stuff I know about Hercules is from people posting about him in our House of Marvel Pride group. And discussing um, his part in the um, LGBTQ community. And so, you know, it's a lot of thirst traps, which is fine. I'm down with that. (laughs) Um, I do remember seeing him kind of just here and there popping up in comics, um, but usually not in really a speaking role, just kind of like a cameo. Um, and so the 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 first thing I ever knew about Hercules was that he was bisexual. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> so that was fun. I, that is an incredible starting point for him, right? <laughs> so then I had to kind of go back and see how how long has this character been around? I assume a long time, and I was like, yeah, a long time. <laughs> but what I do know of the character um, so far, I've really enjoyed, and he does seem like a. A character I'd be interested in learning more about so I was excited to read the story and I enjoyed reading the story so here we go yeah are. and leading up to this this is 1990 what a time to be alive and the short history of Hercules and I'm sure that like Chad at Gray Malkin could do a much better job but I'm gonna do a real shitty job of it so he first appeared in Journey into Mystery annual number one And I know that because I recently got it slabbed and graded and was disappointed (laughs) to find out that it had been restored. So there is something called a purple label and I got a purple label on that grade, but I don't care. Um, He showed up fighting Thor and he was in a regular Thor antagonist. He's not a villain, but he is definitely an antagonist throughout that history. Um, Very cocky. He joined the Avengers He basically got depowered at one point during the Avengers in the mid-80s. He had a couple miniseries in the 80s, but they both took place elsewhere in continuity. So he was depowered, so they sort of flung him in the future. 
and he was the Prince of Power and why not? Um, Prince of Power <laughs> is sort of what the action figure that Dylan is displaying right now is representative of. He has a harness on. He could go to a gay club and totally get it if he wanted to. <laughs> yes. I love it. So uh, um, that pretty much brings us in short form to 1990, where this story appeared. So Dylan, if you want to start us off, where are we opening up? What is he doing? Because this is in the midst of something happening. Yeah, uh, it, it opens up with, I'm not sure if they're in New York City, but I'm just going to assume it's New York City. Probably. Uh, and there's a crane on top of a giant building. And it falls and almost crushes this little old dude who's just walking down the sidewalk reading a book, not paying attention. And the big opening page is Hercules being all sexy in his short shorts and harness, saving the old man from being crushed. And in return, this old man is like, I'm so appreciative. I run a Renaissance fair. <laughs> 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 which um he's like you know what you should come to my renaissance fair and i want you to judge an archery contest regina why does hercules have a hang-up on archery because it's a very weird thing to write into a story <laughs> yeah i was kind of like what <laughs> but later on in the story hercules is sleeping and he's remembering his beloved wife who accidentally poisoned him with an arrow that had taken down a centaur and he wakes up in a cold sweat and his wife ended up dying herself of heartbreak and grief and she had actually unalived herself so he's got some trauma surrounding this whole story of this archery thing going on there's some arrow related trauma and you say that he woke up. That's because he went to the site of the Renaissance Fair and was sleeping in a circus tent. <laughs> yeah, can we, can we talk about, for just a second, little old dude gets saved. They go out for drinks, which, that lucky old bastard. Oh, can I say that it cuts on this podcast? I would um, be like, yes, absolutely. And I'd okay. be like, what's the strongest drink you would like to have, sir? Yes, yeah. He gets to go out for drinks with Hercules. And then he's like, come to my fair. And I'll just, let's go to the fair right now in the middle of the night. And I'll take you to a tent. <laughs> this old man is doing everything I want to do with Hercules. But I'm like, <laughs> why is Hercules doing this? <laughs> And it, there is the panel, you referenced it, Regina, where he's waking up in that cold sweat and wow, wow, yes, please. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it, we're cutting it to the fair. So he wakes up, he realizes he has this um, long trauma relating to arrows, and he's carrying a basket with a baguette in it, because why wouldn't you, surrounded <laughs> by... 1990 biddies in their togas and he's like you know what i said i would judge it i'm just gonna have to get over myself and judge this but on the way oh there's some horses and uh i guess i need to juggle three of them these poor horses just getting tossed up in the air by this strong man where he's like look at my strength i can juggle them and i don't think that's probably good for them no, I don't think it is. Like, horses are among, like, some of the animals in the world that, like, if you, like, 
walk up behind them or beside them and spook them, they might fall over and have a heart attack and die. <laughs> so picking up three of them and just juggling them around in the air, like, no. no. I, lo- I love how hot you are, but this is animal cruelty. <laughs> and I would leave. And like, one of them actually kind of looks resigned. Like, this is happening. I'm just going to let it happen. And then one of them has this expression like, holy shit what the fuck is happening why am i in the air i'm a horse not a bird (laughs) and he doesn't need to do it but he does it as we turn the page just to flex he's like (laughs) look at my bicep and this bitch in the miniskirt feeling his bicep i rarely feel jealousy for a comic character but this unnamed (laughs) blonde woman so jealous I i was jealous of her like two panels before because it was before he picked up the horses because she's just like standing in the background eye fucking him oh she is he starts juggling she is. the horses i was she like is. this woman and this is where he is shooing a horse with his fist so she has love in her eyes um he knows how to use those muscles she gets to feel them and um then we see the grand prize. What is the grand prize, Dylan? Because there is something that these archery contestants are going to get. It is a very like ancient arrow that's super heavy. And Mr. Old Albert dude, who is now also in a toga, and I don't think he should. No, be. we don't need him in a toga. Is <laughs> <laughs> showing Hercules, and he's like, wait, this arrow it looks like it could be and then like old dude who can't carry anything trips cuts himself and then he transforms and this is where i get exasperated like four pages into the story or something where (laughs) i'm like what the fuck like you have a strong man right there and you're like i'm gonna struggle with this arrow oh fuck i cut myself and then we get cerebus who emerges from the arrow we don't need this. It's a renaissance fair in New York or wherever Hercules is. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm going to take a wild stab at this and assume that once again, old dude took Hercules out to get him drunk. Old dude took him to a fair in the middle of the night. And now he's trying to prove that he isn't this weak old man by carrying the arrow. I'm pretty sure Albert here is gay. A little bit of the gay inside Albert, and yes. he wants a little bit of the Hercules inside him. Yeah, like he literally is wearing the same outfit as all those other girls. He are, is. Any the, are any of the other men in this <laughs> issue wearing it? No. No. So Albert is completely oh, trying well. to get Hercules. Albert, attention. our queer daddy, is yes. uh, just trying to get him some. And uh, at his age, I would try to get that too. Why not? <laughs> just try. The worst he can say is no. Well, I I think actually the worst is you can cut yourself and turn into Cerberus. So. <laughs> and then Cerberus is very pissed and drop kicks Hercules with a Wakam. Well, um, oh, there's my... onomatopoeias. I no. miss those what so kind much. of kick sounds like Wakam? <laughs> uh, one from a man who has like laced up legs. Like he yeah. has those boots that like have thick leather straps that go all the way up to your tights. Yeah, those are basically stockings. They are. <laughs> a, um, ver- a version of large fishnet. <laughs> very large fishnet. <laughs> Regina, 
can you walk us through some of this battle? Yeah, so they just basically start going at it, and not the fun way. No. But it could lead to the fun way, but it doesn't, because this is, you know, Marvel Comics in the 90s. <laughs> and at some point, Cerebus Cere uh, starts spinning this, this like, what is that called? It's like a ball that's got spikes coming out of it, and they're just wailing on each other. It's actually, oh, kind yeah, of it's a mace. He has a mace in that's his hand. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yes. And they're just flying back and forth, like from the force of the strokes. <laughs> the force of the strokes with Hercules. Yes. <laughs> Regina can't even do any kite. I type tried reviewing this. She's like, and then they had hands. Oh my god, that's so hot. <laughs> and then, I mean, Hercules is like on top. He's ready to to. Um... <laughs> He's ready to strike him with his arrow. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out the arrow, it's mystic metal, which is an excuse. I mean, be more specific, Marvel writers. Mystic metal. <laughs> um, there's a thwub as he attempts to insert his arrow into Cerebus. And then he catches himself and he's like, no, I've sworn a vow, which is a very Catholic bent to this story where we're like, no, no, go further. <laughs> no, Greek God, don't be Catholic. And we're all of a sudden in the tent, a little privacy for the two of them. Um Hercules cracks the post that is keeping everything aloft and all of a sudden they're tangled up and he's like you know what I can't defeat him just with the arrow I need a bow so Dylan how does he take out Cerebus well he pulls out a large piece of wood a big shaft Yes, a, a big shaft that is bendable, so it's it's not completely. It's curved. It's a curved yeah. shaft. Those are the best kind. But I was for arrows. They have to hit, you know, everything you need. Then he he wraps up the shaft to, with some string to to make the arrow part, and then he. I'm trying to think of sexual words and I can't. <laughs> uh, and then he shoots Cerberus in the chest. He he basically thrusts the mystic shaft with the bow into Cerebus, who uh, cries out, Arg! <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Albert falls to the ground, having been impacted by the mystic arrow. And we see that um, Cerebus, he's trapped. He's trapped in this arrow, just as he was before. And Hercules tosses it off of Earth somehow. It, it breaks all the sound barriers as it goes into outer space. And that's the end of our story. Um, it's highly sexual in a way I mean... that I don't think that... <laughs> We need to do credits. You do credits on your show. It's only fair that I, I go back. 
This is written by um, D.E. Chichester and Margaret Clark. And I want to say that one of them might be a romance novelist. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm totally getting the like, you know, the original writer of like Wonder Woman was like secretly in a BDSM and like bondage and everything. I'm, I'm thinking the D.G. and Margaret. They they stayed up late in those writing rooms together. Oh yeah, mopping their brows. <laughs> I mean, uh, Albert is literally being cradled by Hercules at the end, and you know, like like a fainting young woman would in the old eighties, like yeah, quid romance. <laughs> yeah. You know that blonde bitch is outside the tent because you know Hercules and Albert are now alone in this tent with yeah. the the curved rod right there. And she's probably outside the tent, like, ah, oh, that fucking old bastard. He and got you know, him. And you know that Hercules was probably super audible as he chucked that arrow into space. Like, that was uh -huh. not silent. There was, a, there was a loud groan. She hears those grunts, and she is so fucking jealous. I mean, yeah. Albert was, when he fell out of Cerebus, he was like, oh, <laughs> Face down, oof. Yeah, face down. Scrawny man behind up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> face down, ass up. That's the way Albert likes to I mean, go. look at Hercules' face before he throws that arrow up in the air. That is a that is an O face. It is. That is definitely an O face. <laughs> I'm just so glad that he wears a harness everywhere. <laughs> what a gay you got, icon. You gotta be ready. And you yeah. Oh, uh, so any final thoughts on Hercules like how did you like this story was it fun for you to read being someone who didn't ever really read too much Hercules I I like that they're like hey we're gonna give you th this story with a little bit of like ancient story as well okay so yeah. I liked that I liked it too um it was fun you could tell from the writing style and from the art you know this is not a modern story but I loved stories like this when I was a younger person reading comics. And this was around the era that I did start reading comics. So it felt kind of like going back to that little girl that was reading and really loved these kinds of stories. And I love like the onomatopoeia that we used to get and like these little explanation, you know, boxes and you know, thought bubbles and all of these different things that we get to see in this story. So it was a lot of fun. It really gets you up to speed with a character that even though it's maybe 10 pages, you get to know who Hercules is, what the power set is, and you get to see that in action. Um, and elsewhere in this episode, we have Chad from Grey Malkin talking about these stories. And this is around the time that Marvel Comics Presents was out, which also had anthologized stories, but also some one-offs. So, um, it, the same style existed elsewhere in the Marvel publishing empire at this time where people could get a taste for someone and if they wanted to learn more, they could seek it out at their local store. Um, if anyone wants to read more Hercules in a more modern context, he had a long run in The Incredible Hercules where he took over for the Hulk for a while. So Amadeus Cho is in there and... It's a lot of fun to read. It's from, I want to say, the mid-2000s. So hard to believe it's that old, but a lot of fun and a very quick read because, again, it's 
hunky Hercules. So you can't go wrong. Just just get it to look at the pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, our second story. It's Black Panther. Um, very much in the cultural zeitgeist. We know who T'Challa is. Um, I'm really hoping by the time this episode comes out, we will have seen the Academy Awards, but I hope it just rakes them in because Wakanda Forever, what a good movie. So good. I, I, I don't even need to add anything else to it. It's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> just amazing. So we may hope to get some of those vibes from this short story, and we don't. So... <laughs> <laughs> i was like where is he gonna go with that um, oh he went there never mind so um we have richard bensom who is writing and ron lim who's doing penciling i know ron lim he's still active yeah, i believe he so is this, this may have been some of his earliest work um i do have an issue which i know may come up with the two of you because I know when <laughs> X-Corp was coming out, there were some <laughs> coloring issues with people of color. And wow, is it apparent here too. Um, Jim Sanders III uh, may have maybe an opportunity to learn how to color some African people better. Um and Jack Morelli, he's on the letters. So we have a big splash page. Tell me your reactions to this opening page of our Black Panther short story. <laughs> Dylan, I'm going to let you go first, because when I called you earlier and I said, hey, look, Black people that are actually looking like real Black people, and you immediately said, yeah, in Black Panther, and I was like, I didn't say anything, but I was like, oh, no, I was talking about the Hercules story. <laughs> Like in a complimentary way. <laughs> yes, yes. There, there was a few black people in the Hercules story. There was like a lady at the Renaissance Fair and everything. But yeah, no. Um, the, the splash page of the Black Panther story. There's a lot of Wakandans who are upset with the, with T'Challa and the kingdom. Um, but that splash page has a lot of different Wakandans, and there's a lot of different colors. There are different and, shades. Yes. And, and Black people come in a lot of different shades. But there's one <laughs> dude that is clearly Caucasian. He's in the middle. <laughs> and um, there's two that are closer to us. And I, I I, feel like I understand what the colorist was trying to do. He was trying to have different shades of skin tone. But they're, like, gray. <laughs> and... I was like, mm, how about we just have them all be like the three other people who look black in the in the splash page? Not yeah, it they look like right. It's a mistake. I, yeah, I I don't know what the color limitations were back then because back then they did have a lot of limitations with what they were trying to produce that we don't have anymore. We have a completely different skill set as far as producing colors for a comic book that we didn't have at that time but this just looks bad <laughs> just look I don't care if it was 1943 1963 or 1983 this this does not look good <laughs> nope 
Speaking of not good, let's talk about their clothes. <laughs> because <laughs> Wakanda is a very advanced nation. And um, one of our gray fellows is wearing a onesie that's belted um, and looks very uncomfortable on the bottom. Yeah, of it, I, it is going up some crevices. And then to, our, to our, our, our other gray friend is wearing legitimately just a piece of cloth that is belted. Yeah. Um, there's There's nothing to it. It is just pink. Yeah. <laughs> and hanging. And we can tell that he is not even wearing a jock strap. Um, so no <laughs> no gay gear here. Um, yeah. He's just pretty much naked. So already, I'm not a fan of how Wakanda is being depicted, especially as we get later in the story and we see sort of the technological capabilities of uh, the civilization. Like, they're, they're smart. Um, but they have... Uh, like grass thatch roofs on their huts as well. So yeah. like, the depiction is not my favorite. I, I'm not a huge Black Panther. Like I, I've never read early Black Panther. So I don't know what the civilization of Wakanda looks like in early Black Panther compared to like what most people know Wakanda looks like in the movies. But I, the concept has always been there that they were highly advanced and like way better off than the rest of the world and i i don't know like this almost seems a little racist <laughs> to yeah. indigenous yeah. people of africa um and I, I mean and i have a split decision on it because yes we are an advanced technological nation but there is something to be said for having things that help you remember what your roots are However, I don't think that was the, the intent here. So I am looking at it like super sus. Like, okay, I would like to know more about the thought process that came behind this. Because I also have not read a lot of like early Black Panther stuff. Um, and we do owe a debt of gratitude to the people that were bringing up these characters and these stories. Because over time, we have developed more sophistication when it comes to these types of stories and our understanding of what is a bad portrayal versus a good portrayal. But yeah, this was kind of yikes. Like, what the hell am I looking at? <laughs> Speaking of what you're looking at, it is the Black Panther being burned in effigy. Um, like some uh, sort of... There was so much wrong with the first page. <laughs> There's a rally going on, folks, and we have the leader of a nation being burned in effigy. And we cut to, I think this is the cabinet that Black Panther has his heads of departments, you know, like Joe Biden does. Um, and what are they discussing? Dylan, can you cover these many talk bubbles? Like, there's a lot going on. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about them. Um, but they were mainly just discussing the fact that Wakanda had recently uh, limited like some trading that they were doing with non-Wakandan countries with vibranium. And it was basically some of the cabinet members kind of sort of just being money hungry. They're like, we get so much from the rest of the world. Why don't we just keep giving it out? And 
T'Challa was like, no, we, it was just going to be a temporary thing. So we're going to phase this out and stop doing that. But there's one certain cabinet member whose name is Mubaru, who is not having it. He wants money. If there's one thing the children of 1990 spending 295 on this issue really wanted was an economical thriller. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the last story in this issue. This is uh, the culmination of the experience of this issue. And we have the Black Panther equivalent of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace trade federation going on that's exactly what it is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I have a comment to that and it's gonna it's gonna have it's gonna and there's not even the comic relief of jar jar binks <laughs> exactly uh, i have a comment and it's probably gonna be like a little heavy but it, it's like you have this comic that's probably was very thick in in size so yeah. they're kids were probably not wanting to read it and then second i'm sure a lot of statistics would probably say a lot of people reading this comic in the 90s when it came out were probably mostly white and you're gonna write this story of black panther who's probably not a favorite amongst a lot of the people that are reading the story and then you write this story and they're gonna get eight panels into it and be like I don't want to read this. It's the last story I'm done. And as I was reading it, and then I realized that it was the last story, I was like, I'm so angry I knocked my mic over. <laughs> I was like, this is, it made, it made me mad. Because I was like, yes, I understand there's very political things that need to happen in stories, but also I'm mad because I know that there was most likely a lot of white readers, mostly kids that probably got to a few panels in and they realized it was something very political and adult and they stopped. Black Panther, after this discussion, decides to sleep, you know, I've been in meetings where I'm like, you know, I need to process all of this. And then he decides to wake up and then dress in his Black Panther costume and be like, there's a private place that I can go. And it's the deep minds and oh no, the door is open because someone has put the passcode in and only my cabinet members have the passcode. I thought you said cat for a second. (laughs) Only my cat knows the password. (laughs) (laughs) That would have made the story a little better. The the (laughs) exclamation that he makes is, totem of my father, the web is already down. Because uh, he also has to travel through a waterfall to get here. So... Going deep into the mines where um, the wealth of the nation, the vibranium, is mined and held. So this is basically their storehouse, and there are already miners down there. And then they're shooting. So, uh, Regina, you are our fight expert when it comes to these two (laughs) stories. Uh, Walk us through this fight. Yeah, so he encounters the miners that are already down there. They start immediately like, oh, this it's the tyrant. He's fucking here. We need to kill his ass. So they just start like shooting at him. He starts doing a bunch of fancy martial arts as, you know, you do in the 90s. <laughs> and then he hears 
a voice and he's like who the fuck is that it's fucking Mubaru and Mubaru comes out in like this mech outfit I mean he actually looks naked (laughs) (laughs) he has a metal thong (laughs) yes he's wearing an entire like I don't even know how to describe it. It's, but a, like it's a metal see... exoskeleton. Yes, a metal yes. exoskeleton. And but... every part that you can see of him is skin. There's no yes. clothing. There's no clothes. So, like, you can't... I was going to try to compare it to, like, an Iron Man costume, but if Iron Man was wearing, like, a thonkini. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, like, with, like, a helmet. Like, a metal, if... like, glass enclosure around <laughs> Yeah, if Iron Man made an outfit for Bo-Rat... Instead of his bull rat swimsuit, that <laughs> and what this is. I do want to say it's even worse than you re- described because the helmet doesn't have glass. It's just a framework. <laughs> it's a square headpiece. And and the feet. The, what the what feet, is that? What's the feet? The platforms this yes. kid is wearing into battle. Like, he looks <laughs> like he's supposed to be like a stripper at like a, I don't know. Like for nerds, <laughs> <laughs> a stripper for nerds in Blade Runner. It's like, yes, it's... <laughs> it's 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 not good, but they fight it out, and uh, Mubaru like taunts him, and he's like, you know, your your own words told me it was time to kick your ass, and <laughs> so Black Panther's like, you know what? the Mbaku and Killmonger they have fought you well Mubaru is saying this he's like you know um, Mbaku and Killmonger they have fought you with primitive means but I'm gonna kick your ass with this thong suit (laughs) with my thong suit that has lasers I'm gonna fuck you up with these lasers and I am just thinking about like who in our economy could go into the suit and then I think of Janet Yellen and (laughs) you know (laughs) like i'm just like think of like warren greenspan in a thonkini like (laughs) any economic person in this outfit is just not working for me and the fact that we have like the equivalent the wakandan secretary of the treasury being like i'm gonna fuck you up (laughs) just (laughs) it's it's ridiculous, but the lasers are like going everywhere, and T'Challa being as limber as he is, he's able to evade them somehow. And then he sees his opportunity. He leaps forward when the lasers apparently need time to cool. What? <laughs> what? Um, you don't have like a backup? I, I don't know. It's you don't want to blow on it, Mubaru, like. <laughs> Oh, it's cool enough now I can fire again. So I mean it's 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 wild. It it just even if I was 12 and I read this book, I would be like, are you serious? The fuck are you doing in this story? I want to mention real quick uh the miners that Black Panther beat up. Uh they were in like actual like clothes that were not like cloths that had belts (laughs) and also (laughs) Mubaru uh in the beginning of the book he 
was a gray fella. But then in the caves, he's actually black. <laughs> Colorists, please. Keep whatever color you're going to have them be consistent throughout the book. <laughs> well, and then in the middle, he is actually gray again. Like yes. there's a panel, like a random panel right after this fight scene or when this fight scene is winding down where he's gray. Like, yes. pick a color palette, please. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's wrong, just be consistently wrong. <laughs> right. Like I suck at putting on makeup and I can do a better job than this. <laughs> and it he incapacitates him by pulling the battery out. The simplest thing, like, he leaps over him and yanks off the battery. Of all yeah. things. The, the, the battery is so easily accessible when you're coming from a, a, a nation that has high tech. But and the way the way to be defeated is to pull your battery out. I, I really want a Marvel legend of Mubaru. Uh, in this I don't know who we need to tell Ryan Ting uh, Dwight Stahl yeah out there because uh, I need him to be the build a figure yes he's so big so I want like a half naked man leg in one in one toy box just and then a, another half a head naked. in like a metal cage that you snap on yeah it was it was it was very Buffy versus Adam at the end of season four. Like mm. you removed the battery. That's all. That's all it took. Are you serious? <laughs> Leave it to Regina to compare anything to. I had to. Buffy. Yeah. I had to because right? that's literally what I thought when I saw him rip the battery off. I was like, oh, I've seen this before. <laughs> and Dylan, carry us home. Uh, bring this story home for us. We are looking over Wakanda. Yes, it is the next morning. T'Challa is looking over Wakanda. He can't believe that he was, you know, turned against by one of his beloved. And he's like having this sophisticated discussion with a character named Taku. And Taku is wearing like a, a red... <laughs> cloth like I don't I don't even know what to call it but it's barely just call it a cloth it, yeah it, it's a red diaper but like in a sexy way and yeah I, I, I'm it's very all, I it's all I saw yeah Taku um color me interested yes yeah, just so don't color me gray and... Yeah. <laughs> and I I at that point in time I was just like why is Taku there so early and half naked is he like i don't know is he there for like a, a morning release it's good to be the king yeah <laughs> anyway then t'challa goes to the prison cell where mubaru is uh and mubaru is like oh are you here to let me free because you realize you're in the wrong and they argue a bit and it doesn't i don't even know why t'challa went there but t'challa goes there to get yelled at and then he's like i'm don't have time for this and then he leaves. Mubaro is in Martha Stewart jail. Um yes. it is very posh. Like I'm pretty sure this is low security and Mubaro could just walk out if he wanted to. Yeah. Um he's on several bean bags. There's even like a dead animal rug. 
there's like wall there's art on the wall there are spears behind him yes there's literally spears he could stab the fuck out of anyone approaching that door that just has some bars on the window it was not and he looks like a cone head i'm just saying like what is going on with his very large head here yeah (laughs) he's brown again though he is brown again that's a nice shade of green on him but um he has more clothes on in his cell than he did when he was fighting (laughs) they probably made him clothe up they're like listen here we're gonna snap you out of this bronze bikini that is somehow like less coverage than princess leia had and you're gonna have to put on these green clothes Um, and it ends, and I think we can see at the end of the story, um, that Marvel just did not have the writers to give Black Panther a good story around this time, because wow, it was rough. Yeah, I, I half wanted to look up the creators to see if they were white, but I'm just gonna assume they were. (laughs) I really hope that they're, yeah, a I don't even know. What did you think of this story? I think there was a really good idea. I just don't know if it was executed the best way it could have been. And in the fact of also trying to make it be like a superhero story, because yes, I understand comics now are very political and very like you need to show the world there is stuff outside of a box, but at this point in time in comics, I don't, I think this would be more of a story for now comics than it would have been for stories in the early 90s. I can see that. Um, I just looked it up. Richard Bensom is a white dude. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for looking that up, because if yes. he hadn't been, I would have hated myself. I, I agree. I could see this tenor of story happening in current comics. Um, very political um not what i expected from 1990 in terms of who cares about economics like oh we're fine we're under you know bush the first and we're coming off of reaganomics so we're gonna lie to ourselves and say that it's really great and trickle down totally works um yeah like even with the burning a leader in effigy and things like that um i think that's a lot more pertinent to american society now than it was back then yeah and, you know, and it, yeah that's it, it that's kind of every, hard. it touches every generation that but yeah. like that effigy being the first page especially with the story about black panther it was mega awkward but there were moments where i was like this does feel this actually does feel like a modern story um was it executed well no <laughs> um and a a big part of criticism about black panther comics is that until very recently they were not written by people who were african or african-american or black of any sort (laughs) so you get all of these um stories meant for not just a black audience but a diverse audience but should have been respected better and we're not yeah i think it's huge um 
getting the perspective of the actual people who are able to speak to the experiences of the characters. And I think we see that throughout all of Marvel comics, that when a queer character is written by a queer writer, it lands differently. When a Black character is written by a Black writer, it resonates. And this, while the plot points seem very good, it rings hollow because it doesn't get to what it could have. And again, it's 1990. They weren't really striving for that at this point with this specific character. You could argue that X-Men comics in 1990 would, that they would have gone deeper with this. Claremont would have gone for the jugular if it were something like this, and it would have had like 40,000 more words um, to really... (laughs) Um, drive deep into an economic issue or something like that. Um, I appreciated that they included Black Panther in this book. But again, like you said, Regina, the execution is just off. A fun romp. Um, And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, a Renaissance fair kind of says spring to me. It could even though in Minnesota we have the Renaissance Fair in the fall. Like, that's a spring thing. Okay. Um, Something about (laughs) political intrigue doesn't really say spring special to me. I mean, maybe the spring special was that they were all in bathing suits. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) True. True. Yeah, springtime in Wakanda. Yeah. I will say, though, I did want to say something that uh, Daryl mentioned at the beginning, Ron, Ron Lim being the, the pencil on this. I, I will say that the art, I think, was great. And yes. Ron, Ron is still out there doing things because I remember seeing him last year at San Diego Comic-Con and he had a table. And I was like, wasn't this guy doing books when I first started reading? <laughs> so, Yes. And I want to say he just did a variant cover or something of something that I read too. Like he's out there making really great art still. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I encourage people to look up Ron Lim and stand his art because it's really good. Obviously he's been in the business for decades at this point. So um, he is just the penciler in the story he is not the colorist. Yes. Um, Um, Do not blame him for our gray people wandering around the colorist jim sanders passed away in 2017 r.i.p i hope you learned along the way right uh, <laughs> sounds like me on our show i was be, i was being nice because it's your show but yes i completely hope you learned um <laughs> Before we close out your segment here, obviously this is raising funds for the phenomenal writer Peter David, um, who's known for so many different things, just a really good sense of character when he's writing. He's written some of our favorites in terms of X characters and really been able to spotlight them as well. If we're talking about current series that are out there right now, I think something that we're lacking is a spotlight on characters that have been forgotten, that there's a lot of overlap right now. Um, But Peter David was able to take characters and really give them depth in X Factor, for example. And it's a reason why we love those characters so much. He 
took Monet from Generation X and grew her up. I mean, uh, we got to see adult Monet after she's like, all right, well, call me sometime and didn't leave her telephone number for, <laughs> for the other members of Gen X and do something really fun with her and develop her further. So um, I really hope people check out his GoFundMe, um, check out the things that are posted on our Instagram page that are trying to raise funds for him and contribute. Because I think we can all agree he has lent so much to Marvel Comics and our favorite mutants in general. And I think he's underappreciated because he's not writing current stories. Um, but you can always catch him. He is sort of in the Chris Claremont stage of his career where Marvel is pulling upon him to say, hey, flesh out some of these things that you're legendary for. So he's out there with um, Marvel and Joe Fixit is the current series. So uh, make sure to check him out. And Regina, Regina and I always mention probably at least three times a month how our favorite X-Books are X-Factor Investigation by Peter David. So. so good. Both of you, thank you for joining me. Where can people find you? What can they look forward to? Let's start off with Regina. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Hive at the Red Queen of X. Um, you can find me doing random TikToks <laughs> at House of X Podcast. <laughs> um, upcoming stuff. Well, like you mentioned, I will be at C2E2. Um, I will be helping out with the uncanny experience that is coming up in the fall. Um, and we've got some random fandom stuff that we are working on. So we're excited about that. Dylan, what's going on? Where can we find you? Everybody can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina and I do have an X-Men Facebook group that Daryl is a part of. It is called House of X. Uh, House of X podcast is also on Instagram and Twitter as well. And at the end of March, I'm going to be at WonderCon in Anaheim one weekend. And then the exact weekend after that, I'll be at C2E2 with Regina. Woo! That is some travel. Yes. Um, I'm so excited to see both of you at the Uncanny Experience. People should go and check it out, theuncannyexperience.com. Um, I was there for all the wonderful promotional images that everyone's seeing. And it was so cool yes. to see those creations come to life yes. and then see everything that you and also the videographer did in terms of effects. It's so cool. And I am so, so excited at what both of you are really striving towards with the Uncanny Experience. You both have different parts to play, and I know that you're just doing a phenomenal job, and people are going to love it. So I really want everyone listening to join us there. It's going to be so much fun. Um, it's going to be such a quick weekend, too. Like, once we get into it, um, it's going to breeze by. And um, I'm also working with um, our friends, the Ex-Wife podcast, on some possible meetups um, outside of con hours, too, to give people more chances to chat with people and nerd out, because that's what we come together to do. Yes. And, and yeah, I just wanted to say, Daryl, you helped at the beginning of Uncanny Experiences, commercials and everything. And you're also going to be helping out with something special at uncanny experience so 
yes. factor file listeners, if you're going, Harold's going to be doing stuff. So yeah. go see him. And, and Philip won't be doing stuff, we'll b- but we'll be there anyway. So he'll get to <laughs> wander around um, and I'll be helping out on the ground as well. So we both have some uh, cosplay plans for the first time ever. Both of us <gasps> cosplay. Yeah. Regina's so doing her first cosplay at C2E2. So <laughs> the two of you are having your first. Oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> this is wonderful. Thank you both for joining. And I hope everyone checks out your podcast for weekly coverage of the books because there are definitely some that I don't read. But <laughs> I, I, re- I rely upon podcasts like yours to fill me in. So thank you so much for doing that too. Thank you for having us. All right, bye. Oh, hey, it's me. I'm back again. Um, Time for another little commercial. Have you donated to Peter David and his family yet? Maybe you should. Go click that link on the bio. Um, Peter David is really the only person that I would edit a podcast this much for. Um, The number of tracks and splits that are going on right now is insane. But what's even crazier are the guests I have on next. So I am joined by Flinkman from Power of X-Men. I'm also joined by the X-Wife podcast, and we're talking about two more stories from this issue. We're covering Moon Knight, and we are also covering Magic. So um, two M stories, M&M. We're going to be covering those, and then I'm going to come back here. We're going to chat it up, and then we will go into our penultimate segment because there are two more after this. How excited are you? All right, tune in, and I'll catch you in a little while. All right, we are back for another two stories, and I am joined by three spectacular individuals to help me out with it. So we're going to go with the man from Texas first. Who are you? Where do we know you from? I am Flinkman, and you guys know me as a contributor to the Power of X-Men podcast, as well as just general nerdy things around the interwebs, uh, all, all sorts of nerdy things. And then our friends in Rhode Island. Who are you? Where can we find you? Hi, we're Alicia. And Justin. From the X-Wife podcast. So we have a couple fun stories from this really bizarre spring special to talk about um there's information elsewhere in other segments of this episode but since you know we're recording this and you haven't heard that um the supposition is that these were short stories that maybe were slotted for inclusion on an anthology series like marvel comics presents or something like that and they were just sitting done in an editor's drawer and they're like hey why don't we do something with this art and writing that we paid for and slapped it together in a special um because why not yeah, yeah. what else are you gonna do with it All reading these through these two stories there's nothing springy about it really right no or, or connected no absolutely <laughs> not connected <laughs> um, yeah, zero but- connecting thread through these stories whatsoever other than the fact that you know both characters names start with m but that's just a coincidence i think for our particular segment here so it's a spring special because it came out in the spring Yes. But it has yeah. no other relation to spring. No. Yeah. And I really want to do more of these episodes because there are also summer specials and holiday Ooh. specials. 
And in particular, I want to know if the holiday specials actually have holiday shit in them or not. Which holidays are they? I would assume no. I would assume no. I feel like at this point, Marvel just had like, like you said, like drawers full of of stories. They were just stockpiling stuff because they were at the top of their game, at the top of the market with with a bullet at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised if most of those specials were just more special collections of special stories such as this. I like that they're calling them special, even though they're like, these are our leftover stories. <laughs> they're just, just in case. Rainy it's days. all in the marketing. It's all in the marketing. Yes, yep. exactly. And this is an issue one. I mean, they continued on for several years with quarterly specials, which is bizarre to think about. I mean, like you said, that there has to be just a drawer full of some one-off stories some of them good, some of them okay. Um, <laughs> and um, I propose we start with Moon Knight first, because if you look at the cover, we're getting a lot of Moon Knight promises. He, oh, yeah. He's front and center. He's uh, mysterious. There's a lot of good shading. And there's a demon. Um, spoiler, there is no demon in the Moon Knight story, though. <laughs> Just to draw you in. I, which that's is so, a, that's the connection to magic. Yeah, yeah that is the demon from the magic story. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a limbo. It's a limbo demon. There's our connective tissue. Right. It's on the it's right. on the cover. <laughs> that's it. That's all you get. That's so, all you need. As we open up with the Moon Knight story, we're in the Galleria in Houston. Now I even know what the Galleria is in Houston. Blank. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, did was had you read this when you decided who was gonna do these stories with you? No, but oh. but here you are. Yeah, yeah. To- I mean, it's it's Moon Knight in Texas, so I have to be honest. I'm I'm more intrigued than I normally would be for a Moon Knight story. He's not like at the top of my solo Marvel heroes list, but like. He's in his full Moon Knight drag in the middle of the Houston Galleria right now. So I'm I'm instantly intrigued by this story. I don't think I've ever actually read a Moon Knight story before this. I think mm. there's been a couple of times. There was the one recently where he teamed up with Miss Marvel. And then there's been a couple of stories where like Moon Knight's there. But this is the first Moon Knight-centric story. And especially after the MCU and his debut on Disney Plus, I was interested. I wanted yeah. to learn more. Mark Spector and all the layers involved. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I'm. I think this is probably my first ever Moon Knight story as well. So me sitting here being like, he's not my favorite. That's a totally uninformed <laughs> opinion. You know, comic book fans never have strong uninformed uh <laughs> opinions do we but yeah no i think this is i think this is my first time round with with old mark specter as well what, what about you alicia oh for sure <laughs> yep 100 percent. let's be honest everybody right. knows i don't read that many comics that are not x-men comics so and why would you right. why would you no but i'm into moon knight i think he's cool so i i was happy when i found out moon knight was on the list i was like let's go and in my mind, Moon Knight is sort of in that, I don't know, it's probably wrong because it's based off of like me being seven years old or something, but it's like Moon Knight and Punisher and all the vigilante characters sort of yeah. exist in their own bubble and mm-hmm. I've never gravitated towards it. So, yeah. Except I for think, Daredevil. 
Daredevil is the exception for me. I don't know if you lump him in with those characters, but he's the only street level Marvel hero I've ever really been super into. Yeah, I actually really want to start Anne Nascenti's run on Daredevil. Like, forget Frank Miller. I want Anne Nascenti's storytelling. Yes, yes. You, you, you Typhoid uh, Mary is peak, peak Daredevil. Yeah. So this mall is much like the Mall of America here in Minnesota, where it has everything inside of it, including a skating rink. Which yep. is bananas. Yeah, like we don't even have a skating rink in our mall. Like we have Wait, a y'all don't park, have... But... Every city doesn't have a galleria with a skating rink because Dallas also has a has a galleria built around a skating rink. So I just yeah. thought that was a thing. We have no. a skating rink that's like down the street from a mall, but they are very separate entities. Yeah. And, and the skating rink is purely outside and only a skating rink, like an ice skating rink in the winter. In yeah. the summer, it's a roller skating rink. Skate park. Wow, versatility. I, I mean... <laughs> Now that I'm thinking about it, there are like four or five malls just in my immediate Metroplex that have ice skating rinks. So I'm a little bit shocked that that's not like a standard United maybe, States of America thing. Maybe just because temperature wise. Well, actually, you could have just an ice rink. Huh. I'm intrigued by this. Sorry. Didn't okay. mean to go off on a, on a tangent. Know, just, this must be a Texas thing. We're going to investigate this later. Oh, what isn't a Texas thing is some petty crime that Moon Knight, as you say, Flink, in his full drag <laughs> in a mall, like he's there shopping and he's like, you know what? I see some crime. And I must stop it. Yeah, and he does. But then I don't know if this is mall security. I mean, to me, this is very Texas that mall security might have actual pistols. And... um. They put a quick stop and they're like, Mr. Knight, come with us. Like, we will shoot the fuck out of you if you don't. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would like to say that that's not in the realm of possibilities, but unfortunately, Texas gonna Texas in that, in, in that respect. I love his immediate remorse in his internal monologue, too. I mean, I, just reading this, you don't get internal monologue like this. You haven't gotten something like this for years. But to just have him working through the regret of what he's done and how it's now opened up into this potential problem with all these civilians really added another layer into getting to know him as a character. Right. I, I, I agree. I think it, it, I don't know if tracking down pickpockets at the, at the Houston Galleria is necessarily the best use of a superhero's <laughs> time, but I, I like that he gives us his entire motivation for why he thinks this petty crime is, is worthy of him literally swooping down with his billowing cape to punch these people in, in the back. Um, so he's in the police station and he encounters a bad typist, which I think is becoming more rare in today's world, where he's like, oh no, a hunt and pecker, which I definitely was in those bullshit typing classes we had to do in elementary school. I lifted the garden cheated so I could go a little quicker um you rebel i know so uh, he's basically uh, getting a warning but they're still typing up something for his record it seems like with carbon paper with carbon paper instantly dated instantly yeah they don't have a mimeograph machine at this police station so they need to use the carbons and we don't know if it's double or triplicate 
Um, it is oh. bureaucracy in Texas and probably be triplicate. Yeah, probably. It is safe to be sure, you know. But then he is basically let go. And I really like this note where he's talking about his suit that he's wearing, like <laughs> not his Moon Knight suit, but his actual like shirt and tie suit. Yeah. Where yeah. he's really concerned about it, you know getting wrinkly and everything and he's like maybe i should switch to polyester double knits and i'm like baby no you don't want that you're gonna sweat so much that's not good for you i also like that he he's like i am a real person and i think that these officers know that but i still can't let them know who i am but i'm just so i'm just gonna change like everything from the neck down but i'm just gonna walk out with my yeah and just just such a silly little transition of like what are you doing if you're that police officer just driving him home and you're like moon Knight is changing in the back of my car but he's still staying secret yeah like this entire scene with the police is just kind of ridiculous to me like they arrest him they take him downtown but they don't arrest him and they don't make him take off his mask and then he just changes in the car and then he gives them an autograph. Like, I didn't know Moon Knight was like a celebrity hero like that. So there's just like a lot of like, what the fuck is happening here? But like in that ridiculous best kind of comic book way, you know? Like don't ask too many questions, just kind of go with with the nonsense. And we know that he can change in the back of a cop car because there are no seatbelts in police vehicles for anyone sitting in the back. That is a hard seat that they can hose off. So he is- Speaking from experience, of course. He is, (laughs) well, from from, uh, prior professional experiences where I had to, see people arrested and put into cop cars and be like bye um you're someone else's problem now you're you're not mine (laughs) um yes but he would be slip sliding even if he's wearing a wool suit like every time they take a right or a left turn he's just like slamming into one of the doors as they're going um and then we see it, his face as he takes off the hood, and I really think he should have kept the hood on because yeah, that's unfortunate. that that's a there's some like Dick Tracy villain vibes going on with this with this unmasked face here. He's looking his uh, his Dick Tracy villain name would be like cheekbones or yeah, something so like that. His eyes like, are so small. Yeah, his eyes are so small. Beady, cheekbones McBeady eyes or yeah, yeah, some yeah, yeah. shit like that cheekbones <laughs> get in here and he is going to check his messages in his hotel room and because the desk would have gathered them he's like oh no messages and well uh, I have a suit that needs pressing badly his sartorial choices are really a focus for at least a good quarter of this story. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, it, it the, I, I guess I was really, the Moon Knight show really confused me as to like who Mark Spector is. Like, mm-hmm. it, I guess he's rich and I guess he could like, Jeeves, come press my suit real quick, my fancy suit. Like, I don't, I don't, this is all very not the picture of Moon Knight I, I had in my head. Mm. also did he change again 
so that they could press the suit and then put the suit back on? Is that why he was late for dinner? Ooh. No, yeah, I think it's a different suit because he's in a tux oh. in the next scene. Yes. He has multiple suits because he's full of money. Yeah. He can't have a wrinkled suit. Right. Not for a dinner party. Yeah. So, Justin, who do we see next? We're in a rundown, scummy hotel room. It's probably a motel. It's not even a hotel. It's a motel. The, oh, you mean his, his villain name, the Raptor? Yeah. We get the, the build of this character as he suits up in all of his specialized weapons. I, I just, okay. So based on the description of, of the Brooks Hotel, like you said, it's probably a, a motel. But, but also it's like every hotel I've, I've ever stayed at in, in Houston as well. Uh, just, just saying. But how do these like seemingly broke supervillains afford adamantium? Yeah, it's a great question. He, it says he used like the last of his savings. Like, well, how much? Where do you buy? I, I just yeah. questions, questions <laughs> again that I'm thinking too much, too much about this. Too many C-list villains can get their hands on adamantium. I'm just saying. And I would push back and say that he's not really a villain. Like right. he invented some stuff, and then the corporation Roxon, Roxon, which is a traditional it, Marvel, just evil corporation anonymous with bad uh, yeah i wonder who they're a cipher for <laughs> so they um took his designs and they're like well you developed it while you worked for us so it's actually ours and he spent most of his fortune fighting a legal battle and then what remained he actually made a version of the suit so in my mind he's not really that yeah. bad no no just, no Getting back what owed is owed, you know? He's yeah. just trying to... Maybe he would have even been a hero if he got to keep his tech that he invented. Maybe. I mean, yeah. is it is this a character that anybody is familiar with or seen elsewhere? No. Okay. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know. Because, you know, there's all kinds of, of quote-unquote villains like this floating around the Marvel Universe. And he gives, like, a real, like, Silver Age motivation kind of kind of vibe. You know, like, when when Marvel villains were, were, you kind of were on their side a little bit. Right. And he's a raptor. We are in a pre-Jurassic Park world in 1990. So mm -hmm. this is a raptor like a bird and not a raptor like a velociraptor. I didn't even, like, put it together that it was... A raptor bird and not i was like oh yeah a raptor a dinosaur i'm like wait that's totally not even the, not even in, yeah. in the same family of dinosaurs i was I mean, like mm, are you sure you're not a pterodactyl like <laughs> really it's not really raptor looking sir you don't travel in packs either so there's always one like don't look for the one in front of you look for the raptors on the side of you that would right. be a thing if he started a crime family of raptors raptors yeah no then you have legitimacy that's a yeah. great crime family right there let's get it going need more money yeah mark specter shows up at a restaurant and they're like yo you're more than 15 minutes late we don't hold your table what the fuck are you on about and he's like wait a minute and but then the manager saves his ass and calls him Jake, which is when I start getting really confused because from here on out, there are so many different random names thrown into the story. You're like, who, what? Like I get yeah. Mark Spector's different personalities. Yeah. He yeah. explains that, but then they toss in other references and they're like, 
oh yeah you know about like someone who's named Frenchie at, um yeah there's a Crawley there's yeah. a Marlene like it is so confusing and I don't know if I even want to read more about Moon Knight and his social life to understand yeah like because he was talking about how he all these people dropped him at once and then I'm like I just assume that he was not from Texas but he seems to have a lot of like connections in this area so clearly I don't know anything yeah same same I guess I kind of assumed my assumption and I this is just like the headcanon I there's not I there probably is nothing in the story to support this but my headcanon for it was like he is in Houston to track down this 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 woman uh that he used to know that's Mm. that's the vibe that I applied to it I don't know if that tracks with with it at all I think it makes sense because yeah. he has this dinner reservation and he knows At like her place. She now runs this place. So that do we ever get her name? Did I miss that? Because I I was Gina. Gina. Is what? it Gina? Jenna? Oh, G-E-N-A, Gina. Right? Yeah. Okay. I know a Gina that spells her name like that, and I know a Jenna that spells her name like that. Oh. Um, it could be Ginna for all we know. Ginna. So he looks out the window at this restaurant and sees the raptor (laughs) flying and he's like, peace, (laughs) Frenchie, get the copter. Like, what the fuck? Frenchie. Who is Frenchie? Did he take a helicopter to this restaurant? No, he has it stored somewhere. He he says he paid a lot of money to have his helicopter stored somewhere so that people would recognize him. And this raptor doesn't even know that he's Moon Knight. There's just so much happening here that I don't understand. And this is the story they let off this issue with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're still with us, then. (laughs) I feel like I was like, when I read this, I was like, this is a pretty straightforward story. So I don't have like a shitload of thoughts on it. But now that we're like talking about it, I'm realizing, oh, this really didn't make that much sense at all did it (laughs) so uh, we see what raptor's after he's after the nouveau riche carl ralston he's in his penthouse he has a a jewel behind some lasers and uh, pressure sensitive floors and walls uh and he wants to steal this jewel because i think carl ralston is the head of roxon yes so uh, it's like a little revenge and um he is like that doesn't matter i can fly so i'm not gonna put pressure on anything yeah i love how it's like oh they have all this tech they have all this tech well i have exactly what i need to get around every single defense that they've set up for this type of person i mean if this is the last of his his savings like he spent his last dollar on all this shit he bought the he and his investment was well spent like he basically accomplishes exactly has the tools to accomplish exactly what he set out to do so kudos kudos to the raptor for for good investments it's just unfortunate that pesky moon knight parked his helicopter close yep doesn't pay off all right, Flink, you said it was a cut and dry issue. Walk us through this cut and dry fight scene. I mean, okay, so he literally just kind of drops down from from his helicopter, punches the dude in the face. They go back and forth like 
one of them's falling, one of them has the advantage, one of them's falling, one of them has the advantage. And then they continue just to pull out all of the tricks and their utility belts to to counter counter the other. And it's just, it, you know, it is very by the numbers. It's uh, uh, panels of, 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 of basic fight scenes. There's nothing, yeah, there's nothing super special about it, but again, I uh, the 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 end where Moon Knight defeats him simply by removing the batteries yeah. is is kind of genius in its absurdity. So uh, again, I'm swinging back towards okay, this was this was fun in in the absurd kind of way. Mm-hmm. Well, I love the fact that he injures his hand punching the guy in his, his metal, <laughs> <laughs> and to have like that's why you've lost the advantage, Moon Knight, because you didn't think that I was wearing armor. Careless. Yeah, the the battery ripping off, and the to have a villain or or a presumed villain shout at you that you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, 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 you better believe it. Without these batteries, we'll fall. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, uh, we assume the poor raptor is arrested after this because we cut to the next morning. Right. Yeah, no transition there whatsoever. He just, Moon Knight says, uncle, like, and that, that's it. It's over. It's done. We no more. Like, what's going on? I think this is when the writer realized, shit, I have only two pages left. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up. Gotta get out of here. So they are, where are they, Flink? Do you know where this is? Yes. Right. Yes. This is Tranquility uh, Park. It is a real place. Um, and I, I think it's probably a lot smaller now than it than it was then as they've built up uh, the downtown area. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was built uh, to commemorate the moon landing. Oh, that I, makes sense, yeah. Yeah, given NASA in, in Houston. So... Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a real place, which is, which is always fun. Um, you know, a lot of Dallas landmarks, uh, show up in, you know, in Forge stories in, in the Claremont run. So it's always fun to see places that I actually know. And then I have actually been, uh, I believe there were, were dinosaurs in the Dallas Galleria during Fall of the Mutant. So I, you know, ridiculous stuff like that is, is a little bit better than a pensive, Moon Knight making a wish at a fountain uh, that I've made a wish at, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take a little Texas love. And, but oh, there's still bet- some what the fuck faces happening in, oh, throughout this um, art here. So I looked at the credits for this story and I recognize no one. Um, it, oh, I I know. Oh, I do know uh, Mike Gustavich, but what do I know him from? Hold on. I say that like I don't encounter like 900 names comic a day. Book professional names every day at this point. Let me see. But yeah, the the penciling is ooh, he has a potato head in that last page. Potato head. There's there's a, a lot of of close eyes uh throughout the art, just randomly, like Gina has them at one point. It's just there's no consistency in the faces. I okay, I guess I only know him as like a, as a, as a rando because according to Wikipedia, his notable works are Cobalt Blue, Justice Machine and Icon. Oh. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, um yeah, no, I don't know him. He is. We can talk. We can talk smack about him. I recognize the letterer and that was the only Bill Oakley. That's the only one that stuck out. The art could have been saved if 
maybe in a few years this artist went to where Justin really wanted to go to, the Kubert School of Art, um, yeah. he would have learned about proper eye spacing. <laughs> At least his eyes got bigger. Yeah, they actually, the they actually like, fit on his face They're now. a little bit more proportionate <laughs> to his face at the end, so. So basically, he makes a wish for tranquility, a sense of purpose, <laughs> the good that they do. Like, general positive vibes, I think, yeah. is yeah. what he's yeah. wishing for. L- yeah. Literally took the words right out of my mouth. She's like, listen, you've done good stuff. You're better okay? than giving yourself credit. <laughs> you've done stuff. Because of you. Yeah. Thanks for your stuff, Moon Knight. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming to Texas and stopping those muggers and stopping the Talon from getting or Talon. That's not even his name, but it would be a better name. The Raptor. The Raptor uh, from getting his like deserved revenge on 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 capitalism. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you know what? I Moon Knight's kind of a dick. She's <laughs> like, I would invite you back to have another dinner, but it's like totally booked for the next two weeks. So, like, <laughs> I know I manage it, but. You know how it goes. Yeah. Can't get you in. Won't even show up on time. Yeah. <laughs> Take oh. your helicopter and get the fuck out. So there is, when they're, they're here in the second to last page, there is actually a reference to how they know each other. She says, when we met, I owned a greasy little diner in New York. So no. I guess and that's where I got. It has been a minute since I've read this. And he so. he was a taxi driver and like drove her kids around or something. Yeah. That's yes. yeah. His personality of Jake and I forget the last name was a cabbie. I and now he's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I you know I I never realized I I guess I'd always kind of heard that they Batman and Moon Knight were were similar characters that he was kind of their like Marvel's answer to to Batman in ways but like. I feel like this writer really, really went out of their way to make him more Batman-y. Like, what's the who's it? Robert M. Ingersoll is is the writer. Yeah, Ingersoll is is really leaning into that that Batman angle here. Yeah, he wanted to write Batman, but he got Moon Knight instead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, work for himself. I have this really great Batman story, so I'm just gonna sell it to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> Batman is in Houston. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let's get past that unless anyone has last thoughts on Moon Knight. Does this make you want to read more? Not I, particularly. It, it doesn't discourage me from reading more, but it also, at the same time, doesn't, doesn't compel me to be like, oh, wow, yeah. Mark Victor, interesting guy. Yeah. I feel like Moon Knight stories now have to be very different to this so like perhaps i don't perhaps i don't want to judge you know moon knight's canon on on the back of this spring special story or maybe i do i don't know i'm I'm not sure but i i will say that like i was happy to see a story set in texas that isn't you know cowboys Mm. uh the initiative uh, you know, however, 15 years ago, however many years ago uh, the initiative happened, uh, it always kind of like bothered me that our team was the Texas Rangers and it was filled with characters like Phantom Rider, Texas Twister and Armadillo. So and like, Phantom Rider is so problematic. So like I won't get on a Phantom Rider tangent right now, 
but it does connect to West Coast Avengers where Moon Knight previously was before this issue. He showed up for like five issues and he was like, you know what? This isn't for me. And and that's what a lot of the readers said by the end of that run. You know, not for me, Phantom Rider. Yeah, I mean, basically it was just nice to not see a cowboy hat or Mm -hmm. a boot anywhere in this. I feel like Texas stereotyping is, is a thing. And it's not always, especially in the city, especially not in a city like Houston, it's not always justified. So good on, you know, Mike Gustavich for for not leaning into the stereotypes for Texas here. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. So leading into our second story, we have Sue Flaxman as the writer. I don't recognize her, but I'm loving that there's a woman writer on this story. Um. Rodney Ramos is our penciler, Pat Redding our inker, and Pete Ciccone as our letterer, Linda Ryan our colorist. I don't recognize any of these names at all. Not a one. Nobody. Um, So this might have been a tryout story for one or more of them, but I really want to turn this over to Alicia because... (sighs) I was so excited that one, we have a magic story in this book, and two, that you were so excited to read a bit more of Ileana. Oh my gosh, any chance I get to read Ileana, I'm here for it. So I love this story. I'm going to say that because I I just love magic's ability to just be like, there's a problem, I'm going to solve it. Yeah. We're going to go for this thing and we're going to do it. And she just, she doesn't care like what else she's got going on or like about rule breaking as long as she's yep. getting something done. I don't need to tell the team. I don't need to tell Magneto. Like I got, I this. don't need to tell anybody. No, I just need to just save this woman. So it's all good. So uh, we're starting out with a title, an untold tale of magic. Who wants to live forever? And magic is really like, She's going hard fighting demons in the danger room. She's just like replaying her fights over and over again. And on a side note, I have to say that this look, oh yeah, I'm about this look. So good. Like, where's our Marvel legend of magic? Right. Is in- is this a canon look? Like, is this just something they threw together? Like, I've seen elements, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a mid-transitional form between Dark Child and Ileana, which we've seen pieces of, but I don't know in this exact assemblage. It's nice. I I was going to comment on it on on it as well. I like this this sort of midway form for her. And I like that it it is easily, you know, she's like in this danger room situation, she's in this look and then when she gets pulled out because there's a lady here to see her, now she's just in like jeans and a pink t-shirt chilling comfy she just chilling she's gotta see what this lady has to tell her and you know for hundreds of years this woman marie marie has been looking for her and she's like i love love when she's like i've been looking for you for hundreds of years and magic is like excuse me what (laughs) what are you saying and essentially she's like under a spell of Belasco's because he can't possibly have anyone mess with him ever. So ever. now she just has to live forever and she just really doesn't want to anymore. So she's like, so listen, I found out that you at one point were in charge of limbo and I would just like it if we could go back there. 
we sneak into Belasco's tower. We do some spells and you free me from this treachery of my endless life because um, I just don't want to do it anymore. And um, Mayor, it's not even Marie. I just checked to make sure it, oh. was, it is Mayor. Oh, Mayor. Oh, I, so I actually think it's based on her last name being O'Connell. I actually think it's Myra. I think she's Irish. I think it's Myra O'Connell. Is what I is my okay. my so guess. Myra is wearing a real Charlie Brown ass sweater in yeah, green yeah. instead of yellow. Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty's kid from an alternate future. Yes, who was yeah. flung back in time and got involved with Belasco. I was unusually suspicious of this character. Really? Like I, like I, yeah. The whole thing just felt suspect that she would just Highly. show up at your door and be like, I've been looking for you for all this time. Take me to your magical place where there's demons running amok and you don't really have control. Like it felt like a trap. It felt like Belasco's trap, but. Oh, that's interesting. I, I am so with you. I was like, this is too easy. She's yeah. like got this plan. It's so specific. Like she's telling her exactly what she wants to do, and Matt is like, "Okay, let's do it. If I must, like all this inside info." The arms up as she goes in, into her stepping disc. She's like, <laughs> like "Yeah, okay. let's go, let's, let's go, go, girl." <laughs> and, and to get to get through that stepping disc, I had Cannon. They're jumping on the couch. They're just oh, bouncing there. They totally are. are. Like they're waiting and they're like, oh, fun, okay. And then she's like, wait. <laughs> when does it happen? How long do we jump? <laughs> is it now? Is it now? Here it Let's is. Let's jump into hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just like the like, the we're back bitches energy that magic has as she gets in and she just like sees all the demons and she's like, hey, what's up demons? I'm ready to kill you. It's been a while. Uh, she, she's perfect. so sassy too. Like I, I, I don't remember. I mean, it, it's been a long time since I've I've read New Mutants, Ileana. I'm going to be honest, but like coming in, being all ha, you miss sucker, ha, couldn't get me. As Brother Peter says, alley oop. Like I feel it's a little cheery for this era, Ileana. But again, I'm 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 here for it. Like she's fucking around with these demons she is not just like fighting them off she is purposefully antagonizing them oh yeah yeah I do feel like probably she has a little bit more of a trauma response to limbo than she's actually showing in this issue but at the same time I just I don't care that it's <laughs> oh, not yeah. really accurate because I'm like oh girl get those demons yes I, I actually feel like this reads a lot like more like modern Ileana than it does yeah. classic Ileana because I feel I could see modern Ileana coming in here and mm -hmm. being yeah. sassy and and really messing things up like this. But yes, it, I, I, I love it. Whether it, it jives, who I, like when is this even supposed to be? Like, I, who cares? It's fun. It's so so they need to find a specific book in Belasco's library to reverse this, reverse this spell. And uh, they roll in and Myra is like, Belasco's library, it's just as I left it. Like 500 years. He's not a big reader. Um, <laughs> like, he doesn't it's go more decorative here. where he's like, I have a library. And it's like, okay, beast, like 
we won't go to the West Wing or whatever, but that's cool that you have a library. Because like right. magic would have been here in between those times, right? Right. She, she has been in the library. She has read from these books. And not not in a spoilery way at all. But in New Mutants, we see, like in more current New Mutants, we see this library. So I was like excited because I was like, oh, the library. I've been there before. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that doesn't often happen for me when I read older comics. I'm yeah. often like, what's happening? Yeah. That's so cool that there's a connection point that's, I think we can go if we want headcanon this entire story and say it's current. It would yeah. still work. I kind and of agree with that. It just reads more current than it does classic. Yes. So they have to search all these books and it looks real sloppy. They're like experiments that Velasco is like, fuck this beaker. I'm just going to leave it tipped over on this table yeah. with yeah. this green fluid flowing out of it. Um, Ileana's turning blue from blowing off dust <laughs> it, so much. It's a really weird little art tick there, but I like it. So it seems like they're searching for a long time. And then the most joyous part of this entire story, which says something. Yeehaw! She finds, she being Ileana, finds the book and does like a happy dance. Yeah. I, she she yeehaws, yeah. um, which immediately is more Texan than the entire Moon Knight story we <laughs> we just read. So I you know I'll, I didn't expect to get a yeehaw from from Ileana, but that's where I, I'm happy to get it. And uh, I don't know much about Magic's powers in terms of how she can is say them, uh, apparently she can't be interrupted or they disappear from this book. Which yeah. is crazy. Which, I was like, what? Which I, I think is just the best excuse to adapt into my personal life. Like, hey, once I start a project, if you interrupt me while I'm doing this project, I, I can't finish it. So it will done. Disappear. disappear. Sorry, we can't. Literally we can't disappears. Sorry. Them's the and rule. She's like Myra. Okay, I'm going to start this, but you have to, like, fight off any demons. But don't worry, no demons should come in. Like, this window's pretty high up. Yeah, like, I put spells to protect us, so, like, we're good. But also, they might come and just don't let them interrupt me or we fail. And immediately after she starts the spell, what happens? Demons. Which is crazy because in the context of the story, they were searching the library for hours already. But the second she starts that spell, here well, they, they come. They it's, sense her magic. Right. They're drawn to it. Oh, fair. There is an actual logical explanation for that. Fair. Yeah, but Sim, of all people, like Sim has taken time out of his very busy day. Like... His outlook is back to back, but he's like, you know what? I can fit this meeting in if it's yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, oh, Myra, surprised to see you. How long has it been? And she's like, bitch, you know how long it's been. <laughs> you know. I'm screwy in limbo. Oh, I love it. Uh, so it, she, it, it, she picks up, this can't be the soul sword, can it? No, I think no. this is. I think this is a decorative sword from the wall. There it is. Yeah, yeah. There's some decorative swords and axes next to the door, as, as you do. All libraries have. And yes, of course. 
Um, she's chopping off limbs. Like, Myra's take no prisoners. I will murder all of you. Yeah. She's got to protect that bubble they're of tech. magic. You know, they're techno-organic. They, they can grow back. She wants to she wants to be mortal. She wants to live. She wants to be able to die. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Ileana completes the spell, and as soon as it happens, then she dies. Then Myra gets fucking stabbed right in the guts. Like really it, intensely, just right yeah. in there. This this emotional look on Ileana's face in that last panel. She's so mad at Sam. Pissed. Pissed. What the and hell? I mean, be careful what you wish for, Myra girl. I mean, this is yeah. literally what you wanted. This you was the goal. I mean, what 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 were we going to do? Go back to the mansion and then have someone on the New Mutants kill you? I, uh, that would have been even more uncomfortable. I think she kind of wanted to just like live Peacefully a regular die. life okay. and, and age and die. I don't think her intent was to immediately die. No, she I mean, die. she's lived for 500 years and got to die looking like a teenager. <laughs> she, I, I think she's got, got a, a pretty good end of the deal she had a great time yeah yeah and she died uh, chopping off demon limbs in limbo with Ileana rasputin yeah it's not a good bad way to, way to go honestly uh Ileana blasts him out of the side of the library and blasts the rest of the demons out the hole too and she is back at xavier's school we have uh, Magneto in shadow, not looking like Magneto. He looks very ill. Yeah. He looks very <laughs> pale. Um, they did change Myra out of her Charlie Brown sweater. She's in a more appropriate hospital gown, which that sweater still looks good. So maybe Ileana kept it. She so might have. I I know all of the current ex artists are listening to this podcast right now, and. Obviously. I really want one of them to draw Ileana in this sweater, but then change her into this armor immediately afterwards. Yes. Like it it honestly it looks like the sweater that she's uh, I mean a little bit looks like the sweater that she's wearing in the holiday. Oh my god, you're so right. Wow. We're we're going with it. Canon. It is. It is. It is. That's where she got it. And, and it and any variances in design, we can we can chalk up to she had to patch it. There was right. obviously a hole in it. Or so if it's a different put, color, she had to dye it. There was blood. It, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. It, fair enough. It. That is quite close. Yeah, it, it is. Canon. Canon. And and the, the, the extra is. white spots on, on that are, is the bleach from trying to get the blood out. Yep. So right. exactly. absolutely exactly. confirmed. We've all been there. Eliana has been very busy. She ruled Limbo for a time. She doesn't know how to use bleach. No. Plus, there's a giant hole from the stab wound, so you got to get some other fabric to stitch over it. Yeah. Great with a needle and thread, but... She is crafty. That magic, so crafty. So magic and crafty. And she's like, Magneto, is there a chance? And he's like, fuck no, there isn't. She's dead. She's basically dead right now. And then killed a lot of people and yeah I myra slips loose this mortal coil and we know <laughs> this because there's a monitor that flatlines 
Um, very insensitively. Like if they knew there that she is going to die, just like turn it off. Just right. Yeah. Turn off the power to that. We don't need to hear it. Um, but I feel that Magneto is near to a heel turn here. So he was like, no, I'm gonna fuck with her. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first step in my path to being evil again. I also love that as as she's dying, she says, I love you, Ileana. Like, I love you. I've known you for five seconds, but I love you. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Thank you for That's your service. She's like, have you read Romeo and Juliet? Because she's from the <laughs> 1500s. And that's yeah. the only shit that this woman has been reading for five centuries. Is like, yeah. yo, have you heard of Shakespeare? Yeah. You Damn. That man Save knows how to write. Save your strength, Myra. You're going to survive this. She's like, you know, one time I hooked up with this author at Stratford-upon-Avon and he <laughs> threw the D so well. And like uh, one of his books, it, one of the plays he came up with, it, it's Romeo and Juliet. I'm like- You probably uh, haven't heard of it. Yeah, you probably haven't heard of it, but like it's super good. I inspired it. Inspired by me. <laughs> inspired by me right now. I couldn't die. In my sweater. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wear it forever wear it to all of your holiday functions yeah. <laughs> yes. so uh, what do we think about this magic story overall this is great I thought this was a lot of fun I, it was surprisingly emotional for, for I, I was not expecting it to, to hit as deep especially to Ilyana but uh, to kind of dredge up some of these traumatic experiences in her life and you know, to, to meet someone else who was manipulated by Velasco and, and to mm. be traumatized for time and, and to lose part of their life or, or the, the reverse effect to be stuck in a part of their life. I thought it was really, really good for her core of her character. Yeah. And, and like, in addition to being like kind of deep, it was also a really dense story and it was dense with like Ileana's history but not in like a heavy-handed way and you know I'm we established that nobody here is familiar with Sue Flaxman uh but she's like very clearly a disciple of of bronze and copper age Claremont so she is packing lots of information into the limited space uh that she has here and I think you know, for me, I do feel like this is the kind of story that might have landed a little bit better with more room. Mm. Um, it was a little too brief and Myra was maybe a little too random um, for me to truly, you know, connect with her. But I, again, it was a lot of story and it was a good story. And I appreciate how relevant it was to the character uh, of magic, especially after something that was just so disposable and meaningless as as the Moon Knight story. Yeah. I feel too like what's interesting as we're talking about these stories and and thinking about Marvel Unlimited stories now and like the X-Men Unlimited comics, how like they're really short, but some of them really pack a punch with like a lot of information. I feel like this is basically what Marvel Unlimited yeah. is now. Right. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. these little stories are just like slice of life. This is like something that happened that you may or may not have known about in this character's continuity. And we're just going to give you like a little taste of it. And some of them are going to be like really, really full of stuff. And other ones are going to be like they went to the supermarket. Yeah. And you're like, 
Good. Great. That's also a thing they do. Yeah, I definitely would agree and think that that is a good observation that this is kind of the precursor to to what we get on on Marvel Unlimited now. That's that's an astute observation. Yeah, because Marvel Unlimited is where they're trying people out and where they're trying the artists out, the writers out. They're also trying characters out, I feel. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely got that vibe reading through the Mad Rocks and Strong Guy story mm-hmm. where they're like, let's see if any of this really lands for current readers because it's been a hot second Even since the, those the characters have been too. in a book. Yeah. The the maggot story. A yeah. while. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, and it was so good for uh, an interesting question in Resurrection to just kind of be happening in a, a one-off yeah, mm-hmm. unlimited story. I mean, it was also probably the best maggot story we yeah, yeah. like ever had and he's existed for almost 30 years at this point it's which right. oh my god that's a wild thing to say out loud <laughs> it makes me feel quite quite old uh honestly Ooh, let's new subject my god and it, this, i'll switch it this story really resonated with me for a couple reasons one i really like magic's development and mm-hmm. how she fits into the team but again like you said alicia she goes off and does her own thing she's like i'm not telling the team like I ruled like a queendom, so yeah. I can check out when I want to. Who's going Literally, to check? I have a I have a stepping desk by. Hey. Um, yeah, it's activated by the middle cushion on this couch. <laughs> and a real hard. I, uh, in a way that I struggle. It's opposite how I struggle with some of the Claremont stories, and frankly, a lot of late '80s, early '90s Marvel can be so wordy. To the point where you are like, shit, I have been reading these three pages and it's taken me 20 (laughs) minutes and I don't know what's happening. I actually, I read this quickly and it is dense, but I consumed mostly everything and more of it came out while we were talking, but it, it's a page turner. You keep going through it. If this were in current comics in terms of the printed comics, I could see this arc being several issues long following just her as like the B story or the B plot. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if it was an unlimited, like this would be like a 10 part Marvel unlimited (laughs) scrolling story. And I can even visualize how it would look scrolling vertically and what visuals they would use because a lot of them would be the same, honestly. So um I w- I'm going to track down Sue Flaxman after this and be like, hey, this is random, um, but you wrote a, a good story in 1990. I, I, having looked at her uh, wiki on Marvel fandom, she, she has not, she did not write, she edited some comics here and there uh, for a couple of years into the early 90s, but it doesn't look like she had much of a career in comics after that. So oh, I, don't, I don't think it'll be hard to track down. Interesting. All right, I'm going to give it the college try because why not? Why not? Yeah, Bring us all back for this Sue and, Flaxman and, uh, episode. Give her some kudos. Who doesn't like hearing good things about something they worked on? Right. Can we get I mean, her to write like a magic fan fiction maybe? Ooh. She literally has X-Man in her last name. I'm just saying. She is She is like our people. She it's is there. our people. 
All right. Any other thoughts on really anything? I, I, I just the little comments that, that you made about how this would, how expanded a story like this would be if it were published now makes me really appreciate it a, a lot more. I, I hate the age of decompressed stories. Like I don't like stories that could be just as powerful in, in, in half the pages. Uh, so it, it, thinking about that, it really made me appreciate this story a lot more and how it accomplished so much in mm-hmm. so few pages. And, and I, I'm, I'm nostalgic for, for comics that, that pack that kind of punch, honestly. Um, I, I really, the more I think about it, the more I appreciated, uh, this, this story. Yeah, I, I think that this whole experience was really just a fun thing to kind of look at and think, kind of reminds me of the, um, like the what if issues, like they're just these little stories that you get to get a taste of that maybe you wouldn't normally come across. Like even if this was coming out right now and you were picking it up, the fact that there's so many different stories within this one issue, it's a good way to get a taste of all the characters and just sort of say like, all right, I'm into this and not into this or just the dynamics of how page tourney this one was where the moon knight one was like a little bit more mundane and you're like okay is that what all moon knight stories are like i wonder yeah yeah yeah, it was a good it was was a good sampler sampler platter i i I liked it and and even even you know obviously the moon knight story was was inferior but i even still enjoyed it in its own ridiculous Mm -hmm. like faux batman kind of way i wouldn't say that it was any sort of you know i I read some comics i'm like well that was time i'm i'm never i'm never going to get back and neither of these stories mercifully neither of these stories were that at all Mm. yeah it this it even at the start even before talking about it it reminds me of the identity themed voices issues that come out now right so to have this sampling of characters and those are even more intentionally built to be launching points for new characters. We've had a number of first appearances in those. They are very continuity respective. They are intentionally uh, solicited for that volume. And I think, you know, even to the point of this was issue one, I was like, well, are, aren't they all issue ones? Isn't that what they do? Like every year, like <laughs> next spring special will be the, the 1994 issue one, no? Yeah. Uh, but but to have this random assemblage of mutant character or Marvel characters from all around the universe, yeah, let's go connect to anybody. It's also cool to know that like you know we're going through the creative teams and we're saying like oh we don't know that person we don't know that person but maybe this is someone's only chance to to yeah. work on a Marvel book and they got that opportunity through this so. It's cool that they're like, oh, we've had we have these stories that maybe were pitched to us or, you know, that we're not going to be able to give like the full life that we that the original creator like wanted them to have. But at least they get the opportunity to have some life, which mm-hmm. is is cool. Yeah, they'll always have the Marvel superheroes 1990 spring special. And that's more than I have. So <laughs> kudos to, I, I, I'm. Kudos to all of them. I mean, and I'm I'm scrolling through and I'm looking, trying to see, are there any names in any of these stories that that I recognize? And Ron Lim, who does the Black Panther story. Oh, my God. Steve, 
Okay, well, the real names are in the Speedball story because they have Fabian Nitsieza and Steve Ditko. So oh. it's, this isn't this yeah. isn't a, a, a trying ground uh, for for everyone. But brother it, brother Voodoo has Scott Lobdell. Oh, hey so. Scott. Oh, and Fred Hembeck. Okay, so yeah, I it, this is actually a nice a nice mix of of characters or I'm sorry creators uh that i've heard of and fred hembeck though he's a cartoonist like he's like a newspaper comic strip style artist so seeing him tackle this and by the way i don't expect people to know that that's a name i only know because i have (laughs) to deal with all of that nonsense now but that's cool i never so that that makes the appeal of this even even more you have legends like steve ditko alongside up-and-comers like ron Lim, who would go on to factor heavily into like early 90s cosmic marvel alongside like newspaper cartoonists alongside a bunch of unknowns so this is really kind of a cool grab bag of of like different sorts of of marvel people here i didn't realize i i fully admit i only read the homework the assigned the assigned homework so (laughs) Um, it's 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 interesting to see how varied the rest of this actually is and Steve Ditko sure does draw a chonky speedball doesn't he oh yeah don't we cover that so hopefully the three of you listen to the other segments of this episode because um they are um equally ridiculous in their takes (laughs) um and a lot of fun to chat about all these different characters that I don't think any of us get the opportunity to talk about a magic, well, magic is more often talked about by all of us, but a moon knight is fairly rare. And for the other things, like I had never read any Hellcat before or things like that. I know. I know. Okay. Okay. Well, Hellcat is... I as much as I love magic, love, 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 Hellcat is probably my favorite character featured in this. So I am going to read a Scott Lobdell Hellcat story. Absolutely. Wait, why is Hellcat not on the cover? The, oh, there's some Hellcat erasure um on this cover. Yeah. Probably because they had to put the barcode. I bet you she was, and they, they just didn't the have room gargoyle demon they needed that obviously yes they needed the demon they couldn't fit in patsy walker they're like sorry girl you're just not making the cut this time um that's not cool no or she was a late addition where they're like oh we have some pages that we can still fill pull one of those random stories out oh it's a patsy walker okay oh my god because the cover was probably commissioned for this Whereas they had all the stories already done. So they were like, hey, cover artist who doesn't get any credit as far as I can see in this. Yeah, yeah I couldn't. Who is it? Um, and a lot of it, I think they're just taking grabs from previous books too in these circles. Um, yeah. Because that is not how magic looks in this story at all. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Not, never wears that costume at all. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, the cover artist you is. three. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Flink is curious. searching, and probably you'll be searching for a while, I'm guessing. Comics.org. Oh. They have, I have learned that they have uh, almost anything you can think of. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Wow. I have the cover, but who drew it? 
It is, oh my God, it's Jim Lee. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Aren't you glad I looked this up? Oh my Moon God. Night, it, it, it says, yeah, it straight up says Jim Lee. And it says it's signed somewhere, but I don't. Oh yeah, you see Lee in the, the spine, right on the other side of the, the barcode. The barcode, L-E-E -E in the brick. I would not have wow. pegged this for Jim Lee in a million years. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Aren't you glad I looked that up? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to find Jim Lee at a con, get this signed, and then submit it for slabbing. And it will be the yes. only one that will ever be graded by CGC <laughs> on the Signature face of the Signature series. Yeah. One and nine, eight, none higher. None higher. All right. Well, thank you so much, you three, for joining. It's been a blast. I can't wait until we do another seasonal special um, and mix it up because it, there are different characters. I know that there's a speedball next go around, too. So um, he's the only one I'm aware of that repeats, but I haven't really looked at the cover nor the inside yet. So we'll get there. Um, but thanks for joining. Welcome in spring as we leave. This is airing the last week of March. So is there anything that you want to promote? Or where can people find you online if they want to chat with you about your hot takes on Magic or Moon Knight? Let's go with our ex-wife friends first. All right. Well, you can find us all over the internet at The Ex-Wife Podcast. That's T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E -E, as in X-Men, not former wife. And we have new episodes every week talking about current issues. End of March, we'll be getting towards the end slash wrapping up Sins of Sinister. Uh, so we'll we'll put that sneaky bastard in his place, hopefully, <laughs> or figure out what's on the other side. <laughs> and your podcast is so great because you mentioned it, I think, in your episode two weeks ago. I haven't listened to last week's because I haven't read the issues yet, um, where you're like, we read the issues that some people may not want to. And uh, thank you for your service and your $4 for buying whatever comic I may not be reading. So I know what the hell is going on um, yeah. because there are some like, or that I know I'm going to read later. Captain Marvel, perfect example with the brood stuff. Yeah. You reviewed it, which then caused me to buy it. So really Marvel should be like, sliding you a little commission here thank you hey let's go let's go yeah. marvel it's also it's really nice for you to for you to say that because you know that's what we were that was what we were talking about in the episode was like Ecstatics. some of these issues yeah like Ecstatic. the statics do i really want excellent to? but i'm gonna do it because it's for the people it's for the people it's a public service it's for the people, for the people. that's my superpower <laughs> <laughs> if there's an x-men a mutant in a comic will read it. All right, I Flink lost Man. that superpower. Flinkman, <laughs> where can people find you and what can they talk to you about? I mean, you can talk to me about anything and everything, be it comic books or Spice Girls or you name it. I am I am open for business to, to chat all, all fun things with anyone. Um, I don't know that I have any specific things. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie. Dayspring uh, is actually from uh, Power of X-Men, will actually be here in Texas with me 
uh, this weekend, or well, we're in the past. This is the future. Um, we I actually just hung out with with Dayspring this weekend. We got up to some uh, shenanigans. So I'm sure those will um, be on the interweb soon, if not already. And then from like an actual professional job job uh, perspective, uh, it is the last week of March and we are actually, uh, I work, for those who don't know, I work for Heritage Auctions in their comics and comic art department. Um, And last week in March, we do have one of our signature auctions um, and I'm not getting paid for this, but I do want to to highlight it because there's actually some things that made me like lose my mind. We have a page of uh, giant size X-Men art in this auction. We have some Mark Silvestri Outback X-Men, and we even have some Phalanx Covenant uh, original art all on this auction. So if you are rich, not like me, um you you might want to to check out the auction this weekend or you can just go and look at the pretty pictures before uh it has all the coloring and stuff because that's sometimes just fun too to see all the pretty comic pages uh before they have all the flourishes added you can really see the fun stuff so that's my like professional work ran i promise never to do it again but x-men fans there really is cool stuff in this auction yeah and um Heritage Auctions actually provide some of the stuff that you see show up in Marvel omnibuses and things like that. It will say courtesy of Heritage Auctions because that company gets so much original art coming through and they do really good scans of it that yep. Marvel's publishing department goes to them and they're like, hey, can can we get a copy of that for printing? Because it's oh, actually they, so clear. they actually, I don't believe they actually ask. I, <laughs> I think they just, they they technically can print it because it's their characters. And as long as they give us credit, we can't stop them. All right. Well, um, I like going on that webpage just to look and drool and imagine like if I won a bazillion dollars, um, I would need to buy like a whole like art gallery and then I'd fill it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's exciting just to see some of the stuff come through. So that's actually why I haven't been on on the interwebs as much as I've been incredibly busy with my 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 paying job. Um, but now that things are settling down there, I hope to be back on the podcast circuit a little bit more. Yes, and I know that I'm going to hook the ex-wife into some X Factor mainline stuff for our podcast. Um, to I need I need to find a good issue for you, Alicia where it's a good introduction or like slice of life sort of like how magic was a good slice of life i need a good slice of life for you for x factor so then you may want to read more about it ah uh, um, yes i'm trying uh, to think i well we just um this it, as we're recording this in two days we're releasing the episode for x factor 200 which is a good jumping on point but it's dense so yeah. it's that fine line where it's a lot of good information, but might scare a new reader away because it's like a triple size issue. So mm-hmm. um, we'll figure that out. Flink, I'm going to bring you in for other. Please. Oh, I'm always happy to talk to we, you guys about. We have ideas that are floating out there all the time. Um, there is one about some 90s Fantastic Four that I feel like we can tease at this point. It'll come out someday. Um, someday. Someday we will be... I will be giving a dissertation on why Sue Storm's boob window costume is like the greatest comic book costume of all time. 
can't wait. Thank you all. Everyone, look up my fine guests here and see what they're up to at all times. See you later. All right, how are you feeling, everyone? These are some pretty fun stories to review, and I'm really glad that you're still here with us as we head into the last two stories from this issue. So for these, I am joined by X Reads the Podcast, and that is Chris and Chandler. And they're going to talk to me, and you'll hear it very, very soon, all about Speedball and Brother Voodoo. Before that, make sure you click the link in our bio. If you are able, please contribute some money to Peter David and his family via their official GoFundMe. Um, Let's give back to a creator. And if you're so inclined, screenshot your donation receipt to me. Send it to the X Factor Files podcast Instagram account. DM it to us. And I will enter you into the raffle for some fantastic prizes. Again, you can check out what those prizes are in the pinned post. So... Go ahead, listen to these last two stories, then come back. We have some dessert. We have a guest from Marvel Comics itself to chat about anthologies and really a lot of the randomness. So it's a lot of fun. Make sure you come back. And here we go. Everyone, I am being joined right now by X Reads, the podcast to cover two more stories from our spring special. So, guys, let me turn it over to you. Introduce yourselves. Sure. Uh, so this is Chandler. And I'm Chris. And yeah, we're co-hosts of X-Reads and X-Men Experience. It's a podcast dedicated to recapping a single issue per episode all over the X-Men universe, often with special guests. Yes, and we bring on, you know, everybody from the X-Men universe, from artists and actors and writers and um, you name it. And we we love coming through all the back issues. Yeah, so thank you for asking us to do a crazy back issue of all sorts of these short stories. It's a lot of fun. Yes, it is. You know, in Minnesota, we have very long winters and sometimes they can stretch on and on and on. And I needed a hope of spring when I came up with this concept. And luckily, I had this issue to draw upon. And I can't say there's a whole lot springy about the two stories that we're going to read. Um, <laughs> They're I, both I, about love. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. You know? And love is kind of, you know, in the air during spring. I'll, I'll buy that. I will absolutely buy into that. Um, I was thinking like plants. I mean, it, Chandler, you're a plant gay. So, I mean, <laughs> I was thinking like spring and we can grow things, but I mean, love can grow. So, love can grow. Yes. We're also covering speedball. He has a spring in his step. So, oh, you know, that counts. I'll, I'll buy that one too. <laughs> All right. So, we are recording right now. Hopefully, everyone is listening. Um, even if you're listening in the far future, just know that we're trying to do some good for Peter David who wrote so many issues of X-Factor and so many other things. So do you have anything that springs to mind when I say the name Peter David? What do you think of? Well, I think of your podcast. No, I think because <laughs> <laughs> uh, X-Factor investigations uh, is what people colloquially call it. But uh, that X-Factor run uh, that he did in whatever era, not the 90s, not the 2000s, but mid-2000s, maybe? Yep. Yep, yeah. the 2000s going onward from there. 
yeah yeah it's fantastic and i really hearken to the doc samson you know therapist issue a lot of people relate to that i i believe he wrote that he did yes yes he did a doc samson therapy issue for original x factor um and then x factor investigations as well he replicated it Oh, cool. Well, I've only read the investigations issue and I thought it was remarkable, like such great writing. So now I need to go back and find the Doc Samson therapy issue from the 90s. You definitely do. I have it here in a short box. Um, I have, I definitely dug out a different short box today, um, but that one exists in the X Factor volume one. Cool. Chris, do you have any experience with Peter David? I do, actually. I went to San Diego Comic Fest, uh, who is run by a good friend of mine, Matt Dunford, who we've interacted with on our podcast before. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Peter David was a guest of honor there. And I was um, an executive producer on another podcast uh, going around getting interviews. And uh, we interviewed Peter David. And I got to say, he's very inspirational. He's very proud of his work. You know, he just lights up with joy when he speaks about uh, his art, you know, his, um, the creations that he makes, the, um, the writing. Uh, the thing about Peter is I'm a Trekkie and a lot of people know him like, you know, Spider-Man 2099 as an example, you know, amazing, iconic. And that's what you know him for, but he also did like Star Trek, the new frontier series, but how can you not mention the Incredible Hulk? How could you not? How could you not? And um, listeners may have just heard what I did. That's because I have the short box for Star Trek right next to me. Oh my God, this is great. Yes. And And you have Peter's issues in there? I absolutely do. So (laughs) um, let me find one. Oh, here's one. Okay. Um, I pulled it randomly. It is uh-huh. The Trial of James T. Kirk, part one of three. Yes, that looks familiar. Um, I mean, Peter David wrote for years on Star Trek. And um, it's mostly, I think, maybe solely about the original crew from the original series. But um, it's where he was really able to hone his storytelling craft over a long-term arc, I feel. Because he moved into Incredible Hulk right around the same time so he transitioned from dc when they had the star trek license over to marvel and incredible hulk and um he did so much work with hulk and um at other points in this episode you'll hear from others talking about him really setting up hulk for where he is currently like he put in the work to create the framework in the world in which the incredible hulk exists right now And um, I think we can say the same about X-Factor, that he set the standard when it comes to X-Factor. And um, I don't know if any series will have the longevity he had and will have the leeway that he had with that title. Um, The recent X-Factor series I thought was phenomenal, but in my uh, fan opinion, it got cut off at the knees. And and they sacrificed the title for rebranding. And I think that's really unfortunate because I think X-Factor as a concept 
what the team stands for and how it's really changed and evolved over the years is something special within the X universe. And it's something different and it's a different way of storytelling than the main line. And I think he's the one who sort of set that up and launched that into the future. And hopefully at some point we'll get back to it. Absolutely. You're both nodding in agreement. So thank you for that. Correct. Yes. Um, But Star Trek is a big thing between Philip and I. I mean, I have a short box. I have more things coming in the mail. Um, Whatever. Um, Because I found (laughs) out that Marvel did a series in the early 80s based off of like the motion picture, which uh, the motion picture, that's its own cinematic beast if you want to tackle it but then it goes on from there and i saw some of the covers in my local store and they are bonkers like satan is uh, seems to be on a cover so why not why not read more star trek so chris i think you can agree with me read some zany star trek comics and have fun with it because that's what universe building is all about sometimes you get these stories and these runs that are just fun to read immerse yourself in a different universe and go for it love it yes exactly but we are not here to talk about star trek we are actually here to talk about the core i mean you can talk about it later right like (laughs) oh oh absolutely if you want to have like a bonus episode of our podcast just talking about star trek you let me know because i'm in all right in yes i'm out because you're I, out I, I, he's so out i have never me. really seen star trek so i apologize for my <laughs> lack of opinion on it, it uh, it's something that has been in my awareness forever but it's like one of those things where it's too big it's too daunting to okay. jump into okay Fair well, than i believe uh <laughs> i'm sure between chris myself and philip we can give you some jumping off points where you'll be able to ease yourself in because i felt the same way about the x-men universe when i wanted to read x-men and i think your podcast does a really good job of setting the stage and giving some touch points to readers where hey if you start here read this issue you can hear from a creator talking about it and then you can go forward or go back based on what you hear and you've had such a good slate of guests that give such a varying I I would say a varying array of how you can really perceive what the X-Men offer and what mutants mean in the larger Marvel universe that you can really pick an episode from your series and say, okay, I'm going to listen to Anne Nascenti and what she has to say. And I really like what she has to say. So I'm going to start there. And you don't need to really pick a point other than that. You can say, I'm starting with this issue. And I'll pick it up. And if something references in a later issue, it'll have the little footnote. And you can go back and read that if you really want to. But if you don't, who cares? It's not going to matter in the long run. True. Yeah, no, we've been introduced to all sorts of pockets of the X-Men universe that we're not familiar with because there's just so much. So the podcast really gives us the excuse to kind of jump all over the place and be introduced to new moments. Yeah. Exploration. Mm -hmm. It really is about exploration and you've inspired me to really pick up things that I think I would have pushed off for years. 
I'm currently reading through Uncanny. I'm in the Outback era, which is wonderful, but wow, is it dense. And it can be a lot. So I think your podcast gives me the excuse to say, all right, I'm going to, you know, take a pause. I'm going to stop reading. I'm going to jump to something else and read it and enjoy it for a while. And then I'll get back to where I am. Well, great. I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So well, we have... I just got to say, though, it gets for me, it's exciting because I'm rediscovering the X-Men along with Chandler. I feel like he's more of the expert. And I am always just aghast, not aghast, but just in wonder about how the characters change over time when we're jumping back and forth and around. Mm-hmm. so i just yeah i love our friendship anyway keep going <laughs> and when you say when you say expert do you start that with an x and a dash or is always. it always okay <laughs> anytime i could do that i'm like a smurf i walk <laughs> around changing the inner script of my life yeah that anything that starts with an x is yes. spelled with a giant x dash we can explore we can be <laughs> excited about things things can yeah. be excellent that's why when i said exploration earlier yes. like i i made sure that it was extra i see and i thought you were trying to boldly go into star trek <laughs> so uh, um chandler we may dump you when we do a star trek episode but we may substitute in dylan from house of x because i know yes. that he's a big star trek fan yeah. oh so, yeah we can get yeah. to we can debate each other oh yes um so i think we're really lucky in this issue that we are doing two stories that are back to back so mm-hmm. i am going to call upon you to do an ad alert when it's pertinent which is basically your trademark i mean you own ad alerts and we <laughs> own we credit you every single time on our podcast when we do one. So um, we have two exciting stories and a peek behind the curtain for all the listeners. We, we being me, but let's use the royal we, uh, reached out to everyone who's involved with this episode and gave them the slate of who is involved in this issue. And... I think you were really excited to choose who we have here. And um, we have a bit of magic. We have a bit of whatever Speedball is. This is my first time reading Speedball. Oh. Oh, really? Ever. Yes. Wow. Interesting. He's not even in it that much. It's mostly the girl. (laughs) I know. And we'll talk about her. And we are going to narrate some portions, which is a surprise to you as of right now. So... Um, the first story is Brother Voodoo, and I know him mostly from the Avengers and his involvement with them. He would pop in for a guest appearance and then pop out. And here we get a short story basically focused around him. So, yeah, yeah. I I really, I, I raised my hand on this character because I love magic users and I know him from the Doctor Strange comics and of course, Strange Academy where he's currently headmaster. Um, but yeah, this this story titled Don't Do That Voodoo, You Do So Well. Uh, it's written by Scott Lobdell, which I was like, oh, we know Scott. Of oh, course. yeah. Cool. 
Yeah. You know, Brother Voodoo, I had no idea who Brother Voodoo was. Like, I literally, for the first time, like, you are recently discovering Speedball. I'm recently discovering Voodoo via Midnight Suns. Oh. Uh, because, you know, the video game? Oh, like, yes. I'm- and you you just released a recent episode all about Midnight Suns, not only the video game, but issue one of that yeah. series. Yeah, exactly. And he was like in it. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. But then, but then I was just like, oh, I got to remember this character. He's probably going to be a a really uh, cool character for me to enjoy. I went to Walgreens and I've been on the hunt because every time I go in there, they always have a a new shelf of X-Men Funko Pops. Like I went in and I got a long shot. I got a really cool Jubilee. Mm -hmm. And then the day after I did this Midnight Suns issue when I saw Brother Voodoo for the first time. Um, on the shelf was a shelf full of only Brother Voodoo Funko Pops. He I is have, in, you guys. I need to get one of him. Mm-hmm. He, he is all the rage. He's all the rage? I mean, he was selected by Funko for a reason, and maybe it's based off of the story. Probably maybe, not. Maybe. But maybe. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, this story is is quite something, I will say. It's kind of depressing, I will say. It is. So um, all the listeners, hang on. Speedball is definitely like the positive story we're covering. This one is very full of drama. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have no idea where Brother Voodoo was during the publication of this story. But I'm going to say it's a dark place. Um, and we open on a dark scene. It is a rainstorm. We have the ocean outside of Haiti, and he is trying to get some people back to their village. Yes. I thought that he was just like, you know, this was a visage vision of him, but no, he's like a big giant, right? In in the water. Well, it, yes and no. I feel like he says... So basically the scene is that there is a father and a son in a rain in a fishing boat stuck out in the rainstorm. The father's sick, he cannot, and the son barely has enough strength to get him in. But Brother Voodoo shows up as a giant, as Chris says, uh, to rescue them. But what he says is that they envision him as a giant. They believe he is a giant, and because of the magic of voodoo, he I guess becomes big, but once he gets to the shore, he's small. So I wonder if it's all in their head or if it's reality. I don't know. So, I mean, this is like Ant-Man. Sure. Big, small. It it (laughs) sort of is, except the way that voodoo is explained in this issue, it's the power of belief. So Mm -hmm. they believe that Brother Voodoo can save them. So he appears as a giant pulling their rowboat by his teeth with a rope Mm -hmm. so um it's because they have that power of belief that he appears and he pulls them to shore and we see that he then interacts with this woman who is like oh you know you did such a great job and he's like well yeah but i'm really tired (laughs) from pulling them with my teeth as a normal person right yeah He's like, I'm actually not a giant. (laughs) I'm not a giant, and um, I'm just a person, and I did it myself. I know that I maybe shouldn't have risked it, but I did, 
because they needed help. All right, so I want you to describe the next scene. So we have these people who are saved from the boat. Mm-hmm. We have this woman who hugs Voodoo, but then we cut to the village. What's happening there? Yeah, I you know this was honestly a very confusing scene to me because it, the the jump. So basically, this whole story is him telling, recapping moments that have happened in his life when he's on the island of Haiti. And uh, there's a disease going around ravaging the village. I think his brother had been uh, diseased by it. And there is currently uh, a series of snakes that are acting strangely and they're going after the villagers. So Brother Voodoo has to step in and talk to the snakes in their own parcel tongue language and tell them to be gone. And they're like, you have that Okay, but listen here. I I have to know who is making the sound dum 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 dum. Is that the snakes or is no, that brother voodoo? That's his like teleportation kind of sound effect. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm so sorry, you guys. This is which so no, that's but... a really scary sound. Like our pet bunnies would be so scared of something going dum 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 because it, that would indicate danger to them. I mean, me as a human. I would think that something's wrong if yeah. I'm hearing that sound effect. Yeah, but for me, my mind automatically goes to film noir and, you know, the cheesy spoof of it, like, dum, dum, da, dum, 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 dum. So Ooh. I'm thinking like, oh, Brother Voodoo, he must have some cakes. Ooh. Every time he walks around, he's got that Ben Fatale, boom, 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 boom. The cakes are clapping. So, <laughs> I couldn't get that out of my head, the whole issue. The and, whole story. <laughs> I mean, this is quite a pack of snakes that have gathered. I think it's a snake conference, and they are invading this hut. Maybe it's comfortable. I think it speaks to where this family lives, and that it might be a pretty posh situation for them on Haiti. Mm. Mind you, Haiti is depicted um, rather poorly as having, like, grass huts which um i think they're a bit more modern than grass huts but here we are scott labdell indeed and when did this come out 1990 1990 cement buildings in the 90s well maybe this takes place prior to 1990 but still yeah it's depicted like we're in the amazon like with with native tribes and uh, where the dumbs first show up you can actually see his cakes they're rather well defined <laughs> so Indeed. chris you may be right it might be his ass making the sound wow as he saunters in in the smoky it does and then like a few panels later he's doing it again Yes, yes. Well, he's trying to like, you know, teleport away and then the girl comes out and she goes, Jericho, where are you going? We're supposed to visit the clinic. There's so much to do before. So uh, my reading of this to give a serious bent, I feel this is them talking about maybe HIV AIDS without naming HIV AIDS. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, because that was a big deal. It was. And they always said, like, the virus and things like that. And me just going with, you know, the racist depictions of Haiti, maybe they're 
really talking about a developing country and its issues with treating patients that may have HIV. Yeah, well, and it says uh, a disease that continues to ravage the immune systems. So that sounds like... I mean, mm. I I didn't mean to make it serious. So let's turn the page because we're we're in a grass hut with no door. And we see Brother Voodoo talking about how he made this woman love her mm-hmm. or love him mm-hmm. or love him. Yeah, he dum dum dumbs his way right into that hut. And she is splayed out on this bed. She, oh, it's yeah. very romantic, though, like a romance novel. It is. Yeah. And he's wearing some sort of proto-harness um, where he he's feeling himself as he goes for this. And mm. he decides that he is going to implant a desire for him in her mind. So could you review why he has that power? Well, because he used his brother's spirit to possess her prior to this scene. And this is the brother's spirit leaving her body. That's that's kind of messed up. Yeah, so he was afraid of losing her. So he decided to possess her to make her love him so she he wouldn't lose her. And then, of course, he ended up losing her because the he, the spirit came undone because he was upset with what he did. And then she realized that he was leaving her and she still did like him regardless of the spirit possession. But because of what he did, it, it drove a wedge between their love. Yeah, and I think anytime in magic, if you are messing with somebody's free will, it's a bad. Oh, yeah. It's real love bad. Love potions, we've learned. That's a bad. We don't do love potions. There are some dum-dums as the brother spirit emerges from her, and he's showing some cake as well. So I think it might well, be... Oh, my God. It runs in the family. It definitely does. <laughs> I don't know why it looks like him, but maybe the brother and him were twins. I don't know. I don't know the brother situation. I, I would have Comics, to... Comics, you guys. Comics, you Yeah, it... So we're already slightly problematic in the story as we continue. And he's going to some falls. There's a bird that says, gah, and then reet, reet. So Mm -hmm. um, that says to me they have some diversification of wildlife in the air as he is seeking out some answers. And he's like, I feel he's looking for absolution here. He's mm-hmm. going to a waterfall to make sure that he's not a bad person. And the waterfall is like, no, you're sort of a bad person. Yes. That waterfall spills the tea. I love this waterfall. <laughs> Where does this, please, there's a backstory here, please. Come on. Is there, uh, does this waterfall like have a Marvel.com like, biography of some story because i need this to be real i need this to be like i want to have this waterfall friend in my life where i could just go to that waterfall they can sing songs to me from the water you know i can sip my tea and we can spill the tea anyway go ahead and and i think this is a case where you want to go chasing waterfalls because it's going to tell you the truth right and (laughs) whether you want to hear it or not whether you want to hear it or not and maybe to your point chris we should ask chad from gray malkin lane to add an entry onto what he regularly contributes to about the waterfall i want to know if it has a name 
where else has it appeared? What has yes. it said? Yes. Mm-hmm. What else? What other tea it has spilled? Oh my gosh. Can it please like migrate to Krakoa? Oh. And like be like a Krakoan waterfall yes. thing that reads people down oh. as, as they walk by, as the mutants walk by. <laughs> it could be like outside that bar. Oh, the, the Green Lagoon. The Green Lagoon. Oh. Yes. Oh. And uh, I feel we deserve a Marvel Unlimited series about this waterfall. I mean, oh my gosh, no, uh, an MCU limited series, eight episodes. Yes. yes, it's very aquatic. It could be their take on Avatar is just yes. one waterfall. Yes, well, so what this feels like to me is the mirror mirror on the wall. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, pulling pulling from the whatever fairy tale lore, but yeah, the waterfall, you know, basically spells out what has been going on and if we look on the next page on our third panel there's more cake there's there's like that's that's a lot you there's know. water vision cake water yeah. vision cake yeah. even the visions have cakes all right well tell me about this vision it's conjuring something for brother voodoo he's on the shore but it is creating mist visions with cake what is it about yeah. Uh, so yeah it basically so i guess he uh brother voodoo had a man servant named bamboo and he died due to this plague and then he fell in love with the nurse that was taking care of the people in the village and kind of just filling in the backstory of who this laura lee laura lie character is and then that's when he used his brother's spirit, which they call Loa, to possess her to uh, be in love with him. Rude. And we learn that he hates being alone. He is not an introvert. He does Doesn't, not draw energy no. from being alone. No. And I love how he does, He says when he's like hearing all this truth saying at him, he's like, no, please don't say it. And the waterfall says, our silence will not undo that which was done. So it's just like, I said what I said. Fuck. It's so harsh. It is. <laughs> the next scene we cut to is um, a Haitian runway, I guess. Yeah, it's it's airport. Yeah, it it. I guarantee this is, this, is, this is not what the airport actually looks like. This is no. a vision of what it may look like, which is um, racist. So, um, Haiti. <laughs> uh, I mean, is it the 40s? I mean, what? what I don't I, even know, know what era it, this it is. It kind of reminds me of, I was in this musical called South Pacific. Yes, very, yes. very South Pacific. Right? Yeah. Right? Okay. Bonnie. Like Bloody Mary. Gonna come out, wash that man right out of my hair. Yeah, all that. And yeah. she wants to. She is walking towards that oh, yeah. propeller plane. She doesn't really need to pay for her ticket because she's going to put in the labor to mm-hmm. like reach up on the propeller and get that plane started. Like she yes. has to yank on it to get that started. And <laughs> he's like, Wait, I'm behind the security barrier that's a four foot fence. And right. <laughs> you know, I. I was wrong, and she reaches up to him, and I so wanted her to slap the fuck out of him. No. She doesn't. She doesn't, and she no. deserved to. She did, but, you know, she did not forgive him, or she, you know, she did not say, oh, you know, we can be together. No, she grabs her bags, she flips, does a hair flip, and she's out. Yeah, she's like, you like, know what, I'm, I'm not going to forgive class. you, or I will forgive you, 
but maybe someday you'll forgive yourself for doing some terrible things like taking over my mind. And uh, she could have added on like, maybe Charles Xavier could learn from this, but you know. Um, out of her hair. The plane flies off into the distance with a vroom, vroom. and he's weeping openly. He falls to his knees. And this like is where is we get he gets a redemptive arc in five panels. Talk to me about it. Well, a little boy shows up and is just like, oh, Mr. Mr. My mom's sick. You got to come help me. And he says, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> Whatever. He just is like, well, I'm a broken man. What do you expect me to do? And then he's <laughs> like, you will be able to do it because you can forgive yourself. And all of a sudden we bookended this whole story. <laughs> Yeah. And, but, and brother voodoo picks a flower and he's like you're right i may not be able to cure her but i can make her feel better with this shit yes yeah. is it, okay is this going to open the gate to krakoa looks like is this it. one of those like the krakoa flowers anyway um you know i kind of like the art here it kind of reminds me of something i grew up because i you know grew up in the church and this is it looks a lot like the bible comics oh that right we used to read you yeah. get the bible I comics too yeah, well, no it was like illustrated not like bible stories well yeah comics. i mean i had yeah i had comics. yes yes you did too my dad i'm putting quotes up listeners borrowed some books from like an ex-girlfriend for years and it was like volumes of bible stories that were illustrated and i like looked at Cain and Abel and I'm like you know I'm set so <laughs> I never touched them after that but like yes this imagery is very like I will be your savior mm-hmm. and he carries this boy off and he's like now let's see what we can do about making her a healthy woman and I don't know if he's going to be successful but you know he's gonna try um yeah. Even earlier in the story, he talked about, like, I'm leaving the big city life behind to go to Haiti. And um, he's very much a savior figure in this story. Mm, Right. Well, and he basically starts believing in himself once again. And as we heard at the beginning, it's the power of belief. So his power is restored because he now believes in himself. He's full of the voodoo. He is. He's not Brother Voodoo anymore, though. He's Dr. Voodoo. So when did that happen? Because maybe he when he went to medical school. Oh, for real? Now? Oh. <laughs> maybe when he gave up, like, clinging to his brother's spirit. So he's not defined by that familial relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't know ah. the deep lore of Brother Voodoo or Dr. Voodoo. Uh-huh. But yes, you're right. Well, I look forward to learning more about him in present day at strange academy oh yes i love modern strange academy stories they're so good all right our next page do you want to do a mild ad alert for this sure sure we on the next page we have our next ad alert (laughs) and it's the new spider-man spirits of the earth what spirits of the earth spider-man book oh it's a hardcover graphic novel does that just mean like it's a when you get it for free like oh really now, now, you're a big comic book collector, Daryl. Do you have this? No, I don't. I really don't collect Spider-Man. He's not really my thing. Mm. Um, 
by even their very long text ad starts off with no this is not a mistake because you can get it free of charge it seems like a pyramid scheme to me or something it's giving yeah. me multi-level marketing yeah well yes yeah, it's, it's trying to sell their subscription service so basically they're like we'll give you a free comic if you agree to buy 100 comics so oh, oh you've been to this place yes you have been have. to the scam location that is not quite a scam <laughs> yes it's from mile high comics in denver colorado and i had the great fortune of visiting this iconic landmark on my road trip from california to minnesota did you get anything there i did I got, I think I got some comics, but no, what I got was, oh, I got a gift for Chris that I still haven't given him. Ooh. I forgot. Ooh, I, surprise. I, I totally forgot. It's in the closet in Minnesota. So, oh, yeah. Uh, and I got a, uh, a uni- uh, what it, not a university, but a, a diploma. diploma. Ooh. Uh, Institute of Higher Learning. I got the uh, dif- official Marvel diploma. And I feel like I might have picked up another small thing here or there but i will say they had some amazing vintage x-men stuff that i'd never seen they had this bishop sweatshirt that i wanted desperately but they wanted like 300 dollars for it what and they had like a gambit pillow i think it's just because they're just so rare but they're official marvel licensed things from whenever era they came out and uh yeah they're incredible i got a confession to make back in the day like i don't know maybe junior high high school i fell for one of these types of pyramid schemes the book club oh it was like bought or like you're gonna get this free book but you're gonna have to do a little subscription and we're gonna send you a bunch of books later and then you're gonna have to pay for the books later ah and then if you want to cancel you're gonna have to jump through a bunch of hoops <laughs> um but i was so excited you know what the book that got me was what it was like um some fictionalized uh novel of lois and clark the news adventures of superman oh, oh no dean. yeah dean kane and terry hatcher oh, they were I on the cover in an embrace and i was just like i gotta know the story i watched the show i have to know and i mean yeah. that's before we learned that dean kane is basically scum right. so you get a pass because we didn't know that until really the Trump era. So correct. Yeah, no, he kind of yeah kept he that to himself. Blocked me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but you know what? Um, Speaking I, of cake, no, I, sorry. I know. I just got to say though, like I have to give some love to Terry because, yes. like, you know, even though there's a lot of people that have hate for Dean. Terry, I used to work at a dog rescue, and she would come in. Um, frequently and just to sit with the dogs and just you know feel the love and stuff and she is the most kind most amazing genuine person mm. that you will ever meet and I wish her so much success to you know I I loved her in Desperate Housewives mm-hmm. and um, so even though like we uh, look back at Lois and Clark the New Adventures of Superman and think about Dean Kane, I also want you to say hey also think about terry hatcher yes for absolutely sure. i remember watching that show growing up and we're all of a similar age where then we hit the college years and desperate housewives was the hot thing and the drama coming from that set was not from terry hatcher so <laughs> no. looking at no. you nicolette sheridan but I- 
Yeah. Um, my Terry Hatcher story is when I moved to Los Angeles, one of my first jobs was in casting. This is how Chris and I know each other, actually. We met through this casting office, uh, Pembroke Front Casting. And in this era, listeners, if you can imagine, in order to be seen about a possible role, people would mail headshots to the casting office. There's no emailing of headshots. Everything was printed headshots. And so Terry Hatcher's headshot came in for a role at one point and I stole it. Oh my God. By the way, why the fuck would you require Terry Hatcher to submit a headshot? Like, come on. I have no idea. Like the headshots I came in for famous people, I would always be like, why yeah why i guess just because when you're when they were casting in this era without computers is that they would have the headshots and it'd be like on bulletin boards and they'd have like the role name and they would like put up different headshots to be like do we want this person this would be uh no uh what do you call it no audition necessary they would just be like the role is yours so i think the headshots came in from their representatives just so that they would be considered while they were filling the roles sure like checking a box basically yes. like yes right. you require a headshot fine we'll send you a fucking headshot sort of thing but oh my god the amount of paper this town used to produce in that regard oh yeah, my god anymore no not anymore no hollywood let's go carbon neutral <laughs> wow never <laughs> <laughs> all right so what chandler I yes. need you to talk about the next character we are going to cover because yes. you were super passionate about this. Like you were interested in Brother Voodoo, but you staked a claim with this one. Yeah. Well, okay. So Speedball By is our way, wait a minute. Thank you for staking a claim on this one. Oh. That was like the best. I <laughs> thank you. Okay. So yes. Okay. So speedball for some reason was like a highlight for me when I was a teenager or preteen or whenever I was like really into comics. And I don't know why, but I was super drawn to him. I thought he was super funny and I loved his power, his look. And I like begged my parents for his first appearance, which is an annual Spider-Man number 22. He is not created by Fabian Nicieza who wrote this uh, issue but Fabian really matured him in New Warriors when he was on that team and I loved him on that team and for some reason yeah I just was a huge speedball fan and so when the opportunity came up and you were like these are the characters we're going to cover I was like oh ooh, oh speedball please <laughs> <laughs> but, but for me you know I love Speedball, and he was one of my favorite trading cards. Mm, yes, back in the in the nineties, um, not the second wave. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? The Marvel Masterpiece. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Speedball is cool, but uh, in later comics, I uh, reintroduced myself into comic books back towards you know the Civil War and that era, and you know Speedball kind of turned into penance. Yeah, that was. I haven't read that part. Oh. I heard it's dark. Oh, it's dark. I heard it's dark. I, I, you know what? Don't. Because it's going to like taint your mind about speedball. Because <laughs> yeah. this speedball that we're about to read is the speedball that I, I love and have a lot of fun with. Yes. yes. I was a, a joy to see that Steve Ditko contributed to this. Right? History. Like, I saw that Fabian was the writer. And then I looked at the penciler as Steve Ditko. And I'm like, what? What? Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Legend, legend contributing to an annual book full of short stories, but he is a co-creator of the character. So maybe he just is like, listen, 
it's speedball it's gonna be me yes all right i'm going to take a back seat as we cover this because it's so fun and i want to hear both of you talk about it be i mean i read this over lunch and i was like what like i want more so go ready okay. go speedball Pulitzer Patty. <laughs> she's cool and she's real foxy, a journalist with moxie. She's a high school vision hot on a mission. Her camera is focused for all the hocus pocus. She's ready for the action. The prize is the reaction. She's out to film her hero. The rest add up to zero. When speedball comes a courtin', a Pulitzer Prize she'll be sporting. However, <laughs> wait a minute. Are we like, are we the Amazon trio? <laughs> it totally sounds like <laughs> think we're summoning, or, or, <laughs> it's, or it's like Team Rocket. Well, oh, yeah, Team Rocket. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, yeah, we got this um, a woman in a can. Oh, she's fashionable too. Look at that dress. Look at that yeah. belt. That belt with the matching bracers, <laughs> more than bracelets. Those are full-on gauntlets. Yeah, but this dress doesn't go uh, past the knees. She's professional, but she's also easy breezy on the move because she has a camera and she wants to capture all of the images of Speedball. And what a hunk. Mm -hmm. He actually kind of looks cute. like, you know, he's really thick, like, like the Incredible Hulk. Or am I just seeing that because of his uh, the brown accents? To me, this seems like a mistake because even if you look behind him, there's a vision of Robbie being half Robbie, half Speedball, and he's kind of more of his slimish style. And then he really thickens up in this kind of hero image with the fists on his, you know, giant hands. Oh my God, on his hips. He and is Speedball a, is not that character. He's thick with two C's in just that one image. Three C's, and. Uh, uh, this all takes place at Springdale High. So we're talking about high school characters here. And Patty is running around with a camcorder. And this is the sort of camcorder that you load the VHS tape directly into it. It is yes. on a mini tape. You're putting that full tape that you got from Walgreens into that sucker. So you can tape everything. Yes, this is the full-on 90s April O'Neil camera. Correct. So she's interviewing her high school team or her high school friends in the lunchroom, asking them the hard hitting questions so she can be taken as a serious journalist and win that Pulitzer Prize. Her first question is, what do you think of the recent cafeteria food cutbacks? And you see people say, hi, mom. And they're not taking it seriously. Because my name's Dave Beeler, and I sincerely believe that ketchup truly is a vegetable. Ha! Okay, I'm going to defend these kids, okay, because back in the day when somebody had a camera up in their, up in your face, yes. it was a big deal. It was a big deal. You know? we Because now we all have cameras oh, on yeah. our phone, so it's like no big deal. Yeah. But like, yeah, to see a camcorder, you were like, am I a movie star? Yeah. Like, it's yes. Ed Sullivan. It's happening. Oh, oh, what? oh what? there are so many things. First of all, Ed Sullivan. Um. <laughs> I was the um, manager, the stage manager for my high school's production of Bye Bye Birdie. And they mm. tapped into me to be the voice of Ed Sullivan over the loudspeaker, even though I was up in the booth. And oh, yeah. this was pre-YouTube. So uh, there, 
the director and who was a teacher at the high school was like no he said really big shoe and I'm I have no reference materials I'm like what the fuck are you talking I'm saying show I'm not saying shoe Um, (laughs) and second since I am apparently carrot top for this um I have a camcorder that was right below the couch I am sitting on. It is an all oh, is legit. Wow, that literally looks that, like a fake prop. Move it, over, April O'Neil. This yeah, is this like is the thing. It ejects, and you put the full tape into it. Oh, terrible! He, he's this rubbing is, the side of it. Everybody, this is a it's, relic. This this is a this is an antique. It literally looks like a prop, like you made it out of cardboard. Like it's I know. So I. Maybe I should start taking some footage like Patty is. I'll just run around from now on. I am going to come to the uncanny experience with my <laughs> camcorder with yes. a blank VHS tape loaded into it. And Please. we are going yeah. to put it, we're not going short. We're putting it on EP because we oh. are going to take some extended footage, six yes. hours. I love it. I love that, like the historic documentation. People are going to find that VHS and be like, "Oh my God, did this event happen in the '80s?" I know Chris Claremont is going to want a copy, and then I'm going to have to find a double-decker VCR so I can copy the tape and send one to him. Oh yes, yes. I mean, yes. Or just get two VCRs and you just record it through the TV. That's what I did. Yeah. You You know what though, like. What if you go on Antiques Roadshow and they're like, you know, this is this is the one. He, he came. He brought the the item of the millennia. Yeah, I know. These are out of everywhere. <laughs> they don't exist. They only anymore. made twelve of them, and you have one of them. It's right here, fellas. Let's go. <laughs> Jealous. It. I mean, there's even the attachment for the tripod. We wow. can do a whole lot. Wow. Okay. It, great. You know what I saved. And I, I haven't gotten rid of it yet. My oh, don't laugh. It's so Paracelton, the T-Mobile sidekick. You still have it. I still have it yeah. because I just like I, it was like a fidget spinner. Oh my! I'm like flipping it all the time. Okay. So yeah. audience, Chris would drive me crazy with this fucking sidekick because <laughs> it always went whatever. It always made all these noises. So like when you go to cons and you're sharing hotels, you would always be up early and. Flipping that fucking thing and making all this noise, and everyone would be like, "Put the sidekick down." So yeah, I I was so hot. I know it was, it was hot. So hot. Oh my. That's God. because so it, Chris is all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Seriously, I am a prop master tonight. I just pulled out a VHS of "She's All That." This so, is so convenient. Like it. you just seem to have all this shit around you. It, like, within oh, arm's see? reach, I have not gone off camera once during this recording literally you i feel like you prepared for this recording i didn't all these things next to me (laughs) by the way that that vhs that's that's hot yeah yeah oh Oh, and i didn't even notice so i popped it in yesterday because i'm writing a book all about linda ronsett's career from 1969 to 1989 this has nothing to do with the freddie prince jr classic she's all that but there was a promo where if you rented a certain amount of videos, you would get phone cards for free. (laughs) And there's a sticker on the front and there's like a two minute ad before the movie starts all about phone cards. And I was like, wow. Wow. The distance we have come in like 25 years is astounding. It is. 
it's 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 amazing to be alive i must say mm-hmm. but speedball speedball was so oh, yeah. we have we have patty zoom zooming on that boom boom and she's looking for stories and she goes up to what's his real name uh robbie baldwin robbie she's going up to robbie and he's a little tongue-tied he doesn't mm-hmm. know how to react to being on camera and is this because he has a crush on her? I mean, it's high school. Um, or is he just sort of uh, taken by stage fright by the camera? But that doesn't matter because we turn the page yes. and we have something. We have an ad alert. Oh, this is for um, experiencing bionic power. Okay, so this is a video game that I've never played. No, me neither. Or Bionic Commando is the name of it by Capcom. I know Capcom. I know them too, but I don't know what this game is. It's a Chandler. Usually I'm the one who thinks and says things like that out loud. Who are you? Sorry, Daryl. We interrupted you. What were you saying? I mean, it's official for Nintendo. We have the seal. For Nintendo. Oh, right. Yeah. But um it looks like a lackluster game. All right. Well, I can I can read us the intro. It says, okay. get set for rapid fire action as you're transformed into the Bionic Commando. This bestseller from Capcom is a dynamic adaptation of the original arcade classic. All right, you take the next one. Paragraph. All right. <clears throat> Expect an onslaught of challenges and extraordinary graphics when you battle enemy forces in their futuristic lands. Your powerful, extending, bionic arming, incredible arsenal of weapons give you all you'll need to become an unstoppable one-man army. To the most daring soldiers, this might seem an impossible test, but they've never experienced the power of Bionic Commando! I just want... I want to apologize to all the kids who slid quarters into this game sometime before this issue came out that compelled Nintendo to release a home version of it because it doesn't seem great. I don't know if it stood the test of time, no. I don't think so. But what a name. Bionic Commando! (laughs) Uh, Yes. Um, But back to Speedball... (laughs) Oh, yes. The kids are saying what they think about Speedball, and he's learning what everyone's impressions are of him. Yeah, like um, one of the guys is like, yeah, I saw him rescuing a dog from a burning house last week, and the dog might have bit him too. But my favorite is the, the girl next. Oh, she yeah. Says, I think he's hotter than Mel Gibson and Corey Heim rolled into one. <laughs> okay. Corey Heim, well, I have not thought about him. I, I don't know about the Mel Gibson one. I, that probably hasn't aged too well. It has not. No. Oh my god. The panel also is like a really weird drawing of him and he's got his head is super tiny. Um I love how it goes out it kind of goes off the panel though with the balls. Oh, you know. right. Oh, and then she says, Of course, I've never seen his face too well. <laughs> Steve G- I love the next one. Yeah, oh, Steve yeah, Ditko may not have had a great command of the character at this point in time. But go ahead. The next panel is fun. 
Well, one of the boys says, oh, he puts his squiggly boots on one at a time, just like the rest of us. Super hunk my boxer shorts. <laughs> and you see, he, you know, in his vision, he sees Speedball just getting out of bed, all tired and yawning, just in his boxers, trying to get on his um, squiggly boots. Squiggly boots. <laughs> and his squiggly gloves are just lying there. Oh, yes. I love that they brought up the squiggly boots and all. It's like when someone says something's messy boots, I'm going to say that something squiggly boots. Yeah, but he brings up, you know, as he's standing there listening to everybody talking about their stories, he's realizing, wow, everybody, everybody sees me differently. Like they all have their different perceptions. It's weird. And, and so me being a speedball newbie, the next panel explains his powers. And apparently he was dipped in some extra dimensional goop and given kinetic bouncing abilities as a result of it. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Goop? Goop? goop. We're going you know, to goop? Just like gamma radiation or a radioactive spider. It was a it was extra dimensional goop. Was By it like the goop Olaf from Quantumania? Uh no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's ooze. That, oh, oh, That's ooze. Uh, listen, fam, by the time we got to the 80s we'd really run out of ideas of how to give people superpowers. So goop. Um, so Ghostbusters yeah. was big. So why not? Yes. Mm -hmm. This is also the 90s. So this is like almost on the era of Nickelodeon slime. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So uh, he's daydreaming a bit. And Patsy's like, hello, Robbie. And he's just like, oh my gosh, what? What do you think of the mass Marvel? That's what they call Speedball, the mass Marvel. Mass Marvel. Uh, he's like, oh, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Oh, well, no. Uh, he almost slipped up there. What do you think of the mass Marvel? He says, oh, I I'm okay. He's an old yeah, I know. And then he is literally saved by the bell. <laughs> saved by the bell. Okay, here's the thing about okay. saved by the bell. I have... No, I that's the thing. Anytime I hear that, I think of like, you know, 90s nostalgia, the Save by the Bell TV series we all know and love. But then I was watching one of those Halloween documentaries where they talk about creepy things. And do you know where Save by the Bell actually came from? What? Okay, so back in the day, people died and you know they would get buried but they weren't really dead oh yes so like it got to the point where they noticed they were digging up the bodies and they saw like scratch marks on the caskets on the inside and they're like oh we were just trying to get these for medical procedures but it looks like they were alive you know mm. so what they ended up doing was they were tying strings around the toes of the dead people inside the casket snaking it up to the uh, gravekeeper's like room where he hung out in the graveyard and then if any of them rang he ran out there and he dug them out because he knew that that person was buried alive wow and wow. that's why it's all right because i said about the bell dustin diamond r.i.p we hope that you will ring that bell soon Yes. yes, they gave him a good send off. He's like an astronaut in space. Screech, oh, the character yeah. with Gene Roddenberry. Go him. Yes. All right. Now we get a bit darker because yes. we have Patty. Darker than, than dead toes and ringing bells. And, and Dustin okay. Diamond. Oh, in the story. Okay. Okay. Um, 
so this janitor is cut on camera and he has a reaction he's like what the fuck are you doing get that fucking camera (laughs) off of me no pictures and um it's it's way overboard yeah it's turning (laughs) poor patty is like you sure are a grouch mister and then we have the marvel equivalent of him swearing i think he said the c-word oh yeah wow okay he is well, that mean that janitor is what she thinks yeah yeah he he has a mouth on him and he's letting fly the c-words so um then they're all going off to class and we're sort of left with this mini cliffhanger like oh this this sweary janitor he has something going on yes yeah but i have to say that i i'm a sucker for dad joke Anytime there is the biggest layer of cheese in a panel, I eat that cheese up with crackers. Because mm-hmm. she's saying, you know, um, hey guys, wait up. How about some routine shots of students surviving another day in the war zones? And then she, another girl who's wearing this, you know, beautiful striped top and orange skirt saunches away and she says, I'm history. And the guy says, I'm trig too. Catch you later. Because, like, you know, I'm history, like, I'm leaving. Yeah. I'm no. trick too. The, the, class, yeah, the class, pun there. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. Well, I loved what it. I loved, and I didn't even figure out until now, is when the janitor is, like, plotting the death of Patsy, he calls her, uh, Daniela Rather is going to get the story of her career, her own murder. And I was like, I thought her name was Patsy. <laughs> oh, like, Julie. No, you did it. Yes. <laughs> when they yes. mention it again but i literally was like why why is he calling her daniella <laughs> yeah and uh, leading up to that we have a whole page the only thing that matters is what speedball is wearing um <laughs> yes, you're so right what this is, is this, this top <laughs> it's it's a v-neck and he's wearing a black t-shirt underneath so good for him for layering yes. um but it's a tan v-neck but it's a deep v and the v part it it's not it's all the same color but part of it is ribbed it's giving me luke skywalker uniform vibes very yeah for me it's more like logan's run yeah on the run Mm -hmm. it's a little cold out so it's a sweater right and he's on the run and it it's even a deep v in the back so it is a deeper V in the back. Um, Yeah, interesting. I I kind of feel as if the artist was just like, all right, I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to face this character and I don't know which way he's going to be facing. I'm going to figure it out at the end and insert that head. Mm. So if we decide he's facing backwards, I'm going to put some hair there or color Mm. yellow. There we go. Facing forward, there's a face. We're good. Good. I can see yeah. that. Right. It was yeah. a whole editing thing back in the day. Mm. I, I don't know that for sure, you guys. No. I'm just speculating. So uh, this janitor is real sweaty. And this is where he's plotting the death of Patty slash Daniela, rather. And then we jump ahead. It's later. It's the end of school. And we all remember what that feeling is, where it's mm-hmm. finally the end of the school day. We can get the fuck out of there. And yes. um, it's a crowd scene. And we see uh, who is talking about soccer players because uh, 
<laughs> we don't know. <laughs> no, I, it's I, Robbie. Who, was it? it? No. No. What, oh, oh well, so Robbie's thinking, like, I got to go find Patsy. She's probably filming the soccer players warming up. And yeah. then you get all of the chatter the crowd. of the crowd chatter. Write that paper tonight, but do tomorrow. Piece of cake. But you haven't even picked your puppet yet. Did like, see- look at those legs on him. Yeah. God, God I, I love, love soccer players. <laughs> yeah, and then the other uh, guy says, women. Who needs them? Yeah. Heartache, misery, it's payback time. Who's so, the janitor? He's after Pepsi. Who's the soccer player? Drop the soccer player. No, I want, the, I want a segue. I want us to, like, pivot the camera a little. So um, then we jump ahead where Patty is like, see you later, Gidge. And Gidge is the one who had to go to history class right. in the striped top. And she's like, bye, Paps. And we see Patty walking with her camcorder. She's click clicking with her heels. Very RuPaul drags ra- drag race where it's click clack. Yeah. I'm sorry, those are flats. How are they clicking? <laughs> They're tap what, shoes. What, is, what are these? Are She's they like wearing tap, tap shoes. shoes. <laughs> 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 and um, to his credit, creepy janitor, whose name I don't recall and doesn't matter because he's a creepy janitor, mm-hmm. like changed into a suit to leave work. He's in yes, a I green. That. He's yes. in a green suit, and he is shack shacking after her. Yes. So. I feel that's the rub of dress pants. That's the sound dress pants make when you're running. Ah, yes. I have, I I can't remember the last time I wore dress pants. And I don't, when I'm in it, I don't run. Do you guys run when you're in dress pants? Is this true? Like, if you're in a hurry. I wear dress pants a lot for work, so. Can we have a scientific experiment about this? If they make a shack shack sound? Yeah. Just so we know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. When the fabric rubs against each other? Yeah. Then I've had to run at conferences. Cool. I mean, I don't know the last time I had dress pants on either. I don't know if I would fit in my dress pants anymore. Thanks, COVID. Um, so they would need to be tailored before I do this test, but I could do it. Um, We're scientists, you guys. Yes. So yeah, Janitor grabs Patsy, pulls her into the alley, and pulls out a knife. And it's like, and, and it's like a shiv. This is yeah, a shiv. Uh, he he brought that from prison somewhere when he was serving time for being a mobster. Yeah, totally. So you're gonna give me that tape on your camera. Or I'll let you keep your eyes. You oh, wait, sorry. Let me read this back. <laughs> you give me the tape from that camera, and I'll let you keep them pretty eyes of yours. Like oh, ew. To uh, to his credit, he is downgraded from murder to just cutting off both of her eyeballs. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Um, I want you two to describe Robbie. He's seeing this, but then talk about his transformation. (laughs) Well, the way he gets into speedball formation, he has to ram his body into some sort of hard surface in order to create the kinetic spring that speedball does. And in that process... I didn't know about this. I'm sorry for being a gross pervert, but like... Does that mean he like can't be a cop in sex? Because if he's like ramming into somebody like yeah, and then all of a sudden he's bouncing all over the wall, it's okay. like a crazy person. I hope this is uh, an explicit. It, it, I'm sorry. Oh, it is, and I think 
I think you have the same debate with Madrox. Like, what happens? What so happens? I, the questions out there. We'll leave it. <laughs> these are these are legit questions for Speedball. I know that it needs to be a very hard surface because he can't just like hit himself in order to create. Otherwise, he wouldn't do what he's doing, which is basically falling on his face. He literally is tripping himself forward so that his body impact on the ground makes him bounce back up. Oh, my God. So, like, if he jumps on Colossus's back to get a piggyback ride, yes. would it be like, hello? Where yes, are we correct. Me? Correct. And I think I it, like that would happen. And it would be the same onomatopoeia that we have here. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is it's like another fastball special, but like legit. Like it's a speedball special. Ah, oh, that's even better. Boss <laughs> is just like, come at me, bro. It's gonna like <laughs> running at him, and it just runs right into his chest and goes boing. Uh, All right. Well, the, the the sound effect is pooing. <laughs> It's like, is it like built or uh, way too old? Like showing. Okay, showing. I know, but this is speedball. Like, yes. boo, they're they're in the background. They go wing and it works. So stupid. This is already a long enough episode. Oh, oh this I'm is sorry. wonderful. He is, uh, we're just one section of this episode. We are not the episode. Oh, I oh, think, oh no. <laughs> I think that this is a wonderful visual of him. With his speed balls all around him. Mm -hmm. um, very consistent coloring, I think, throughout his appearances where it's blue, pink, and yellow. Yes. Okay. I need somebody to tell me, like, about the balls. Are these balls just, like, visual things like Dazzler, Dazzling? Um, or are they, like, balls? They're, no, they're, they're, like motion visuals. like a dazzler yeah, type yeah. of thing okay no right. you can't hold a speedball yeah ball. You're, you can't get the ball and like whack somebody in the head with well it. and you like see later Pat, uh, patsy tries to grab and like there's nothing there yeah there's no balls to grab yeah okay anyways he's bouncing around he's taking down the janitor you're dog meat you dirt bag I'll save you, fair damsel. Damsel, sorry. I'll save you, fair damsel. Then I'll carry you off to my secret headquarters. What? <laughs> Did she it's, ask for that? that it's real like, pervy. Yeah. No, you could drop me off at the police station. Thank you, sir. Yeah, like I just want to go home. Um, and it, he even acknowledges like how corny he sounds while he's saying it. He's like, "Oh, gross!" Like. Maybe I shouldn't have said something like that. You know what, though? But, like, kudos to whoever that line works on. Because that person's, you know, probably just, you know, full of, of life and a lot of fun. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> but Patsy's not going to let this opportunity go to waste. Oh, no. She grabs that camera. She says, Pulitzer, here I come. She's going to get the masked Marvel speedball himself in action. So she starts recording as he takes down the janitor. With the foom. Mm -hmm. And it, he even says that she's a star reporter. That has to boost her ego so much. <laughs> yes. And then she tries to give him a hug as thank you, but he boings his way right out of her arms. And she's oh, yeah, just left with balls in her hands. <laughs> and that's the one thing about Speedball that always confused me is how does he stop? Because he would have taken a hug from her, but because of the momentum, he cannot stop. So therefore, he just boings right out of her grasp. So I was like, well, at what point does the momentum stop? Does he just have to, like, 
I, I've always wondered how he stopped. Oh, I gotta figure this out too. That's gonna haunt me tonight. I'm going to be it's in comedy. bed. It's comedy. Okay. I you're going to need to read like all of New Warriors to see if there's an answer somewhere. I know. And I love New Warriors, so that's actually a great idea. I have the first two omnibuses upstairs waiting at some point when I get to them because I've heard such good things about it and it looks so interesting. I love the team. I love, yeah, all all of the team members. Anyways. We crash into our final two pages and the cops finally show up and they're like, uh, is there anything wrong, Patty? And, you know, this guy was hassling me, but um, is about my First Amendment rights, I think. She is, she's a little frazzled. Just a tiny bit. And Robbie shows up and he's like, I saw the whole thing. I can testify. Um, You know, this dude dragged her into this alleyway. Mm -hmm. And then, you know... I yelled for help, and someone called the police, and that's why she's okay. So he's trying um, to hide his identity at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she filmed that creep earlier, and um, the police go over, and they see who it is, and they're like, oh, no wonder this is Louis Perlongetti. Louis Perlongetti. You know, you know Louis Perlongetti. He embezzled 30 grand from his ex-wife in Cleveland. And um, then he disappeared two years ago. 30 grand is not anything anymore. Oh my gosh, 30 grand? 30 grand? The cops would be like, call me when it's like 30 million, okay? Seriously. And then we get a Scooby-Doo moment. Oh, it is 100%. A hundred. <laughs> and I would have had it too if it weren't for that mass Marvel punk. The sweat coming off of his forehead. Yes. He's a real sweaty guy. In. Mustaches are always in. I currently have one. I know, but like like this style, like this like full on, just like just mustache. Yes. Let's say it's in. All right. And uh then the cops are like, you should really be lucky that this patty chick has never sold anything to the local station. Like, she's sort of a loser, but we're going to arrest you anyway. And he is escorted off by saying, rassum, frassum, mussum, which again is very Scooby-Doo. He is very. just grumbling. Yes, I think Fabian is a big Scooby-Doo fan. Yeah, the next time you have him on your podcast, ask. <laughs> we are bringing Please. this up. Bring yeah, this story up and ask him about Scooby-Doo in particular. Mm-hmm. And then we get a pretty sweet scene where Robbie is walking Patty home and um, he's like, you know, I hope that that guy didn't scare you too much. And she's like, well, you know, Edward R. Murrow, he was like in the trenches in World War II. Like, I'm basically Dan Rather putting some hankies on my head in Afghanistan. <laughs> I know. She's, she's not afraid. This is all part of the job. I laugh in the face of danger. Ha! <laughs> and she is just going after her career. She is motivated. And I really appreciate this about a high school student. She is after what she wants. She has a goal in mind. Mm-hmm. She's going to go to a wonderful school of journalism. And she leaves Robbie in the dust. 
And, you know, he's longing. He wants her. He's really interested. And she's like, bye. I have to go edit my VHS. And I remember in middle school, I think, we had like a video editing portion of one of our classes with a console like this where you would like pop it in and be able to scan forward and back. So it's a gigantic screen with controls. Mm. And much to her chagrin, Speedball is so fast that everything is blurry. It doesn't come out on film while he's bouncing all around. Mm. Okay, fine. You win round one, Mr. Super Buns. (laughs) Mr. Super Cakes. Cakes throughout both of these stories, I guess. There's a lot of love of cake. Oh my gosh, if she's the reporter, does that mean she gets to do the title of whatever the news uh, paper says on the cover? So she could be like, Mr. Superbun strikes again. Yes. And then that's how he gets his new name. It's not Speedball. Yes, it's not Mass Marvel. Okay. It's Mr. Superbuns. You know what? In a multiverse, I'm going to go back into Marvel timeline Mm -hmm. and switch it so that in the present day, he's going to be Mr. Superbuns. Okay, great. Okay, all right, good plan. Thank you. I feel this story was a really good pick-me-up after Brother Voodoo. Brother Voodoo was very serious. This was really fun. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And uh, I mean, I just mentioned it, but this makes me want to read more of Speedball, more of the New Warriors. So mm-hmm. this is sort of what this type of issue was aimed at. It's giving you a preview of different characters to try to hook you. And mm-hmm. I think it did its job in terms of Speedball with me. For sure. I totally agree. And uh, this is number one in a series that continues on. And uh, I think through the mid-90s, there are a lot of issues out there of the Marvel Marvel Superhero Special. Um, Yeah, it's actually in issue two because it came with issue one when I bought it. See? Oh. What a deal. Is that the summer special? The summer special. Ooh. Maybe maybe this is what we're going to cover in the future. Yeah. yeah. Do we get any of these like seasonal specials uh, from Marvel nowadays? No. And this came up in another portion of the same episode when I was talking with Chad from Grey Malkin that um, this type of issue, an anthology series even with Marvel Comics Presents, doesn't exist in its past state i think we see stuff like this on marvel unlimited that's where they're trying out concepts and doing micro series Mm -hmm. um but i think that those digital issues aren't even as long as these stories are like this is a solid like 10-ish pages of comics and marvel unlimited i would say if you put all those panels together it's maybe like four or five as you're reading them because they're really long and you're just scrolling through them. Um, I think we're missing that. And I think it would be a lot of fun to bring a lot of characters forward, not only for Krakoa, there are a lot of mutants out there and we have not gotten any updates on them, but just the Marvel universe overall, where they really have to lean on limited series of five issues of something rather than, all right, we have Marvel Comics Presents it's four stories per issue and some of them are ongoing some of them are ongoing for a lot of stories some of them are shorter some of them are one-off just to try out writers 
and artists and see if a character resonates that maybe you want to promote to a miniseries or something like that. So while I'm grateful that we're getting stories about Wasp and Photon and things like that, there are so many others that we haven't seen for years and years that really deserve it, but there's no avenue to put the spotlight on them. Agreed. All right, last thoughts on these two stories that we just chatted about. Well, again, what you said, Speedball was fun, Brother Voodoo was intense. Yeah, and um, they're both about love. <laughs> Brother yeah. Voodoo losing love and Speedball pining for love. So therefore, it equals spring. So spring edition. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is airing in late March. What do you want to chat up right now? What's on the horizon for you on your podcast or elsewhere? Well, on our podcast, we are always talking to new guests. We're currently uh, work. I don't know if their episodes will air by this time, but we're talking with uh, Stephanie Williams, who did the Family Picnic series on Marvel Unlimited. Um, Ryan Panagos from the This Week in Marvel podcast, uh, and all sorts of other fun special guests. So you can look forward to that on X Reads the Podcast. And then in the fall, in the fall, uh, get ready, you guys, because we are doing the Uncanny Experience where we have taken over a mansion, uh, the Minneapolis Club of Minneapolis, where we are bringing together the stars and creators of X Men the Animated Series. Um, and X-Men content creators and cosplayers and vendors and everything galore. There's going to be entertainment and um, a cosplay contest and a very amazing immersive environment where you can be a mutant and enroll mm -hmm. at Xavier's Institute. So go to theuncannyexperience.com. Get your tickets, people. Get, Get your tickets. tickets. And... Uh, I shared this when we were with House of X. Um, elsewhere in this episode, Philip and I are cosplaying for the very first time at the Uncanny Ooh. Experience. Oh, um, that's exciting. Yes, I am going to be Multiple Man in one of his iterations. And uh, Philip, I'm not going to uh, spoil his surprise since he's not here, but he's very excited as well. And um the ex-wife podcast and i are working on a sort of after party it's more of a hangout during the uncanny experience so more details will be released further on we're going to shore up those plans and they will be promoted at just the right time if you're following the uncanny experience on instagram i'm sure that something will be shared there once things are ironed out um it's gonna be fun um, it's a whole weekend in terms of an immersive experience, and I'm so excited to meet your guests. I mean, Lenore, what a queen. Um, Keldod, who you think of Wolverine and his voice is in your head. Mm -hmm. And Chris Claremont, I mean, I, I have boxes of comics and I'm like, which one do I get signed by Chris Claremont? Because he, he's done so much. Um, and he's doing a lot of fun stuff with you. All of them are. So um, I really want to see as many people as possible at the Uncanny Experience. Absolutely. All right. Where can people find you on social media so they can see 
not only announcements about the uncanny experience but maybe about your podcast yeah well you can find the uncanny experience uh at the uncanny exp that's like egg xylophone Oh, uh, harmonic. <laughs> like exp anyway the uncanny exp and uh, you can learn all about the uncanny experience there and then x reads is uh x r-e-a-d-s podcasts on twitter instagram and facebook thank you both for joining me um it was a blast and i can't wait to do our next seasonal special which i mean you have the preview chandler so start thinking about who you may want to call dibs on (laughs) (laughs) all right see you later thank you thank you all right everyone that's the issue i know i promised dessert and it's coming it's just an additional episode the software literally won't let me add it in because this episode is so long so it's a separate standalone episode myself Jordan D. White from Marvel Comics. Talking all things nerd. We're talking horror comics, Lego, Star Wars, anthologies and their place in Marvel history. It's such a cool chat. I hope you tune in. Um, Before you do, while it's downloading, since it's releasing the same day as this episode, make sure that you go on over. Click the link in our bio. If you're able to contribute some money to help Peter David and his family live their best possible lives as they come out of his medical crisis and transition him back home. Um, That's what this episode is all about, on top of being just super fun. Um, So make sure to click that link in the bio and then listen to our episode with Jordan. You will not regret it.